The world has caught a virus, so I've written you a poem. We need your help to cure it, so stay the fuck at home. And if you have got 12 kids or you're living on your own, lock it down and isolate and stay the fuck at home. If you think you're not at risk here, you're living in a dome. It spreads faster than a hooker's leg, so stay the fuck at home. I need the gym, I need the beach, I hear you bitch and moan. You need to grow a brain cell and stay the fuck at home, but I feel fine. I don't feel sick. I'll go out on my own. I'll think of you, you selfish prick. Please just stay the fuck at home. From L.A. through to Berlin, from Wuhan through to Rome. There's people dying every day, so stay the fuck at home. If you need to contact family, use Facebook, Skype, or phone. We've got the fucking internet, so stay the fuck at home. The only way to slow it down is isolate, not roam. Please help the world get back on track and stay the fuck at home. Stay the fuck at home. Stay the fuck at home. Don't you be a fucking dick. Please stay the fuck at home. Stay the fuck at home. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Hellas. This is being brought to you live and recorded live on uh, March 28th, 2020. The time is uh, 8.43 p.m. Pacific time. You may wonder, who did that song? Who's that song by? Obviously, a recent song about the coronavirus. But who did that song? I don't know. It was posted on Twitter, and I thought it was really funny. It's some old guy. So you see why he wants you to stay the fuck at home, because if he gets the coronavirus, he's probably God. He actually looks a lot older than he sounds. (laughs) So uh, good song there. Very appropriate for this week. Because we've done so much coronavirus talk in recent weeks, and you may be coronavirused out as far as uh, media is concerned, it's possible that uh, you're just tired of hearing about it and you don't want another show just depressing you about the coronavirus and discussing it for hours at length. But at the same time, I know some people want to hear that because these are uncertain times. I know you guys want to hear my take on it and the take of the co-hosts. So here's the compromise I'm going to do for you there is going to be coronavirus content but it's not going to be the beginning of the show the beginning of the show is going to be other stuff some will be tangentially related to the coronavirus but uh, not directly about the coronavirus and uh, we'll, we'll cover kind of usual type topics for the first half of the show the second half will be the coronavirus and at the very end we'll do uh, one or two other topics i have on the roster so that's what we have this week i invited cal watt but uh I kind of dragged my feet with uh, getting this show started tonight. Originally scheduled for 7 o'clock. Obviously, it's no nowhere near 7 o'clock right now. It's uh, 8.45 p.m. Before we go on, I should tell you about the free roll. We have a free roll that started back at 8.30. Still have about 10 minutes to get in on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. And it's a $70 free roll this week, not $300. We can't have that every week. $70 this week. And the prize pool is as follows. $35 for first, 22 for second, 13 for third. Started at 8.30. Registration closes at 8.55 p.m. Pacific time. About 10 more minutes to get in there. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll to learn the rules about qualifying for the free money. Because if you don't, guess what? You don't get paid, and then the money goes back into the pool. I don't keep it, but it goes back into the pool if you don't qualify, so make sure you understand how to qualify. These $70 this week came from three sources, 
A listener who goes by EA gave $25. Snow Tracks gave $25. And Winona86 gave $20. Thank you to the three of them to equal at least $70 for this week. And uh, I, I have a feeling the field won't be big this week. The show was kind of haphazardly announced. I can't seem to decide if I want Friday or Saturday. I, I, I was thinking yesterday I'm going to do it, and then I just it just kind of got late, and I said, nah, I haven't prepared yet. Screw it. So I took an extra day. I prepared, and uh, we're doing it Saturday again, just like we did last week. Next week it'll be again Friday or Saturday, one of those two days. Not sure which one. So here's the agenda, and we'll get Trader Ruski on. I guess before the agenda I should give you the rest of the intro stuff I always do. The phone number of the show, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary telephone sitting on top of Mount Charleston. It's a, it forwards to me wherever I go, 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. The call to listen line is a number which will not get any interaction from me. All you can do is listen, but it's a perfect thing to use to listen to the show if you do not have a computer, if you don't have a data plan, if you don't have good connection on your cell phone. It's a very simple way to listen. Never buffers, never freezes. doesn't matter how bad your connection is. It just keeps going. 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736, the call to listen line. We have the alternate call to listen line, 641-741-1095. No matter which of the two numbers you call, you can just listen to the show. A no-buffer guarantee. And when we're not live, it will play one of our streaming reruns of well more than 300 shows. Just picks it random and plays one, and then when that's done, moves on to the next one again and again and again until we come back on live. And do not worry about my phone bill. You are welcome to call it as much as you like. You can go to sleep with it on. I don't care. It's, uh, it is not costing me any money by the minute. Let me put it that way. If it was costing me by the minute, I would not encourage this. Believe me. You guys know me. But since it does not cost me by the minute... You can use it to your heart's content and call it all you want and listen to the show, whether it's live or our streaming reruns. The chat room is something you can use to chat during the live show only. Click the chat button near the top of the screen. You need a flash-enabled device, meaning iPhones and iPads will not work. You also need a form account of good standing to get in there. And if the show is not live, don't bother. Nobody is in there. If you want to listen to the show in the archives, which most of you do, we get about 95% of our listenership in the archives, not live. You can do so in various ways. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Bullhorn. These are all apps. You can also just go to the Poker Fraud Alert server and download or play the MP3 file. Just go to the radio page and uh, click on the appropriate little button for each of these, including for the MP3 file. It'll take you right to the Radio Archives forum. You click the episode you want. Just click on the MP3, and it just should play. You can download it or play it. Most phones and computers will just play the MP3 without any external player being installed. It'll just work. You just click on it. It'll just play. A very simple way to play the show. That's actually how I usually go listen if I want to listen back to something I did. And so these are all different ways you can listen to the show. Alexa works for that. You can say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it will play. Uh, 
it, it keeps changing on Alexa. So who knows what will happen next. You used to be able to play both the live show and the streaming reruns, but not anymore. Now it's just the last show. And uh, you can go back and forth by saying next and previous, backwards from what you think. Like next actually goes to the previous one and previous goes to the next one. I don't know. That's the way it works. I didn't design it. I've got to go with the interface they have there. You can also use the TuneIn app to listen live if you want that. A lot of ways to listen. If there's another way you want to have to listen to the show, please let me know. And I will consider it, provided it's not too much trouble or too much expense. This is a low-budget operation, as you guys know. We're not uh, getting funding from anywhere. It's coming out of my Jew wallet. So i got to be careful how much money I spend on the show and how much time I spend on the show. I already spend enough. But if there's something you want me to add, I will do so. By the way, I have been working on something. I've been trying to prevent the duplicate shows that are appearing for some people in Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. If you are getting duplicate podcasts still with this episode, if it shows up twice, please let me know. I've been trying some experiments to stop it. So far, they had been unsuccessful, but I tried a new one this week. So if you see, if you see this show appear twice... Please text me at 775-372-8355 and let me know it showed up twice or post on the forum in the thread about that and let me know that that happened so I can know my attempt to do this was unsuccessful yet again. It's a very hard thing to figure out, but I'm trying. You have uh, four more minutes to get into the free roll, by the way. Four minutes to get into the free roll. If you do not, it is too late, and that will be that. So... uh, we're going to have two co-hosts tonight, and after I do the agenda, I'll put them on. We have Trader Ruski as usual. Calwad looks like he's asleep, but uh, Vintage One, who came on, I think, two shows ago, we had him on for some time. He was on a phone that had some reception issues, and the feedback I got from people about his appearance was they liked a lot of what he had to say. They didn't like a lot the reception issues he had. It was kind of hard for them to hear. So uh, we're going to be connecting him via Skype this time. Speaking of Skype, I have downgraded Skype. I put the time into downgrading Skype. We went back to October 2019, a much simpler time when there was no coronavirus, when there were sports, when there were cruises, when uh, you could leave your house at will, when you could get toilet paper very easily and cheaply. It's a much simpler time of life back in October 2019. We went back to that date on Skype because it was also a better time of life for Skype because uh, it did not have these connection issues with connecting uh, callers onto the show. So we'll see if that helps tonight. It is possible it's a Skype network failure, and in which case uh, downgrading to that version will not help. But we will see if, if this uh, helps at all. And if it doesn't, I'll try some more experiments with that as well. So uh, a few experiments we're trying this week from a technical standpoint we were going to have an interview tonight in fact we were going to have a few interviews and all of them kind of petered out uh we had a woman who was doing a uh movie about women in poker her name is uh, sandra moore it's a movie called poker queen so we're gonna have her on here but uh she just messaged me out of nowhere last week and said she found the show now i i will be honest here i I do wonder if she found the show specifically to promote her movie and didn't just discover it, as she said. But either way, I will let her come on and talk about uh, Poker Queens. But she she really wanted to get a schedule down for appearing on here, and she doesn't understand the way the show works, that uh, we we don't operate on a a very tight schedule. So I 
let her I let her know at the last minute tonight we're coming on and she didn't answer so guess we won't have her tonight and if we have her we have her if we don't we don't uh either way it's okay uh, we were also possibly going to have someone either from that Rounder Life magazine that's been pro Mike Possle or uh this Asian woman who's been defending him big time on Twitter I was trying to encourage both of them to appear Rounder Life looks like Everett Caldwell, who owns it, he might appear, but in a few weeks, he says. And then uh, this Asian woman is playing games with me. I don't even know. I don't even know. There's a chance she'll call tonight, but uh, I don't know. She's refusing to give me her number to call her, which is kind of weird. I'm still not even sure if she's real or if I'm talking to Mike Possible myself. Who knows? But she's insisting she's going to call, and we will see. We will see if we will hear from the Asian woman who's supporting Mike Possible, like, that's all she does on Twitter is support Mike Possible. Don't know why, but that's that's what she does with herself. Just supports Mike Possible on Twitter. Calls herself Possible Supporter. She claims to be an Asian grandma, but don't get the wrong idea because she's not like 80 years old. She claims she's like around my age, but she's an Asian grandma. I don't know, but we're going to have her on if she calls, but I'm not holding my breath. So we're going to put on... Uh, Trader Ruski and Vintage One after I give you the agenda, which is as follows. Our lead topic tonight, Mike Postle. We're going to talk about how he accidentally doxed himself in a legal filing where anyone now can see his full address and phone number. Isn't that interesting? In fact, we may try to call him tonight. I have a feeling he won't answer, but we'll give Mike Postle a call. Why not? So he accidentally doxed himself in a legal filing, and there's some controversy about that filing and about whether he owns or partially owns Rounder Life magazine. So we'll talk about that as well. And some articles that are coming out in Rounder Life that are continuing to support Mike Postle. In fact, that seems to be the reason Rounder Life exists these days, is to support Mike Postle. Perlot Friedman, back in the news, seems like we were talking about him a lot lately, he just very active on social media and doing some pretty cringeworthy things. He had a pretty tough week. First, he had a jealous fit on Twitter regarding people messaging flirty emojis to his girlfriend, his live-in girlfriend he has a kid with, not just any girlfriend, which then led to a breakup, which then led to them getting back together. And that's where it stands right now. I will go through the whole sordid details here and give you a bonus comment from Garrett Adelman, the great Live at the Bike No Limit player, a story he told on Twitter about Prahlad. We're really getting a, a good look at who Prahlad really is. I've known for years, but we're, everybody else is starting to realize that everything I've been saying about him is true. 2 Plus 2 is abandoning their long-used vBulletin software. That's what they've been using for many, many years. VBulletin is also what Poker Fraud Alert uses for its forum. Why is 2 Plus 2 abandoning it, and what are they switching to? I will tell you when we get to that segment, but let me tell you, it is very, very unpopular. People are very, very unhappy about it. The change has not occurred yet, but it is going to be occurring very soon. And the, the pitchforks are out. People are very angry at 2 Plus 2 about this decision. And I think I know why they're doing it. They haven't been totally clear, but I think I've figured it out. It's a guess on my part. I won't say I have any insider knowledge, but it's a guess on my part, which I will tell you when we do that segment. Isai Scheinberg, former owner of PokerStars, has pled guilty 
And the one question remaining, what will his sentence be? He's in the U.S. He's going to be sentenced. And we will figure out if he's going to see any kind of jail time. He might or might not, and I'll tell you why. Here's a topic that isn't directly about poker or gambling, but it was brought to me by a listener, and I thought this is a good thing to discuss out here. In fact, we're going to get to it first because uh, time is of the essence. We're going to get we're going to consult with someone who is more of an expert on this than I am, and this person goes to sleep early, so we're going to get this person on the phone. That's Eric Benzamokin. We're going to have an Eric Benzamokin segment when we talk about StubHub. StubHub is doing something very unethical and possibly illegal, and that's the part we're going to ask Eric about. If he, I know this is not his area of law, but he's still a lawyer. He still would know more about the law than I would, especially in California. So we're going to ask uh, Eric about his opinion on this one, but StubHub is doing something really, really crappy. If you have bought tickets to an event and it got canceled because of the coronavirus, you don't get a refund. You can't get a refund. They will keep your money, and instead, all you get is a voucher good for one year, which is 120% of the value. Now, if you're sure you want to use StubHub again within a year, then that's not that bad for you. But what if you only wanted to go to that one event and now that it's gone, you just want your money back? Or what if you need the money right now and you don't want to wait until the next time you go to an event to get value out of that money you spent that you cannot uh, use because that event got canceled? How come you don't just get a refund? I don't even think that's legal, but we're going to ask Eric about it. Either way, it's very unethical. And while we're in that While we're on that topic, I'm going to talk about the terms of service fallacy and something consumers often fall prey to. In fact, I argue with people all the time about terms of service versus legality. Terms of service, a a company's terms of service are not the end-all, be-all. They don't own you because they've put something in the terms of service, even if you've signed to it in some cases. And some people don't realize this. Some people think if the company can show you a terms of service that supports their point of view, you're screwed. Not true. Often not true. I've had this argument uh, a number of times this week, in fact. Not, I'm not with any issue I'm having, but with people who are having issues with things that are going on with them, and I'm telling them they have more rights than they think. So we'll talk about that as well as part of that StubHub discussion, which we'll actually do first. The World Series of Poker has given an update on when they're going to give an update. They said that they will not make a decision on the cancellation or postponement of the World Series of Poker until early May. Hmm. Where have we heard this before? We're going to discuss that when we get to that segment. Phil Galfond is continuing to crush Venny Vitti in a remarkable comeback. Just an amazing comeback that uh, even the Boston Red Sox would be jealous of. Remember when they had that tremendous comeback against the Yankees to break their long streak of no World Series titles? Even the Boston Red Sox have said they're jealous of Galfon's comeback from 900,000 euros down to fairly close to even now. Just every time he's just spanking Vanny Vitti. But should questions be asked? I know we talk about this every week, but every week I'm thinking about it more. I'm going to read you a... Listener commentary about this, and then I'll comment on the commentary, because I'm starting to think 
that questions do need to be asked. Not in an accusatory fashion, but just kind of like, okay, we got to start thinking about some things. So we'll talk about all that. Coronavirus topics. Let's list those. We're going to talk about four prominent names in poker who have said that they are infected with the coronavirus. David Doc Sands, Victor Ramden, Andy Frankenberger, and tournament director Matt Savage. So talk about uh, these names in poker, what their situation is, and how much danger is the poker community in? Are we going to see a lot more of this, or are these just going to be the unlucky few? Here's a topic you're not going to read about much anywhere online. You can find it a little bit if you Google, but there's not extensive discussion of it. But that is using your heart rate to tell if you've come down with a coronavirus and are not symptomatic yet. Because what they're saying right now is you may have the coronavirus, you may not know. It, it could be five days, it could be 14 days even in the maximum before you show symptoms. So how do you know that you don't have it already? You might be walking around with a coronavirus, giving it to your family or whoever lives with you, is there any way to tell without taking a test, which isn't available right now for most people? So I am going to give you some advice on how to use your heart rate, not so much to be able to tell if you have it, but to be able to tell if you probably don't have it. And I've used this method before to tell if I have other illnesses. It's actually more reliable than you think. It's not 100% reliable, but it's more reliable than you think, and it's easy to do. Well, the U.S. is number one. USA number one in coronavirus cases. The U.S. has the most coronavirus cases that have been verified in the world, more than 100,000. But is this really true, or is it possible USA is not number one? At least in this sense. We'll talk about that. Concierge medicine. That has existed for some years, and it's gotten very little attention in the media. Well, I'm surprised it hasn't gotten more attention, because concierge medicine is the way to explain why certain celebrities are able to get tested so quickly. How come when you hear such and such celebrity has coronavirus, their story involves being tested Seemingly really fast. Should I take this call? Ah, what the heck. Ah, boy. Let's see, that takes me back. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like we're back in uh, 2005, 2006. I got rickrolled. It makes me feel like we're not suffering from a coronavirus worldwide feel like we're in a different time thank you thank you caller glad i took that okay so moving on with the agenda concierge medicine i'll explain what that is and i'll explain how that has to do with celebrities getting tested so quickly how come they can get tested and you can't there's a very good reason it's concierge medicine i will tell you about that and in fact how it has to do with one of the four poker players who has been tested positive for COVID-19. There is some hope regarding the coronavirus. The hope comes in the form of antibody tests 
and then three medications. I will tell you what those three medications are and whether there's any real hope that uh, they could be effective against the coronavirus and that the antibody tests could be our answer to getting the country open again. Rhode Island is attempting to do something I never thought I would see in my lifetime. It's almost like out of a dystopian movie. The U.S. is a country, but it's a country of 50 different independent states. And some people forget that. Some people forget that the it really is a, a co-op of 50 different individual governments, all under a federal umbrella. But the state governments have a lot more power than you think. The state government actually affects your life a lot more than the federal government does. Some people do not realize that, but that's true. The state government really, really uh, is in control of a lot more that directly affects you. But I never thought I would see the day when you cannot travel freely from state to state. That's something that's been allowed in this country ever since we've been a country. There's no time in anybody's lifetime, I don't care if the the oldest person in the United States has not been alive, where you could not travel from state to state as a normal citizen. I'm not talking about uh, if you're a wanted criminal, I'm I'm talking, or or someone who's on uh, parole or whatever, have certain restrictions. I'm talking about just a normal citizen under no restrictions, that uh, there is a situation right now where you cannot freely travel from state to state. It involves Rhode Island and their attempt to prevent New Yorkers from fleeing there. I think you know why. We'll talk about that very odd story, and it's not even getting enough attention in the media, in my opinion. Most adults will be getting $1,200 in assistance from the government due to the coronavirus. What about poker players, though? If you're a professional poker player, do you qualify for the $1,200 in unemployment benefits? So I will... Talk about that and tell you whether you should apply for it because you may be surprised by the answer. Even I was surprised when I looked it up. Final coronavirus topic. Trump wants us to return to normal life by Easter. He said so in a press conference. And he's been taking a lot of heat for that because people are saying Easter. Come on, that's not very far from now. How, how can we even begin to picture returning to normal life in Easter, the, the number of cases is going up. The number of deaths in this country are going up from the coronavirus. How can we return to the, to normal life by Easter? Wouldn't this kill more people? Does Trump not care about people dying? We've, we've, I've seen it all over. So is Trump crazy or selfish to say this? Or might he have a good reason to have said such a thing? It'll be our final coronavirus topic. We have a few more topics after that. The GG Network, which is uh, GG Poker, which uh, Daniel Negreanu represents, Natural 8, Poker OK, I think a few others, they are banning players for what's known as bum hunting. That is only sitting when a fish is at the table. I'll tell you what I think is wrong with that and why what they're attempting to do is not noble like they're trying to say it is. Bovada and Ignition has had some lag issues. They've had more traffic than they've had in a long time. I think they can't handle it. On some days, it lags badly, and every time you click a button, it takes a while for that button to respond. And so you like to place a bet out there, you wait like three seconds till you see the bet appearing, and it seems to not only affect you, but everybody else at the table. So all the hands move very slowly, and when people make an action, it takes a few seconds to register. 
Well, I got my ass beat at the 3060 Limit Hold'em game on Thursday morning, afternoon, and evening. And I have thought about that ass beating I took there. And while I did get very bad luck, there is more to it than that. I blame the lag. I will explain when I get to that segment. Finally, flashback to 1985. The World Series of Poker main event charged no rake because of a new federal requirement for the World Series of Poker and all casinos to report large cash transactions to the federal government. So they charged no rake on the $10,000 buy-in. And in fact, had it printed in a newspaper in Las Vegas that they were doing this to evade this requirement. Now, isn't that illegal? Shouldn't they have gotten in trouble? I will tell you why they were brazen enough to admit such a thing in the newspaper and what that whole thing was about and how it has an effect on today. Well, today, if we were to have a World Series of Poker and if we were to have casinos open. But nevertheless, ignoring all that, how it affects today. From 35 years ago, back in 1985, obviously I was not playing the World Series then as a 13-year-old, but some of the older listeners might have, or might have at least uh, been gambling in Vegas back in 85. So that'll be our final segment for the evening. We're going to try to reach uh, Trade Ruski here. Then we'll try to reach uh, Vintage One, and then we'll get going. It's too late for the free roll. Much too late. If you're in, you're in. If you're not, you're not. And that's the way the ball bounces here. What's happening, Jeff? Trader Ruski. Is, is a vintage one ready to be added? Do you know? I, I think he's ready to go. Okay, let me try to get him, too. Let me Hello. Know. What? Did I get him? I got him. Oh, wow. You got him? I was, about to, I was about to hang up on him. All right. Don't hang up on me there, Jeff. Okay, well, good. Welcome, vintage one. It's, it, you have, like, a weird... Tag here is like live colon CID and a bunch of numbers. I've never seen anything like this. I'm not really sure why it's like that because I just set it up, but it is what it is, right? Yeah, it just felt really weird to add this like live period CID, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. It, it felt like I was adding a bot or something. I got scared. Okay. And I, I, was trying to, I was trying to remove you and then you just appeared. So <laughs> now, now, I assure you I'm not a bot. Okay. That's very convincing. We're going to call up uh, Eric Benzamokin. We're going to talk about uh, something – reprehensible that's being done by StubHub, and regardless of uh, whether it's legal or not, which I, I have my doubts. If this, if, to me, if someone asked me, I would say this is illegal. But we're going to ask Eric, and uh, we're going to... Okay, good, because uh, uh, all my friends are ticket brokers, so I'll, I'm sure I'll have some angle on whatever you have in store. Yeah, this is uh, really disturbing. This was brought to me by a listener, and I, I use StubHub... And I, I generally have good things to say about StubHub, except for the fact that the fees are high, but whatever, that's, that's, that's their prerogative to charge high fees. And I decide whether I want to use StubHub based on those fees. And often, despite the fees, they're still the best deal. I, I like the model they have. Transparent, so you know what you're getting into. So. Yeah, but, but th- what they did here was just incredibly unethical and uh, really screwing people. So we're going to put uh, Eric Benzamokin on here. Eric, hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. It's been a little while since you've been on here. Yeah, how's everybody doing? We're, 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 doing, Eric. we're, we're doing okay, considering. Hey, yeah. I, I recognize two of the voices. I don't know this third guy. The third guy, that, that's vintage one. I'm he, new here. Yeah, that's vintage one. He's uh, he's he's, he's around. He's uh, you don't always hear him, but he's always around. So, uh, all right. Well, <laughs> Cal Watt, he is not. No, hey, 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 hey! Yeah, you got to be nice to vintage one here. So, 
Uh, wow. Eric, uh, here's, here's a question for you. Have you heard about the StubHub controversy yet, or do you want me to explain it? Yeah. No, I, I, they're, essentially they're offering some kind of uh, credit plus back for your purchases. Right. And, um, and you have to use them within a restricted period of time. Yeah, so, so this, this is what's going on. Uh, if you've bought tickets for any event through StubHub, they, and the event got canceled, which is most events. In fact, for the near future, all events got canceled because of the coronavirus. That instead of giving you a refund, that they are forcing you to take a credit with them for 120%. And if you want a cash refund, tough luck, you can't have it. <laughs> yeah. And, and um. that, that, that seems insane to me uh, that... If if the event doesn't go, you can't get a refund. Now, if they want to give you the choice, would you like a hundred percent refund or a hundred twenty percent credit? That's completely fine. But but to me, this is so unethical. And and so but before we get to your comment, Eric, some people may say, "Wait, they're doing you a favor. They're giving you an extra twenty percent." Well, what if you don't want the credit? What if what if you need the money now? What if you don't have any other event you want to attend? Or you don't want to use StubHub in the future? What if you were just buying something on StubHub for a one-off event that got canceled and you have no plans to ever use them again? Why should you be forced to use them for a different event when you may not want to? So that's – I know why they're doing it, but I find that incredibly unethical. And I, I would think this is illegal because uh, the service that you are paying for uh, cannot be delivered. And I would think they would have to give you a full refund. Uh, Eric, what is your opinion on this? So there's, there's kind of two parts to this. So the first part is the unfortunate reality that we live in, in that when we make online purchases, we are either um, by, uh, we are essentially agreeing to the terms of service of the vendor or the vendor website. So if I purchase something off of Amazon and it's made by a third party, and it comes completely broken and in pieces, I can't return it to Amazon. Their policies have to somehow ship it to whatever company made it, you know, in Malaysia or whatever. And it's a, you know, it's a giant hassle. But they turn around and they point to you and they say, well, look, you, you, you know, essentially agree to our terms of service by clicking here or clicking there or saying I agree. And everybody does it and nobody reads it because we want whatever is on the other end of that mouse click when we're done. So that's the first sort of frontline response is, hey, our terms of service say that in the event of X, Y, or Z, this is our policy. Now, there is an old common law contract uh, theory or, or contract rule called force majeure. And force majeure goes all the way back to the 1700s when dry goods were shipped overseas from France or England uh, to the colony. And those companies that made contracts to buy those materials had a clause that if something were to happen that is essentially beyond anyone's control, a force majeure, there's a typhoon or a wave crashes into the boat and sinks it, or it's hijacked by pirates or whatever, the, the party is not going to be responsible to have to pay it or they'll get their money. You know. So modernly, the idea is this is also like a force majeure. If I bought tickets to a Laker game four weeks ago or six weeks ago, uh, I didn't think and nobody could foresee that this, market in you know the Hunan village of China was going to begin spreading a virus that ultimately goes global and it's declared a pandemic and that the NBA as a result is going to suspend their season. So that's one sort of 
way where I think that StubHub is mistaken in their policy and that there are certain things that are unforeseeable. The second part of it is the more practical approach, and that is, for example, if I bought Laker tickets because I'm excited that LeBron James is now playing for the Lakers, there's no guarantee that LeBron James is going to be playing next season. And if StubHub's answer is, well, we'll give you credit and buy tickets to something else and you've got up to a year to do it, what if what I want to see or the person I want to see or the event that I want to go to is not going to happen again? There can only be, what if we were in the midst of a playoff series and this happened? Or, you know, the Indy 500 with a certain lineup of drivers uh, that are not going to be the same next year. Or, and you get, you know, any number of things. You know, Bon Jovi is touring with Brian Adams. And I only know that because musically I never came out of the 80s and I can't wait to see that show. But if that's canceled, even though I bought tickets, what's going to happen? I can't guarantee that Brian Adams is going to tour with Bon Jovi again. And that's the show I want to see. That's what I paid for. Why should I be stuck, even with an extra 20% on top, why should I be stuck to go see something else that I don't want to see? And finally, this extra 20% is a red herring because all the prices are going to be jacked up because everybody's going to use this extra 20%. So you're not really getting an extra benefit anyway. Uh, and finally, they're not giving you any other real option. They're essentially saying, this is what we will do, and that's it. And then if you don't use it, tough luck. So I think it's, it certainly is, I agree that it's certainly unethical. Uh, and it could border on illegal because of the idea of force majeure. And there are certain rules about contract law where if the contract is uh, usury or if it leans too much in one direction, if you don't have the ability to bargain anything in good faith on the other side, you know, um, so there's, there's kind of like ways to maybe get around it. And I don't think it's going to be easy, but if this were to become a legal you know, action, this would be a class action because this would be tens of thousands of people. Yeah, it would be a large class situation. action. I, I would think so. And that's, that's why I'm surprised. I mean, maybe, maybe they are, are cash poor. It's hard to believe with the type of fees they charge, but may, maybe they're cash poor and, and they feel they can't afford to give these refunds. Uh, who, who knows? But, uh, and th- this is the, all they can do at the moment because I was surprised that their legal team would approve this or that, that there, there wouldn't be such a, a tremendous backlash to this. People wouldn't be so angry. And that's something I hadn't thought of what you just said about how the 120% isn't even really a 20% bonus because with so many people with that 120% to spend that yes, it might drive the prices up because uh, people have to spend it in a year. And basically on StubHub, uh, the, the prices rise and fall. It's not a set price. They constantly rise and fall depending upon demand. That's how I've gotten some uh, tremendous uh, tick uh, deals on Dodger games. In fact, Vintage One here has gone with me to some Dodger games where I've gotten tremendous deals, and, and uh, he's, he's come with me. So, uh, Let me ask you a quick question. Isn't the, uh, the uh, cruise line business doing the same exact thing, saying we're going to give you uh, 120% – no, they're not. I, I can answer that. I know the cruise line business really well. Um, they are doing – they are giving you the option to get a cash refund. Now, they are doing something shady though. You're, you're partially correct. What they're doing – speaking of inflated prices, at least Norwegian. I haven't followed the others. But what Norwegian is doing is they're saying if you want a cash – if we have canceled your cruise, then you're entitled to a full cash refund if you want it. But – if you're willing to forego the cash refund, we will give you a future cruise credit for 125 to 150%. Depending, I don't know why, what makes it 125 versus 150, but certain cruises get 125, certain get 150, certain ones get in the middle. And then if you book by April 10th another cruise, 
with with your future cruise credit, then you'll get an additional 20% off. Now, that all sounds well and good, but the trick is that they have inflated their prices, so the 20% off is BS, and who's booking a cruise right now? No, Nobody is just going to book a cruise right now with cash. They, in fact, you can't even book. Right now, the cruises aren't even going, and nobody knows when they will, and when they will, people are going to want to wait to see how safe it is, what what precautions they're going to take, blah, blah, blah. So the only people who would be booking cruises right now are ones who get that credit at these super inflated prices. And when I say inflated, I don't just mean inflated considering the situation where they're going to have to really bring down the price to entice people back. I'm talking about in a normal year, these are ridiculously high prices. So people are, I don't know how, but some people are being tricked into believing that this 20% discount on top of this 125% that they're getting uh, in, in cruise credit is giving them a great buy and people are foregoing their cash refunds and doing this. And I'm screaming the, from the top of my lungs, don't do it. Don't do it. If you, if you really want to take a cruise in the future, either take the cash refund or take the cat, or, or or take the cruise credit, which is a risk because Norwegian may not exist any longer. That they, they may just uh, completely disappear if if they can't restart anytime soon. But uh, if you want to gamble and take the 150 percent in cruise credit, fine. But at least wait until they start up again and the cruises are cheap. Don't book now. So they. Uh, but it's amazing how many people are falling for this. People just hear the word discount and they think they're getting a great buy. They don't bother to look at what they're really getting, and that's pretty shady. But in my opinion, not as bad as what StubHub is doing, because at least you have a right to say, no, just give me the cash, I'll take the cash, 100% cash, and, and you'll get it. So uh, um, this is really bad what StubHub is doing, and the fact that they're giving you no option. I When I heard this, I couldn't believe it, and it's, it's true, it turned out, but it's, I, I'm shocked. Now, Eric, um, do you – so I, I was well, – there's, there's, Well, there's two things I want to yeah. go back to. The first is that the idea that the extra 20% that StubHub is offering isn't really a 20%. It's also because you're going to have twice as many people competing for the same seats next year. So when the NBA relaunches its season, you have all the regular buyers plus all these people that are going to want to redeem. And that's what's going to drive the prices crazy, like, you know, up like crazy. So you really, in fact, you probably get less than 120%. Yeah. Of the value. That, that's yeah, the yeah. X factor right there. So, well, but you might now, have people other, that are still skittish. Oh, sorry, sorry. About about events, other, maybe, maybe, but but it depends when. Like by next year, maybe not. It depends how fast we get past this and how many people die and all that. At least, at least there's right. no bad no. there's no bad press right now. At least of people like dying from being at sporting events together. It's not like cruise lines where there's like a lot of bad press. No, no, for sure. And I agree with Eric about the pricing. But even if I did get a ticket to the Bon Jovi concert for a hundred bucks and now I've got it and I can still get that ticket for a hundred bucks next year and I have a hundred and twenty dollar credit, I'm just that twenty dollar credit's gonna sit there and nobody's gonna be using it. Most right? Then oh, yeah, you're gonna be these dead what credits kind of past probably. Bon Jovi. Well, the well, question. I mean, well, no, I understand what you're saying. The example he used, you clown. Right. <laughs> okay. The example is that there's a unique event that even if I can redeem 120 percent of my purchase price for something else, it's not likely that I'll have the exact same event that I can buy again. Yeah, there's a lot of people who so, are in that situation on StubHub where they're they're buying it for one specific event, which may not take place again for a very long time, and that they have absolutely zero interest in going to anything else. 
So, like Eric was saying, no matter what percentage they give you, it's it's not worth anything to you because if you're if you just don't have an interest to go to anything else besides this one event that got canceled. So, uh, to me, it should seem super straightforward that if you are buying a ticket to an event and that event is canceled, it's not like you decided not to go. You cannot go because it's canceled. That uh, they they should give you a full refund. I can't. It seems very hard to believe that they could. This could be legally defensible, even if this is in their in their terms of service. Uh, I, I think th- this is th- that contract you're entering with them very much is unfairly benefiting one side. And I, I had this argument with someone else, not about StubHub, but about uh, a different matter. I won't get into, but something similar. And I said, "What if they put in the terms of service, uh, we'll, we'll refund you sometime in the next twenty years, and and you, and you sign off on that if if we cancel on you? Is that fair? Is that something that could be defended in court? I, I doubt it." So, yeah, no, it, it, it's not just that. And the other thing, I think, I have a question. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer, but maybe somebody does on the line. Does StubHub own the tickets that they resell? Like, do they buy these blocks and they own them, or do they have to collect your money and then pay the venue or no? I can, tell you, I can tell you there. There's a whole market for StubHub, and, and one of them is the 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 typical buy tickets and resell them, get their inventory up. But what, what StubHub's doing now is this gigantic business that is right now completely decimating the uh, ticket businesses. That What they do is they call it zoning. And what they do is, for some reason, they can list uh, these blocks of tickets. They'll say, we have uh, orchestra A seats, rows A through Z any seats you want and they'll list them for a certain price and then people and they'll have people through their websites buy from them and what they do is all they do is go on to the the let's say it's the pantages they'll go to the pantages website and they'll buy a face value ticket for $49 that they just sold to someone that bought it on their website for $300 so they're zoning and what they can do is they can zone Every single show in America, the, every theater show, every concert, every anything, they have access to it. And these people don't think to go for – I mean it seems like remedial that you would go to the website, the, the house's website to buy tickets, but they don't do it. Well, and it, they're, they're making triple but they're doing well, it, and, and and right now they're running into this situation where they've sold tickets three months in advance. Now all those shows are canceled, so they have to refund this money, and it's just it, it's wiping them out. It's wiping them out. Well, also, I'm- also, I, I want to add something else. They uh, like with a lot of sports teams, they they don't directly own the tickets, but they they have agreements with the sports teams to where the tickets can be instantly transferred. Uh, if, if you, so if you have seats like through the Dodgers, for example, you can actually connect those seats directly with StubHub to where, uh, the Dodgers actually deliver it to you through StubHub to where the, it actually transfers names. So if I buy Dodger tickets on StubHub, it actually, in, in most but not all cases, the tickets actually become tickets in my name. And, uh, and it's not like, uh, I'm buying someone else's tickets. And that's because the major league teams have actually come to agreements with StubHub. And, uh, so that they have that going on too, where they don't, own them, but they they have the ability to access the LA Dodgers system and, and, and perform a transfer. So I, I I don't know if that 
answers your question, well, the, Eric. Well, the reason I'm asking is like this. If if StubHub buys blocks of tickets, then StubHub would be entitled to a refund from the venue or the sports team, and in turn they should refund back their customers. Uh, they may lose the profit portion of it, exactly. you know, but but the, but 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 what it seems to me is that StubHub, the reason they're not refunding anything is I think they would essentially be wiped out if they did. So that tells me that they're not well, necessarily... Well, eBay owns them, by the way, guys. Oh, I didn't know that. eBay owns them. Wow. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought I just double-checked. So just then you've got plenty of cash because eBay can cover those losses. Especially now, everything's being purchased and sold online anyway. There's, so eBay's probably accelerating in sales uh, for stuff. Um. But it's 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 really I mean it's a shame it's almost like um, akin to the shady poker websites where they should be earning their money just on the rake and they don't they dip into the player pool and so it's almost like the same thing right stuff up charges fees above and beyond what the ticket price is for their processing and all these things and that's really that should be their profit um, you know like and so. Keeping all of the consumer cash that went into these, I just read quickly there was something like a billion dollars tied up in StubHub. Uh, there was a USA Today article that, that was posted a few days ago. I just quickly searched before I came on. Okay, hold on. I'm, 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 like hold on. I'm, I'm being I'm being told something here uh, that uh, the information we have is not entirely correct. So this is what I was uh, I was texted by two different people. So it's a, this is a, uh, emails that they got. Um, and by the way, the uh, one of the people messaging me here is uh, someone that uh, is actually a ticket broker himself and knows a lot about tickets. And uh, I met him in Vegas once. Here, here's here's uh, was sent to me by him and someone else. It says uh, um, all comma to continue support our, our business and profile and provide buyer. Let me start again. All comma to continue to support our p- business and provide. Buyers' valuable return on their purchases. We are making the following changes to our cancellation policy. For all events we process is canceled beginning today, March 24th, buyers will only be given a coupon uh, uh, at 120% of the order and not a refund option. Cash refunds will still be given in the following instances. One, if the buyer's billing address or event is in one of 14 states with consumer laws around refund and the customer's, uh, customer contacts the call center asking for a cash refund. Two, if the buyer escalates with, with higher PR slash legal risk and contacts the call center insisting on a refund. Or three, if the buyer purchased using a, a uh, ticket something account, I can't even read it, or, or is a broker. Well, that's interesting. This almost sounds like a negative checkoff scam where they're saying if you call up and make enough of a stink or if you call and your state forces us to do this, if you call, then we'll give you the money back. Otherwise, no. So uh, uh, let me uh, – look, someone else sent me another thing here. This is, now, that, that was sent to a broker. This was sent to uh, someone who's a non-broker. This is a different uh, text I got. Uh uh, if you buy tickets on StubHub and your event is still happening, you're good to go. If your event is postponed, we will send you an email once the details are confirmed with the next steps to get you to the event. If you can no longer attend uh, uh, your event for any reason, you can still sell your tickets with confidence, blah, blah, blah. If you buy tickets on StubHub to an event that is canceled, you have the option to receive a coupon worth 120% of your original order to go to a live event for the, in the next 12 months. Alternatively, you can choose to receive a full refund for the original order amount, including service and delivery fees, to the original payment method. So that person who got this, uh, I don't know where they live, but I have a feeling that this person 
who is probably in one of those 14 states. Uh, I, I have this uh, this ticket broker trying to call in. This will be our test to see if we can receive a call correctly. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Todd. It's Rob in Pittsburgh. How you doing? Rob, yeah, I'm very happy to hear from you, but not for the reason you think. I'm actually, I'm actually very happy to hear from you because that means I can actually take phone calls on the show now. <laughs> that's, that's been a challenge here for I, I the last understand. few weeks. But this but, is, uh, yeah, this has been. I've been listening for three years. This is the most uh, interesting show that I've heard you do. I, uh, I usually don't listen live, but I'm glad I did tonight. Let me let me let me straighten up a couple things. First of all, obviously the first text you read was from me. I sent you uh, something that was sent out to large sellers. There's a couple hundred of us in the United States, and that email was sent out to us. So there are still going to be cash refunds. Obviously, StubHub knows there's 14 states where they legally must give cash refunds, and they cannot just deny those consumers. Now, do you know what those, also, four, what are those 14 any, states? One second. What, do you know what these 14 states are or not? I do not know them. Uh, I'm in Pennsylvania, as you know, uh, and I'm not even sure. What the what what the rules or what the laws are here? To be honest with yeah, you, I don't, I don't know if Cal, I don't know. does their homework. Yeah, For instance, know. there's two states in the country where Ticketmaster is not allowed to institute the non-transfer of tickets, and one of them is Colorado and one of them is New York. Hmm. They cannot stop you from transferring tickets there. So there are some different states that have different rules. However, one thing one of your guests there was mentioning about zone selling. First of all, StubHub never does what that guy said. Trust me. I was, I was, uh, I was one of a group that we, we sold to StubHub, uh, a product that we had about 12 years ago. I know very well how their business runs. StubHub does not go out and get inventory after they take orders. Rob, if anyone is selling zones. Absolutely what? do. They do. So do no, they, 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 Vivid does zoning too. They all do zoning. Vivid, no, Vivid does zoning. If StubHub is showing zoning, it's because some jerk-off like me is zoning tickets on StubHub. It's not StubHub zoning the tickets, going out and buying the tickets. It's Come a on. reseller like me that might do it. Yes. That, no, no, yeah. I'm not saying StubHub is doing it themselves. They're allowing it. Okay. I, I didn't understand that either. Okay. Well, okay. Then, at okay. least we're at least, I, thought, I, I, I heard you say that StubHub was on it. Well, well at, least, at least we're in agreement here. I don't know here, if you're now. aware of this. But about four months ago, Via Gogo purchased StubHub for a crazy amount of money, absolutely crazy. And right now, they are probably ready to jump off 14 bridges around the world. Of course they are. <laughs> All the people I know that are zoning are ready to jump off the, the, the cliffs. Because now they have all these people working for them that they're paying commission to to help them zone. Now they've paid all these kids that are living paycheck to paycheck. Now they've paid off uh, seats that were three months in advance. Now everything's canceled. All the tickets are coming back. They have to pay back uh, StubHub. They have to pay back Vivid. Now they can't go to these kids and say, hey, we need – five grand back all the commission you made on I, selling these so they're just getting i, I totally I, uh, I, no, I totally understand that but i can explain to you real quick this is big boy brokering i got 27 years in i refunded 1.5 million in the last 14 days wow out of that 1.5 wait a minute todd but out of that 1.5 million 
I'm getting back about 1.32 million. So I'm only and the the extra 180,000 was profit that I made selling tickets for an eight week period starting last April. So it's not that big of a deal if you're a broker. We've been stealing money off of people for 27 years. I don't understand how these sellers don't have the money. Because they, they blow it. Because, they, because nobody can hold on to money. They blow the money as soon as they get it. By the way, I see not, that I see that the price tag right. the price tag, I just Googled this, uh Via Gogo bought uh StubHub from eBay in December for uh, four point oh five billion dollars. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and now your guess is right. There are small timers, there are nickel and dimers that work out of their mother's basements. That sold tickets, bought tickets for a thousand dollars three months ago. Sold them for fifteen hundred, made a five hundred dollar profit. Took that fifteen hundred, maybe sent it to a baseball team to pay for season tickets this year. Now they owe StubHub or Vivid fifteen hundred dollars refund for an event that was canceled, and they don't have it. But guess what? That's big boy brokering. Step up to the plate. Go borrow off somebody. I'm not talking small time. I'm talking about VIP tickets. If you're a real broker, you know them. I'm talking about uh, spotlight tickets. I'm talking about L.A. tickets here. They're not these little kid nickel and dime places. These are real businesses. So I don't know what you're talking about. I know VIP very well. And trust me, if they owe $3 or $4 million, they have it to pay it back. Harris Roser, I've known him for 30 back. years. I'm saying it's causing a real problem to them. Well, hey, guess what? You want to play and you want to make big money, you got to be willing to take big big problems. I mean, that's all it is. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree is. with Robbie. You want to play with the big boys and make a million a year. I mean, that's what happened. And, and StubHub, stub, stub hub, stub, stub, stub hub itself, StubHub itself, uh, they also have uh, – They've made a ton of money. Their fees are just are, are insanely high, and uh, the, the reason people don't realize how high their fees are is because they're often still the best deal for the consumer. So you know, actually, Vivid's the best deal. They have the the the, the smaller. Well, the, if, if you can what, same ticket on Vivid as you can on StubHub, and you'll pay probably about. Five to ten percent less. When I've seen I, that hasn't happened, or, or the tickets I want are not appearing in both places, which which happens oh. a lot. So so uh, now it, it, StubHub's not always the best, but but uh, that's where I've gone the most, and I and I look at a wide range of sites when I'm going to get. And this is just me speaking as a consumer who wants to go cheaply to a Dodgers playoff game or whatever. So uh, um, and I and I understand the the way the prices rise and fall, and I and I jump in at the lowest time, but. But um, and I see StubHub is typically the best, but there I see their fees that they're charging are, are tremendous. Sometimes like like twenty three percent. So it's it, it is they do have to be able to absorb things like this and not bitch too much. But uh, this it, it kind of looks to me though from from everything I'm seeing here that uh, th- this is kind of like a negative checkoff scam. It seems like from this email that they will uh, if if you're in those fourteen states, then if people call if people call up and and uh, say Hey, you owe me that money back? Then they'll they'll, they'll send it back. Uh, it seems like if, but it seems like uh, if someone really makes a big stink, they will send it back. Otherwise, no. And and actually, when they do this, they'll actually get away with it because most people just kind of go along with what they're told. That's why these negative checkoff scams work incredibly well in general, because uh, the the people who complain make a relatively small percentage of all customers. 
Most people. Todd, just- you're, you're exactly right. But as far as scams go with StubHub, I'll tell you what a lot of brokers are doing right now. StubHub has left themselves open uh, to, to be out there for a lot of money. And I'll tell you what guys are doing now, especially with a lot of time on their hands. They're getting a guy, they're getting one broker to list a ticket for something that they're pretty darn sure is going to be canceled. They're getting him to list a ticket for, let's just say, $1,000, a, a bullcrap ticket for $1,000. They're getting their friend to buy it, know, knowing the friend, the friend knows that the show is going to get canceled. So they're going to pay the 1000 after fees. Let's say it's 1250 The show gets canceled. The consumer gets back about $1,450, $1,500 worth of credit. That goes to the broker. Now, the broker is going to use that credit on StubHub in the next five years. Brokers buy off of StubHub all the time yeah. to fill requests. It's a no-brainer. Basically, they're giving you gift cards. for You're getting a $100 gift card. You're getting 120 for a $100 gift card. It's a no-brainer. If somebody called me right now and said, Rob, Will you buy fifty thousand dollars worth of sub up gift cards and pay us forty thousand? I'm signing up right now. I'm running the money to their house to do it. That's interesting. I didn't think of that angle. It, it, that's, that's interesting. Oh, it's yeah. It's really easy, Todd. It, I mean, these these people. You got a, you got a lot of guys out there don't know what they're doing, but there's a lot of moves to be made. A lot of moves, especially when you get ticket brokers that have nothing but time on their hands and their backs against the wall and they're not making money. There, there's going to be moves, and that's one of the biggest ones going on right now. I mean, there's guys doing it all over the country. Well, yeah, but you know, StubHub's doing it to themselves, though. They could just uh, not do this 120% just uh, refund everybody, but they're choosing not to. They're trying to – so they've they've obviously – even with that going on, they see that this is the this is really what they need to do, or maybe they don't have the, they don't have the cash at the moment to, to give this money back. I'll give you, for instance, when, when this all went down, they sent me an email, and they said, Rob, here's the deal. It looks like with your canceled events, you're going to owe us a little over $210,000. Right now, we're only holding about $45,000 of your money. Obviously, we're at risk here. We've dealt with you for a lot of years. I called them immediately, and I said, listen, don't take any of my forty-five. I will pay you in full with a credit card. Just give me about three days to get the bookkeeping done. I paid them in full. There are guys, there are guys that owe $1,500, $3,000, $4,000. StubHub can't get these guys to answer their phones. Yeah, yeah, I, I they're done. That's happening. Yeah. StubHub is going to get caught holding the bag. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. But with the, the consumers able to list on them anymore, so it hurts them too. They're out of the business then. Yeah, that is exactly right. Yeah, they will be burnt and will not allow to be selling. But what they'll do is they'll change their email, change their phone number, get a PO box. They'll open up with a different credit card. And there'll be a seller on there in probably about three or four weeks from now yep, selling that, baseball tickets in August. That's true. What a business. They, they can do that, too. Yep. <laughs> that's small, uh, good, old, good old multi-accounting. We know yeah. about that very well. All right. Well, um, that's, that's – hey, hey, wait, hold on, Travis. Hey, hey, yes. hey, Rob, you said five years, but Druffin said one year for the credit. Is it five years? No, it's uh, I didn't actually on any of the emails that I got. I didn't see a timeline, uh, but I, I they, they don't treat me as a consumer as a fan. So maybe the fans got a different email. No, no, I, I see, I see the email. So but I can promise you this: I will spend you know a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year buying off stuff of. So I will get the. I mean, I buy Super Bowls. I buy everything on there. You wouldn't believe how many people miss list tickets below market value, and you can pick them off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that, right. that, that, that's and, that's and that's what I do. Probably, 
And if the credits are transferable, you could probably just buy them off of the public that wants to get rid of them. For, for Trader Ruski, you're very twenty percent, right? So, Trader Ruski, you're exactly right. So we do that. We do that throughout the year. We do sub up in Ticketmaster. Um, we have somebody in our office that monitors online people selling gift cards all the time. And a lot of times, uh, Ticketmaster this year, we were actually getting for about eighty-two cents on the dollar. StubHub, to be honest with you, StubHub, it's the the best deal we can usually get is about ninety-four to ninety-five cents on the dollar. But it's a no-brainer for us. It's a it's free five or six percent. If we're going to go buy five thousand dollars worth of Masters tickets off a of StubHub, why wouldn't we buy gift cards? For even two or three percent below what they cost. Well, so here's it's a question: free money that we're saving. Here's an important question: Here is is this 120 percent they're giving you? Is this attached to your account, or is it just something that can be transferred very easily that that anyone can take? That's well, a great question. They say it's the gift. Be seen. That, it's, yeah, that, that that is a good good question. So far, they've been putting them into people's accounts, and I have not had anybody really try to transfer them. To be honest with you, I, you might not believe this or not. But a lot of brokers have two, three, four accounts for reasons that I don't want to go into right now. No, I don't it. you have to have gift cards in different accounts because the Ticketmaster and all these people, they're, they're stopping, the, they're trying to stop the scalping. So they don't allow you to buy too many tickets and there's got to be an address to the credit card and all that, that rigmarole that they're trying to make it hard for ticket brokers to buy more than a couple tickets. They are definitely doing that. But just so you know, what, what's that guess? Or what's his name? That, 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 that's, that's Vintage One vintage here. One. Hey, 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 Vintage, you, you, what you're talking about, that is 100% correct. And that's all with Ticketmaster only, though. StubHub, oh, does, not, StubHub does not institute limits. You can buy 300 tickets for an event on StubHub. They don't care. They're not the primary. They're the secondary, right. and they're making money off of every one, so they really don't care. But you are totally correct. Ticketmaster, is. if you knew 27 years I've been doing this, if you knew how much it changed just in the last seven years of buying tickets on Friday and Saturday mornings on on sales, oh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's I tough. Do. I, I see my friends that are in the ticket business. They have literally 100 gift cards and 100 ISPs and uh, email addresses, and it's a whole game where they're just, like, bouncing this to this to this, and they're buying these on sales and putting them on. Everything's on a gift card. Everything's a gift card, and that's what's I'll tell you, let me, I'm going to give you one more horror story. There's guys that bought March Madness tickets last April and May 2019 for this year. They used gift cards to buy the tickets. They received the tickets in January of 2020. The gift cards were zeroed out. They don't have the gift cards anymore. The <laughs> events got canceled. The refund goes to the gift cards. Exactly. They don't oh, even boy. have the gift cards anymore That's to get the money. We're all dealing with two, exactly. Yeah, so, you know I'm not BSing visually. So, you know so, 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 what, so what can they do? What, if that happens, are they just... For sure, because it's exactly what all my ticket broker friends are panicking about because they, they did this deal three months ago. These gift cards are gone. They don't have... They, they're, they're saying, hey, we want our credit back. And all they want... They're like, well, what's the credit card number? And they're like, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> Here, I'll give right. you another but one. Brokers are going through, Todd. Individual person. 
Sorry, Rob. Go ahead. Uh, I, this is another one that we're going through right now. We purchase tons of tickets for cash from venues in person. So, for instance, I go to Staples Center. I spend $2,000. I have eight people in line. They pay eight tickets each, all cash, 60 tickets. I get them. I sell them on StubHub. StubHub has a policy. For an event that's canceled, the, the buyer does not have to return the tickets. Well, guess what? I can't get my money back from Staples unless I go back with the tickets in person in my hands. Now, how is that fair? Horror story. Yeah, it's bad. But it's brokering 101. It's big boy ticket sales. You want to be with the big boys? You want to make a million dollars on a Super Bowl? You got to be willing to take a hundred, two hundred thousand dollar hit once in a while. It's true. It's true. It's true. And hey, I've seen yeah. it firsthand. I've seen these guys roll in large, Druff. These ticket brokers, they, these guys that my, my, all my boys, they make a ton of money fast, and and they're not usually hit with a situation like we're in right now. But boy, they they live high on the hog most of the time. This is this is worse than nine eleven. Yeah, not even close. Oh, yeah, guys. far worse. Not even close. Far worse. You guys remember nine eleven canceled the first season of the NFL season, first week, the second weekend they were playing. We were all back in business. Right now, the uncertainty of the future is what's really putting some of these small-time guys out of business. Oh, yeah. Because we don't don't know when we're going to be back in the game. My boy said if the Hollywood Bowl is canceled this year, he's Chapter 11. Yeah, that's... uh... Wow. There's so, so many different industries that are getting beat hard by this, and that's, yeah. this is another one. So yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll see what happens with with StubHub here. It looks like they've. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lawsuit happens uh, down the pike. Uh, now, uh, now uh, a class action suit, of course. Uh, Eric Benzemoker, are you still with us? We kind of uh, he kind of got drowned out by all the all the different people here. Oh yeah, I'm still here, but it, it turns out if if they are going to give you the consumer a choice. Um, I think at least they're operating within the law. I, I still think it's a bit unethical because I think they're likely, most people are likely to not really think it through in detail and say, oh, an extra 20%, that's great. And they just opt for that, um, especially since the money's already out of their account. For those that really do need the money back now, if they've been impacted or unable to, uh, you know, go to work or something like that, um, at least it's, it's, uh, Good to know that they're they're able to get a full refund. Now, now here's here's a question for every for the listeners out here, and I'd like someone to text me this: If you have received an email from StubHub that your only option is to get one twenty percent, because someone sent me this is a consumer I'm talking about, someone sent me an email they got saying that they do have the option to get a cash refund, but my guess is they're one of the people in one of those fourteen states. There's thirty six other states where people uh, do not have that option. Unless they really make a stink, and I have a feeling that email probably reads differently for them. So if you got an email, and you'd only be getting this if you currently hold a ticket, I, I'm assuming, if you're currently holding a ticket that uh, might be canceled. So uh, I, I didn't get an email like this. But if you have an email that does not mention the ability to call up and get a refund, please uh, text a screenshot of that to me, 775-372-8355. Even if you get this when we're not live... I would be interested to see that because uh, I'm very curious if everybody got the email saying that you can call up and ask for a cash refund or if only the people in those 14 states. I have a feeling it was only those people in the 14 states where it says that. And then, if, if, of course, it looks like that the 
people actually have to call up and ask for it. Otherwise, it just defaults to the credit, which, as I said, because it's a, a negative checkoff situation, most people are not going to do. Uh, if, when, whenever something requires an action and that inaction benefits the company, that really, really heavily favors the company. And I've, I've always hated things like that, even though I personally – We'll take the action. I feel very bad for those who don't. In fact, some who don't don't even understand why what they're uh, by th- why their inaction is hurting them, or why they're not getting the deal they think they are. So that uh, makes me upset to see that. So okay, uh, th- thank you, hey, Rob. And Rob, or and Drop, sorry, let me just ask one question. This is Rob would know too, or Eric? So for the events like Coachella, where they announce dates that moving it, I'm assuming they're moving the tickets you bought to those new dates, correct? Yeah, what I was going to explain to Todd earlier, or when I first called, there's a huge difference between canceled and postponed. Yeah. Especially on a secondary market. It is it is, it is is standard practice in a secondary market. If an event is postponed, your ticket is to be honored on the makeup date, whether it's a sporting event, a rescheduled concert, the Masters, whatever it is. And that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, it's always been that way. Now, the primary, for years, the primary, if an event was altered in any way, for instance, if Cher was playing June 1st at the Staples Center at 8 o'clock, and they made, and you bought four tickets, if they made any adjustment to that, if they made the show start at 7 o'clock, if they moved it to uh, June 2nd, if they moved it to December 5th, any slight change, they always offered a 100% refund, and they usually put a time limit on it. They don't want you walking up the day of the show at 5 o'clock with 150 tickets from a broker saying, hey, I need a refund. I can't. My, my customers can't make it at 7. They bought these thinking the show was at 8. They can't make it at 7. They always gave a refund. Now, there are rumblings, and Todd, this is a whole different topic, the Ticketmaster is supposedly going to start not offering cash refunds for postponed events. Mm. So if you buy a ticket, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, you buy a ticket from uh, an event that was supposed to be April 15th that has gotten postponed. Roger Waters, I think, just postponed his whole, whole tour. Rolling Stones postponed. Pittsburgh, they were supposed to be here in June. You bought it for the June show. They're coming now in August or September. Stop, our Ticketmaster always offered a 100% refund if you couldn't go to that new date. On the secondary market, StubHub, Vivid, my company, Primetime Tickets, anybody anybody that's sold a secondary, it's buyer, you hold them. You bought them for that show, they changed the show date, those tickets are good at that date. If you can't use them, it would be on you to resell them. So I believe Coachella, and I don't do Coachella, Coachella was supposed to be just like this past weekend, maybe. No, no, no. Er, 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 no early, no April, early and mid-April, and then it's going to move to, to October. Those. So, if you had tickets for early April, you're going to be able to use those in the fall when it comes. But I, yes. I'll tell you right now, there's events that I want to cancel. Rolling Stones, I want them to cancel. I want to get all my money back from the primary. The Masters, I have a ton of tickets for the Masters that I paid a lot of money for, thinking it was going to be the first week in April, and it's always really good, in October in Augusta is not going to be a highly demanded event, especially 
if the Masters is competing with all these other national events that are supposedly getting moved to the fall, all these other golf outings, maybe the Kentucky Derby, everything. Well, not only I that, I want them to cancel. Not only I that, I, I think any event. Yeah. I, I think any event that's going to have uh, a, mostly older people, like the Rolling Stones, is a good example. That that's another danger that uh, to. The ticket broker, because there may not be as much demand with older people who are feeling skittish about getting together in a large group right after this. Whereas younger people are going to say, oh, great, we can leave again. Okay, wonderful. This is over. We can get back to life uh, because they were never that scared of this in the first place. Whereas the the old people, I think they may be kind of freaked out. They're like, I don't want to go into a crowd for a while. I'm saying the same thing with theaters. I mean, Broadway is going to be brutal. I'm going to leave you guys on this note. I'm going to get off here. I'm on the East Coast. It's getting late. But uh, just a little birdie told me, NFL this season, the preseason games, don't expect there to be any fans allowed in the stadiums. And don't be surprised if five teams don't have any home games this year. New York Giants, New York Jets, New Orleans Saints, and the two right by you, Todd. Don't be surprised that you heard it here first. Okay, well, we will keep. An eye on that. We will keep it. That'll be very interesting if that occurs. That we'll keep an eye on that. And if it is, we'll. I'll, I will track down this little segment and I will play your prediction, <laughs> showing how you were. You were the you one, guys, one hey the first. guys, take care. I love the show, and I'll be listening until I fall oh, asleep. Okay, thank you, Rob. Hey, dude, Rob. Thank you. All right, take, thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Bye, bye. Bye. Hey, can you imagine if if the grand opening of SoFi Stadium has no fans in it? What a <laughs> fucking bomb that is. Uh, well, th- things things are changing every day, and you, you just never know what to expect. Things that seemed insane a week ago or all of a sudden things you think might actually happen. I- I've learned in the last two months not to say, oh, there's no way we're going to get there. There's no way this is going to happen because uh, I'm constantly surprised. And, and what seems just crazy all of a sudden isn't crazy anymore and – uh, it's, it's very surprising. And I, I'm sure you guys are feeling this too. The The year has gone by so slowly. If you can think back to the end of December, how long ago that feels now. It's, it feels like ages ago, December 31st. But we're only talking about three months. Well, the thing is too, Jeff, like mid-February, it's like, shit, it's already mid-February. It went so fast. And then, like, the last month and a half went so slow. Oh, yeah. I, I think about you know, two weeks I, ago. I, mean, I was just... Yeah, I was, I, I was thinking about something I did on, on uh, March 13th, and it seems like ages ago, and that's only uh, 15 days. So it's... it's uh... Can you imagine if you were in a coma for the last three months, and you woke up, and they said, hey, Kobe Bryant's dead, the world's in a complete shutdown pandemic... I mean, it's it's like the most amazing three months change in our at least it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's no, crazy. I, I, it is, and it's it's affects so many things, and it's and I I'm actually personally feeling it less because at least I can play online poker and I can do a lot of things online the other day I was always doing. I'm not saying I wasn't affected. Everybody's been affected, and uh, but uh, some people it's 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 much worse. Some people they've lost their jobs and. Uh, they uh, they they don't know where where the money's going to come from aside from the the government check they're going to be receiving, which we'll talk about a bit later in the show. 
So, okay. Uh, th- thank you to Rob for calling in here. And, uh, Eric, uh, do you think there's, would you predict there's going to be a, a class action lawsuit about this from StubHub or to, against StubHub? I don't know. It's hard to say now. They, there may be some action that's taken, but honestly, if they are offering the full refunds, what I do think you might get is this idea of the 120% and how it's sort of, uh, it was intentionally misleading the consumer to believe they were getting additional value when they weren't as an inconvenience or as a, Sort of as a, you know, giving up certain rights they had to a refund. Um, but at this point, it seems like if they, if they're offering cash refunds for the full, you know, amount that was paid, uh, that's really, you can't really ask them to do more. Well, than what, that. what if they're not directly offering it? What if 36 states are getting emails saying you're only getting 120% and then internally they say if somebody calls up and really bitches about it, they'll give it to them? Uh, w- wouldn't that still be considered a problem from a legal standpoint? Yeah, I mean that. Yes, if they're misleading the consumer and then trying to talk them out of it when they call or contact them or something like that, sure. It's like the Indian casinos that don't want to give you the car, you know. Right. So, <laughs> so sure. I mean, in that kind of uh, situation, yeah, there could be action, especially because StubHub, you know, operates in every state, and you know, at this point, you would you would actually go to federal court because you'd have something called diversity of citizenship. Um, because Stubbo essentially avails themselves to every jurisdiction out there. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I think that uh, it's at least it sounds like they're trying to create policy or maybe do the right thing without, you know, burying themselves completely. And I think that's going to be a common and recurring theme with most businesses that are going to be affected by this, where everybody kind of wants to do the right thing, but they, at the same time, they don't want to bury themselves for doing the right thing. Yeah, and that's and that's that's what I've been seeing too, and I've I've seen some behaviors which uh, do seem unethical, and I think well, I, I know why they're doing it. They're probably thinking that uh, if they don't do this, that they're going to not survive, but but still, it, it screws the consumer, and and a lot of times these are done in misleading fashion, where people are are, are led to believe they're getting some kind of deal. When in reality they're getting screwed, uh, this this would be a good example. And and even the Norwegian cruise line example, I'm hearing. I, I've heard conflicting reports, but I'm hearing something about how it's going to take 90 days to get the cash refund, which to me seems really excessive. So uh, it's a lot of. Well, that's because they're going to because they're waiting for bailout money. Yeah, that's, that's that may be yeah, true. That's your question. Don't consumers have some responsibility to be to understand if they're being ripped off or not? Well, they, no, they do, but well, but but. Well, yeah. hold on. What define ripoff? Because if I'm as a consumer, if I go to StubHub.com and buy concert tickets, I don't foresee them ripping me off or anything. They're no. a, a fairly reputable company. Totally I know going in, that. I'm paying a service fee or a convenience fee or whatever they want to call it. I know that they're not losing money on me if I buy a ticket through them. But you know, that, that's not. It's not the same thing. Like if, like what I've seen around recently, for example, is. Uh, anytime I go on Facebook to look at something, I'll see at least one ad for a $159 vacation in Mexico that I can use anytime in the next 18 months if I book today. Yeah, I now see that, that too. Means, I've been getting right, that too. That screams, <laughs> right, that screams bullshit to me. Yes. Right. Okay, so yes, in that case, as a consumer, I have a responsibility to look into that a little bit. Right. right. But now, now if they're offering $120 or 120% refund and then all of a sudden their prices go up, as Druff says, that's kind of how they mitigate it. They they say they give 120 percent in credit, but their prices go up. Well, but they're they're not they're, controlling that. It's just it's just the market will force the prices up on on their site because these are the the prices are set by those who are selling, 
And uh, and the, the same forces that allow me to buy from panic sellers at the last minute when I, I go to baseball games and get a great deal, it'll be the same forces on the reverse end that drive the price up when everyone's got credit to blow. So that's but is that is right. that possible? So if, if, it, so if the if the concert you want to see next week is canceled and rescheduled, not postponed, because I agree there's a there's a very big difference in that, but it's canceled and then the particular band decides they're going to do another show in nine months from now. Uh, all the people that want to see the show in nine months are going to buy tickets, plus all the people that have this extra 20% on top of their refunds are going to want to rebuy tickets. So you're going to have potentially twice as many, twice as much demand for the same show uh, that you had previously. Because And you're going to have all these people essentially buying with credit that are just going to you know run in and purchase Um so that's right away is going to drive the price. And, and because the credit then, expires, so there's there's an artificial force that's pressing people I, to spend money on the site, right. where, whereas right. before so people are only buying things they want. Of time. And they, those right. also might be the ones that buy them quicker and then resell them again as the prices are being driven up. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, see, I, I don't like this this whole thing with the, with the credit because, because it's something that's that's – User set prices, and then they're then they're giving. It's one thing to issue a credit that's just good forever. Here, everybody's got a year, and some of this year is going to be wasted because you can't buy anything for right now. You have to wait till everything opens again. Who know who knows how long that's going to be? So maybe a year is actually nine months or six months, whatever it is. And then everybody's going to be concentrated into that small period, and there's going to be a lot of StubHub credit that has to be spent in that period of time. And yeah, of course, oh, that's going sure. to. And, and that hundred twenty percent means nothing now. Yes. Because those tickets are five hundred percent now. Yeah, and that's and that's it. So it really is the reverse of what I pull on StubHub, where I, I always advise people if you want to go to a baseball game, unless it's uh, unless it's something that uh, like 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 the Red Sox uh, are coming to town or the Yankees, they have those special uh, interleague games where which those always uh, sell out right away, and those you never get a cheap price on. But even even the postseason, even the World Series, because there's several games of it. Uh, and, and because there's just so much price variance, you always get these panic sellers at the end who can't get the price they were hoping to get. And then it gets closer and closer to game time. And these, these are not brokers. These are just, uh, regular people. And so even the brokers have to adjust because when regular people are lowering the prices, the brokers have to lower to compete with them. And then, uh, so these panic sellers go, crap, if I don't sell this ticket within the next few hours, it's going to be worthless. So then they, they, they panic lower the price and everybody else panic lowers the price. The price falls and I swoop in and go, Oh great. Look at this great deal on this great seat. And I end up in a way better seat than the average person who spent the same amount of money as me. So, so, and I'm, I'm a very proud Jew after pulling that off. So, uh, so this, this is the reverse of that situation where there's going to be just a ton of money flooding in. Uh, from, uh, this credit people have. And so this is not like you're getting, uh, just credit to buy something that, that's a fixed price. This is the, a, a price that's kind of set by the market. And yet there's money that's going to be forced into the market, even for people who don't really, wouldn't otherwise want to spend in the markets. That's a, that really, I mean, Eric brought up a great point that really makes the, the 120 much less valuable. And, uh, and that, bothers me too seeing these tricks about oh, 120 percent that may not be worth what you think just like on norwegian right now the the 125 150 percent you're getting if, if the prices are artificially set high by the cruise line for 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 only those people who are buying that because nobody else is buying the cruise right now then again you're, you're not getting you're not getting the discount you think you are it's the exact same thing it's the exact same thing 
So that's you, you got to watch out for these things if if you are in this situation. If you are a consumer who's who's here, just uh, don't don't just see the word discount or 125 percent and think, okay, great, I'm getting a, a spectacular deal. I would advise in most cases it's probably better to take the cash refund uh, in any of these type of situations, and, rather than play around with with these supposed discounts that uh, may actually not be a discount at all. Uh, and and uh, I just I, I just don't like the, any dishonesty in the whole thing, and I think that if uh, like like the postponement thing, I could see it totally being reasonable that if an event gets postponed, let's look at Coachella. Coachella moved from April to October, okay, and maybe some people uh, they could make it in April, and October is going to be harder for them. I could actually see, given everything that's happened, that everybody who bought tickets for Coachella is told, look. You've got six months to adjust your life. Everything is different now. There's the life is different. Schedules are different. Like, this is a major, major event that's hit the entire world, and we've moved it six months. Find a way to make it work. We're not giving you a refund. Your ticket for April eighth is good on October eighth. Whatever. Uh, find a way to make it or sell it to somebody else. But uh, we're out of it. We're not giving you a refund because the event's still taking place just not the same date, and you have a long time to adjust. I'm actually okay with that because uh, there it's kind of uh, – you have enough time to change it around, and, and the consumer does have at least a little responsibility uh, in, in something like this to, to work with them. Okay, So that I can see – you can't be a jerk about it going, well, I, April was a better date for me than October, so I deserve a full refund. I can see where there the consumer has to give a little bit, but where it just gets outright canceled. And then you're told, here's some credit, go buy something you may not want to go see. Uh, that, that's BS. You should be able to get a full refund, that, in, in my opinion. And, uh, and they, they should have this built in to the company uh, to, to where they, they do have the ability to take whatever loss they take from this. As, as Rob said, you, it's, it's big boy ticket brokering. This is what the large fees were for. And they can't fly by the seat of their pants. To where if something like this happens, then they have to mislead everybody to continue an operation, and that's where that's what I don't like to see. Where where there's some of these companies are, are, are trying to mislead people so they can continue operating, and and that's uh, I, that doesn't sit well with me, even if the smartest of the smart consumers can figure out a way around it. I understand that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so Eric, uh, are you, uh, thank you for coming on. I know uh, you you go to bed a lot earlier than we do. So uh, thank you for coming on, and thank yeah. you very much for uh, all the donations. And uh, we appreciate uh, you being part of the site. Happy to help, guys. Appreciate hey, that. Hey, ask Eric yeah. for yeah. one more time. I'm going to LA one time. Wait, hold, hold on. Myself. <laughs> Everybody at once here. Okay. So I, 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 I didn't hear any of that. I didn't I either. Okay, Trader Ruski, you go. You go sure. first, Trader Ruski. I mean, Vintage one, hold on. A, uh, did you see the story about that lawyer in Vegas? I guess he had represented the victims of the shooting. He has a class action lawsuit against Wuhan for not for hiding the uh, coronavirus for a certain amount of time or something. I did. I posted see it, it in, and... in the chat on that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I I I, I get. Um these different emails from various legal blogs, you know, stuff like that. So I, I did read about it. Uh, I think that that attorney who I don't know personally, but I think he just ruined his reputation <laughs> and will never be taken seriously again. Um, I've had a few encounters with lawyers that have like sued foreign governments and 
Uh, one in particular was convinced by a scam artist. It's a true story. One day I'll, I'll tell you the whole thing. But there was a guy that I actually had, had sued at one point and got a judgment against that had been pawning off this idea to, you know, basically stupid investors that he was in possession of this Peruvian uh, bond for a gold note or something that was worth in excess of a hundred million dollars now with interest over the, you know, the 1800s when they were first printed. And there were such things, but they're really not in existence anymore. And nobody really has them, but he's, you know, he was convincing a, a line of people that he had these and a bunch of people invested money. And one of my clients did, and I, I got a judgment against this guy. Well, this guy, like nine months later, conned some fairly reputable law firm uh, in Encino to sue the government of Peru. <laughs> To, you know, pay on this bond and of course the case was dismissed like i think within 45 days of its filing and you know they look like idiots but, but that's what happened you know so like there's always unfortunately if you know attorneys out there that will try to do something very novel or unique to build a reputation for themselves so the idea that this guy's going to go sue the village of wuhan in the in the country of china you know i guess on on its first surface like wow what a gutsy guy in reality, he's just become a laughing stock of the legal community, and probably has you know no respect amongst his peers anymore. Well, I, when I heard like hearing that, that to me that doesn't sound brave. That just sounds idiotic. That was my my first reaction hearing this. Going, come on, you got to be kidding me, <laughs> suing Wuhan. Well, right, yeah. no, and I, I thought the same thing until we started talking about that company that purchased StubHub for four billion in December, and if there was stuff hidden, like could there be somebody? Because that's like, you know, a specific deal that was compromised because. But I guess it's just useless, right? It's, 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 a, it's a headline grabber, you know. It's an attention getter. The 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 ABA Journal or other legal blogs will post something because it's novel and it's newsworthy at the moment. Um, most people, though, that read those blogs are, you know, people within the legal community or you know, attorneys, paralegals, and so on. And for the most part, we look at that kind of stuff, and you know, we just let out a big sigh. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't. I would not want to hire an attorney who who does who has antics such as that. That just that just seems like someone who just wants attention and uh, uh, wants to do uh, crazy things so, so everyone looks at them, and that they're they're probably much more uh, style than substance, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, vintage vintage one. You had a question for Eric. No, I just wanted to invite Eric over if he's ever in L.A. to come to see one of my shows. This guy's a good dude. He he supports this uh, this website, this uh, podcast. I mean, he deserves to come get a little VIP treatment. So if you're ever in L.A., look Todd up, look me up. We'll make sure you you see a television show the right way. Yeah, this, this vintage one work, works in Hollywood, actually. He has uh... – he works on uh, TV shows, a uh, major TV show, major network TV shows. So, uh, well, that's really great. I, I actually I live in Southern California, and uh, oh, uh, yeah. In fact, it's probably something my uh, my son would love to see. Hundred percent, please. Yeah. Let's set something up once we get back up and running. Uh, I got a, a couple huge shows that I think you guys would love to come see. And, yeah, I think I'd uh, like to do that too. The last time I saw a show being taped live was in the 1980s. I saw only two shows in my lifetime. One uh, one was Head of the Class, and one was Valerie's Family before it was well, called John, the Hogan Family. Well, you should come too. It's it's one of one one of the shows I'm on. It's one of the most iconic living rooms you'll ever be part of. 
Okay. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. No, I, I'm interested in doing that when all this starts up again. So something, yeah. look, something to look forward Very to. And, and, uh, I'll take you up on that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, It'll it be fun. We, we have a couple cocktails. We'll walk around. You'll meet all the cast. They're all my friends. I've grown up with them. It's, oh, it's a good time. Okay, that's 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 very nice here, Vintage. Well, I'm going to take you up on this too. Talk about Mike Possel and this really odd situation that's going on with these supporters of his and this Rounder Life magazine. The whole thing is just incredibly weird. If you ignore the weirdness of the entire situation in the first place, that it was actually a live super user, which I never thought we'd see, but we did. But uh, if you ignore that. He has this weird network of like trolls and supporters, not a whole lot of people, but some very, very dedicated people who are putting out an immense effort to do this like uh, social media blitz to cast doubt upon uh, anyone who's saying he's guilty. And also they, they take pleasure in bashing Veronica, who is the whistleblower of the whole thing. So and and she, there's also like random trolls that show up and just like attack Veronica out of nowhere. So very very much bitterness at Veronica for starting this whole thing, which she should have. So she she did the right thing, as I've said many times. So very much bitterness there, and then a lot of effort being put in by these third parties to make people doubt basically the case of public opinion against Mike Postel. Uh, they're trying to dispel the belief that he's a cheater and i don't I, I it's one thing to have friends that back you but these are people who really are putting out a lot of effort and when i say these people i'm referring to everett caldwell who runs uh, rounder life magazine which nobody had heard of prior to this whole thing <laughs> uh I'm, I'm talking about uh some attorney from new york that wrote an article on there i'm talking about this Asian woman, I don't even know her name, some middle-aged Asian woman who's also a grandma, she claims, that has been just – her name is actually Possible Supporter on Twitter, and she just constantly tweets about uh, Mike Possible being innocent. And uh, the whole thing is so bizarre because I don't know what these people – number one, what they're getting out of it and why they're even doing it. And, and number two, is Possel paying them to do this? Are these like just really, really? Of course really... he is. This is his family, Druff, or his friends. That No one in their right mind would back him with no eggs in the fight, you know? Yeah, I've tried to figure out what the eggs are. I don't I don't understand where, where – like at least with the rounder life, we know that Possel had a connection to the magazine, may have even co-founded it with this guy back in 2007. But, right. but he hasn't been involved actively in many years. We know that, so – uh, the, the whole thing is so weird, and uh, that's been going on behind the scenes, or not so much behind the scenes, it's been going on on Twitter recently, and I've been trying to get them on this show. I asked uh, Everett Caldwell, the owner of Rounder Life, come on here, That's you have so much to say about Puzzle, come on here and say it. I'll give him a chance to speak. And, and what did he say? Uh, he said he's going to interview with Poker News first, <laughs> then he'll come on after oh. that. What a fluff show that is. And then, who knows if that'll even happen? It may just be a stall tactic. Then yeah, this uh, Sarah then, Herring might say something fucking magical. Give me a break. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then, then, then we have this Asian woman who's been going back and forth with me, who's doing this kind of like borderline flirting with me, and 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 pretending like she's got a crush on me, and that she wants to appear on the show. But then when I actually make overtures for her to appear on the show, then she doesn't want to give me her phone number. And then she said, "Well, she'll call in here." 
I go, well, look, just just give me your number. I'll call you up. And she she gives these. She says, "Oh, my, I'm taking care of my grandkids. I I can't have the phone ring. It's, the the whole thing is is uh, is very strange. I'm not even sure if this is even a real person. I mean, I've seen pictures of her. I did see a picture of an Asian woman, like like a not just a picture, but like a video of her wearing like a round her life cap or around her life shirt. <laughs> so so th- there is some woman that has something to do with this, but who knows if she's the one operating the account or it could be have possible you heard operating." Her voice? I've I've never heard her voice. I've never seen a video of her, but I've never spoken to her directly. So who knows That's if she's from Stockton? Yeah, I don't I don't know who that is, and I'm trying to get her to come on here. Maybe she'll come on tonight. Maybe she won't. I sent her the phone number, but the whole thing's so weird. And and adding to the weirdness is that uh, Mike Postle filed a motion in court to have this dismissed, and that by itself is not weird. Remember, there's a case. A civil case being filed that had been filed against him by a, a number of poker players, all being represented in class action by Mac Verstandig. And uh, I, I just realized when I said something about an attorney by Mac Verstandig, I'm like, crap, we have an attorney that needs to come on here to talk about StubHub oh, in a yeah, second. Sure. So, um, you know what? Maybe I should put this on hold and uh, and call Eric. Let's, let's oh see. yeah, get Eric on the line. This is yeah. Well, I want to talk great. about StubHub, and I, I I hate to interrupt this this topic, but uh, but I I do want to get Eric's opinion on the StubHub thing. So maybe I should pause this topic. It was poor planning on my part. Uh, uh, okay, so that, while I'm texting with him, we'll uh, talk a little bit more about this and pause this, do StubHub, and then uh, then come back. So well, hey, Ross, real quick, my question is: How does Possible, What what is his his defense? I mean, it's it, it's it's clear as day when you well, watch that, the video, right? Well, and I mean, what is his defense? Well, there is. That's the stupid thing. I've, I've been bringing this up to this Asian woman here. There is no defense. What they do, what they've been doing, is they've been running interference by picking, nitpicking a lot of little inconsequential matters that they say people are wrong about, and they're avoiding the meat of the entire thing. And I say he hasn't given a real defense. He he could have appeared on live at the bike and demonstrated that he can play the same way without help, and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do anything. He wouldn't explain any, any of his plays. He wouldn't demonstrate how he could play this way anywhere but on the Stro- Stones live stream. Uh, he, he couldn't explain his thinking in any of these hands. Uh, when he appeared in the on the Mike Mattisau show, he just babbled. He babbled on about uh, playing on UB back in two thousand eight, and nothing having to do with the the current situation. Uh, he, so the funny thing is they. He is not presenting any kind of coherence defense to this, and the people supporting him are not either. They're just focusing on minutia and just trying to make noise and confuse everybody. Which And that's what makes you know that those people are directly – if it's not him, it's people in his corner trying to just clear it up. I mean you can't fight the win rate. The win rate's what busted the pot ripper. Yeah, right. I mean that's – it's not just – I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not just the win rate. It's, it's also the fact that – he he wasn't even smart enough to make mistakes for any kind of like fairly big pot every once in a while. He he could not bring himself to lose a big pot. He the always greed kills every fucking cheater. Eventually, they can't stop them. Yeah, they they can't help it. They can't just say, "Look, this will look better if I ever get caught." I can point to such and such big hand where I lost a ton of money that there's no way I would have played this way if I could see the cards. Instead, he only lost the small pots, and any big pot, he always did the right thing. And if he was being bluffed, then he'd rebluff them even bigger. If they if he was being coolered, somehow he'd lose the minimum. Uh, exactly. So he always. I- he always knew how to prevent himself from losing a big pot, 
And in all okay. those, uh, except for the few streams where it was apparent he wasn't cheating, there was no stream where someone could point out where it seemed like he was cheating and then lost a big pot in that stream. It never happened. Exactly. It never happened where, where a session where he was accused of cheating, you could find even one hand where he lost a big pot. And there's no way. There's no way in No Limit Hold'em you can't play – you can play all that time and never lose a big pot. But he managed it. So uh, well, he, he, lo- he lost – I think the only pot he ever lost is where he tried to bluff someone who made a, a stupid but what turned out to be smart call. <laughs> someone who just couldn't be bluffed with ace high who called it <laughs> uh, like a tremendous re-raise that uh, if the, right, the, the player had any sense. Yeah, someone like stupid themselves into, into making a genius play. So uh, that was the only time he managed to lose a big pot. So, so like they, they want answers to this. It's, it's, it's very stupid. Could I could I just answer if somebody asked what's Mike Pockle's defense? Yeah, please. <laughs> we all want to know. Well, so I'm not being sarcastic when I say there there are defenses, and the specific defenses get laid out when he files an answer, and there's all sorts of things. One of the defenses is going to be something called contribution, which is essentially a defense that says. If a jury holds me liable, they can only hold me liable for a certain percentage of these losses because there were other people involved that caused these losses. So it's a defense of uh, of minimization, right? Mitigation, if you will. Very so that's so that's one of the so because when people think legal defenses, they assume it's like not guilty and we'll fight it, or it's not like that in civil court. There is a slew of affirmative defenses you can use, and and they they, they you know run. Up the, you know, all the way across the board. So that's one of the first ones. Second one he's going to do is he's going to argue a, a standing issue because without having the direct victims and the, and their and their accounting of specific losses. Now bear with me because this is going to be a technicality, but this is how he's going to. I'm telling you here on March 28th at 10:30 p.m. Eric predicts how Mike Possible gets off. You aren't going to be able to tie specific dollar amounts per player, per session, and truly gauge damages. So at the end of the day, in a civil lawsuit, if there are no damages, there's no case. So people could have lost, but you can't, because what about the hands that he was the better hand anyway? You can't count those losses. So you have to start an accounting, even if you do it backwards, and try to figure out what each player lost per session, and only if they would have been cheated, and then you have to prove the cheating. Yeah, so, you're right. In no limit, in no limit hold'em, that can be tough. At least in limit hold'em, you can see I can see what the bet size is likely would have been uh, here, or, or what they were here with no limit. You could say you can say that uh, how much of this would he would have bet anyway? How much was he betting because he was cheating? It, it's, it's it is kind of hard to quantify. Very a limit hold'em. It, it's it's easy because you know what the maximum bets are on a floor bet or, or cap or whatever per round, and you can run those back. Um, but you're right, in no limit. And then you have to map that to each individual player. And what if you're in a three-way pot, right? So player A has pocket jacks. And there was a thing in your, on the forum, right? Pocket nines loses and hits quads and loses, whatever. So you, what if you're in a three-way pot, right? And Apostle's got uh, tens and, you know, whatever. The other two guys have better hands, but he bluffs them out. But one of them would have lost anyway to the other player. So should possibly credit for that back? You know, there, there's so many variables to calculating actual damages and how to construct it. I think they're not going to be able to, to, to relate them all back. You're, you're not going to have the right victims. And then you're going to have contribution because you're going to say that but for Stones broadcasting and streaming and making this equipment vulnerable, the cheating wouldn't have happened. 
So how much of this is Postle's fault and how much of this is Stone's? Now, I will say that... And by that, the way, yeah. that's, where I think, that's, why, that's where I think Mac Verstandig is going to win. He's going to get Stone's. And, and again, I just think their insurance is going to pony it up. But that's what it's going to come down to. Stone's made their, their equipment and their room vulnerable. And it's because of that that Postle was allowed to uh, conspire with the other guy, I can't remember his name, and Justin, Justin Caritas, yeah. Right. But well, right. also, uh, Stones is the the collectible one, whereas uh, Apostle probably isn't, and uh, oh, and Justin Caritas sure. probably isn't. So, yeah, from a practical perspective, you always want the insurance, the insured uh, defendant. But but I'm saying either even if they weren't, that, that's a that's a more solid defense. You can even say, well, Apostle's only responsible for twenty or thirty percent of the losses because Stones and their employees make up the other two thirds. Okay, right, Stone well, is one third. Justin is one third. Apostle's one third. Okay, well that's that's so, that's interesting. That is so fascinating, and that that's such an amazing take that I would have never pulled out of that. No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have either. And uh, but by the way, uh, Eric, first of all, I'm, I'm happy you told us all this because I, I wouldn't have thought of this either. Uh, but uh, when we were discussing earlier what the defense was, we were actually talking about the defense. Kind of, at least I thought. We were talking about the defense kind of to the community of like, uh, because these people on Twitter are not even defending from a legal standpoint. These people on Twitter and on Rounder Life are trying to say, this is why the public should not blindly believe that Postle's a cheater. Here, here's why there's doubt, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, no, we actually should believe it because it's, uh, it's obvious. And, uh, so they're, what I'm talking about, like, they're not even offering a real defense to the meat of the accusations against him. I'm talking about it in the community, not in the courtroom. And, oh, you uh, mean like the, the online defenders? Exactly. Yes, the, that's what I was oh. referring to. I was referring to the online defenders of uh, and and that Rounder Life magazine and all that nonsense that they're they're oh, tr- okay. they're trying so hard, and I don't know why. Like I don't understand what they think they're going to gain here because no one's mind is going to be changed by this. So I I don't quite understand why why all the <laughs> effort. But but, uh, but well, we know he was cheating now. So it's how does he wiggle his way out legally from having. Too much vulnerability, right? And that, and that makes sense, but but these these people on the side, they're they're not helping him legally. They're only helping him uh, reputation wise, but they're not helping because well, no one's buying his it. Family or him and his I wonder how many of those people are doing it just so they can be on sort of the opposite underdog side to get more attention for themselves. You know, there's always like that one kid in school that we all had where. Everybody says, you know, that this kid threw a spitball, but there's always the one guy that says, "No, I didn't see it." And it's almost like just to get more attention on himself. Well, I thought that at first. I thought that at first, but then it turned out Rounder Life actually does. He was associated with them back in 2007. So this was some friend of his that and one time business associate. That uh, so 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 that's why that guy is doing it now. This this Asian woman, I have no idea. She might just be a contrarian, like you're saying. With her woman is Mike himself, or it could be Mike using her account. Yes. Like there, there is an Asian woman involved in this. Like she, there is a real Asian woman wearing the rounder life clothing and stuff. So she's not like a complete fake, but, uh, but it could be that like it's her account, but Mike is, is using it a lot. And that's why, that's why she doesn't want to call in here because it's been Mike doing all the talking. Exactly. Like could, I'm not saying for sure, but I'm all the efforts to have her call in. Why wouldn't she, if she's such a devote defender of Mike? Well, not only that, she's saying she wants to c- come on, but then when I actually take her up on it, then there's all these excuses. Exactly. Little shady. The whole thing is weird. Exactly. <laughs> the whole thing is very weird, and I, I can only explain about half of it. Okay, well, thank thank you, Eric, for coming on here, and uh, it's always 
new things to think about from from Eric Benzamoke and from. Sure, the, that was amazing. That he, was amazing. He, he, he brings he brings the legal uh, the, the legal perspective a lot of times we don't see. So thank you very much. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. Man. Good night. See, it's, it's very very useful. That was pretty amazing, Hunter. I mean, we thought it was just uh, one way. There's no way that this guy could. There's any defense to it. And Eric brought up about 15 defenses. Well, I, I thought so I, I have legit and relevant. Yeah, I, I have thought of, of defenses before. I hadn't thought of the ones he brought up. Uh, I, I, I thought of the defenses from the standpoint of just uh, basically saying no. Uh, these are sore losers. They, they, uh, I wasn't cheating. They can't prove I was cheating, and, and just basically confusing everyone to the point where they go, yeah, it's not clear Mike was cheating. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but uh, we don't feel confident enough to to give the judgment to the plaintiffs. Now, now of course, the, the burden of proof required, and this is important for people to understand, uh, in civil court is much, much less than in criminal court. In criminal court has to be beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a pretty high standard. In, in uh, civil court, it's preponderance of the evidence, which means if there's a uh, 50.01% on one side, that's the side who wins. In, in civil court, so that's it's a much that's that's in fact why uh, in the the OJ trial in the nineties uh, he was not convicted criminally he should have but he wasn't but uh, civilly they got the judgment against him and there was a uh, a much lower standard that they had to prove in civil court uh, mm-hmm. against OJ so it's, it's it's that now there is no criminal case against Mike Possel there will not be a criminal case against Mike Possel anyone who thinks there is is naive uh, interesting thing Druff really that that. Eric was bringing up was that it's like even if Eric, even if Mike is saying I am guilty, there are all these angles to his guilt that he can defer away from. That oh, how can you prove how much I've lost? Yeah. I've taken from this person or this person. I mean, so many little angles to yeah, I'm guilty, but can you really charge me for this amount? You yeah, know, yeah, that's, that's the amazing part. Now, now, uh, so let's let's. Now that we're into the Mike Possell topic, uh, I, I want to talk about the article that uh, came out on Rounder Life. Rounder Life is a, uh, a magazine slash website. I don't even think a magazine publishes anymore. But uh, it's it's a website that also uh, was originally there to support the magazine. And uh, it's has been publishing articles mainly just in support of Mike Postle. And in fact, nobody I know had heard of them prior to this Mike Postle thing. Uh, nobody. So, so the, when I first heard of this Rounder Life, I'm like, okay, maybe I just wasn't aware. But no, it's a, nobody knew about it. I don't even know what what they were doing with it all this time. I know there's some point that the website was down. But uh, they've only come into prominence because of the Mike Postle situation. Initially, I thought, okay, well – I know what they're doing. They're just being contrarian to get attention to something that uh, no one's paid attention to because this thing's been around since the, the 2000s, so the, and it's never caught on. No one's paid attention to it. It's, it's tried to become a relevant uh, poker magazine and poker website, but nobody cared about it, and, and the marketing of it was, was pretty poor, hence the reason we didn't hear about it. So I thought this is the way they get their name out there, which it might be that too, but it's more than that because it was found that Mike Postle was actually involved with the magazine, at least in 2007. He even had a, uh, a, a rounderlife.com email address at one point. So this is not neutral. There's no chance it's neutral. Uh, it, it seems that at the very least uh, Mike Postle became friends with Everett Caldwell, who started and currently owns Rounder Life. Maybe at one point Mike Postle co-owned it with him. Maybe Mike Postle did work for him. Uh, the fact that they're trying so hard on Rounder Life here – 
it, it it shows that it probably is still a strong friendship between Everett Caldwell. Now, Everett Caldwell, he said he'll come on here after he's on Poker News. We, we always get scooped in some way. I, we never get anyone at first. But, uh, but Everett Caldwell said he would come on here uh, after he appears on Poker News. Who knows if he's going to really do that. But but he's been putting a lot of effort into into this. And uh, Rounder Life released an article about Haley Hints. And I've talked about Haley Hints before. Uh, Haley Hints is uh, a very, very good uh, poker investigative reporter. She did the most investigation of anyone about the absolute poker scandal. I mean, more than anybody. She, you cannot find a person on this earth who knows more about the absolute poker scandal other than the, the, the cheaters themselves. So uh, she was really a huge thorn in their side. She did tremendous work with that. Uh, and so she's and she's done so many different articles, very good and well researched investigative articles over the years. Many times they talk about something on this show that she brought out into Poker News, uh, and 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 she, I, I have a lot of very good things to say about her. She she's an honest person. She does not uh, sensationalize. She doesn't exaggerate. She doesn't lie. She will even make it clear in her articles whether she's giving an opinion about something or whether these are researched facts. This is a very ethical reporter, Haley Hintz. I've met her in person uh, and, and, and we've talked before in person. I, I just saw her last year uh, during the World Series. So um, we're not close personal friends or anything, but but I, I get along well with her, and, and I've always had uh, a lot of respect for her work, especially given my uh, interest and, and personal victimhood in the absolute poker situation. So uh, she wrote about Postle, which is one of many topics she writes about. She she was not one of the people obsessed with the Postle story or anything. She was uh, she covered it like many other poker news organizations have, but uh, they've really been focusing on her recently. And, and trying to discredit her. So Everett Caldwell wrote an article recently on Rounder Life called An Industry Veteran's Error Leads Reputable Media Outlets Awry. And, and most of this article is, is bashing Haley Hintz and, and trying to find minutia where they claim she was wrong. So it starts with Haley Hintz, a veteran poker industry news reporter, can't seem to get to her facts straight. Haley recently penned an article at kickasspoker.com related to defendant Michael Postle's response to a class action lawsuit filed on behalf uh, of Veronica Brill et al. Now, let's stop for a second here. What, what are they talking about? Well, uh, Mike Postle submitted a response to the lawsuit against him where he was asking them to dismiss it. Now, that by itself doesn't mean very much. That would be expected. But here, here's the, uh, the funny thing here. First of all, Mike Postle's uh, response was submitted by him, but clearly he didn't write it. It has a very complex legal language and cites uh, case law. There's Some of you have heard Mike Postle talk before, and there's no way that guy wrote that. He also has no legal training. Uh, this is someone uh, – like if, if pressed, I could write a, uh, a, a fairly convincing-looking legal document, but I, I, I couldn't come close – it, writing a legal response to, to looking like a, a real attorney wrote it. I, I could fool the layperson to look like a real uh, a real attorney wrote it, but uh, but I could not write one that would uh, that the attorney would read and say, "Oh, I, an attorney wrote this." I just don't have the training, okay? And I and I'm pretty good at that sort of thing, but I just don't have the training. And uh, uh, so th- this response that Postle submitted was definitely written by an attorney, not him. So he had some attorney helping him. Uh, there's some suspicion as to who that is, uh, which which I'll get to shortly. 
But uh, so he submitted that. But uh, the funny thing about his response was that he accidentally doxed himself because on the top left of page one of the response, it says, Michael Postle, 3724 Deer Walk Lane, or Deer Walk Way, Antelope, California, 95843, telephone number 916-790-4112. And then it has an email address at, at, at Yahoo. Uh, the funny thing here is that <laughs> he doxed himself in the response and uh, – it's right up there for everybody to see. This this is public record, and this was posted on Rounder Life. So you, you can't even say that. Uh, oh well, someone would have to go dig for this. This was actually right on uh, Rounder Life. So uh, this already raised a few questions. First of all, Mac for standing on March twenty fourth wrote this on Twitter. It is peculiar that Rounder Life has obtained. Apostle's motion, quote, filed this late afternoon. Council were emailed copies earlier. It had not been docketed, hence no clerical stamp appearing thereupon. All forbear from commenting on the motion. So basically he's saying, how does Rounder Life, which claims not to be involved, have this so fast when it hasn't even been docketed yet? There's no no stamp on it, nothing like that. They didn't get this from the court system. How do they have this if they're not working directly with Mike Apostle? And, of course, the answer is... They are. <laughs> so, this was a, a, an article of March 24th, which says uh, Mike Possel asked court to dismiss complaint, and uh, and they they actually have full response, filed response. You can click on and see. This is on Rounder Life site. With the, the, well, it's it, it's it's been blacked out now, but it, at the time, if you clicked on it, then the the information was up there. They've since blacked it out smartly, but. That's why, first of all, Mike Possible is a cheater, so screw him. I don't care about uh, giving out his info. Uh, but uh, I, I hadn't anyway. Just, you know, I, I just, I, I wasn't going to go that far and, and post his personal info. But uh, he posted his own personal info. He he sent a copy of this to them, clearly. They couldn't have gotten it any other way. So he sent a copy to them, and they posted it up there with, with his, his personal info right up there. This is his mouthpiece, this site, this Rounder Life. You read, you read everything on Rounder Life, it's all pro-possible. It's very, very pro-possible. 100% they're trying to make possible look innocent there. And they posted up his personal info. So that's why I don't, uh, I don't mind giving this out. Now, now they've blacked it out, but everyone saw it already. It's too late. Plus, screw Mike Possible. If some innocent guy, I say, okay, now that it's blacked out, I'm not going to give it out. Screw him. You know, this is this is not protected information in any way. So so there it is. Um, I'm not encouraging anyone to do anything illegal with this information, but but there it is. So that was on the top left. So that was the first dumb thing they did. Uh, some someone didn't think this through very clearly. But uh, also in this. So Haley Hintz wrote about this whole thing. But she also mentioned in her article that there was something interesting that. The. uh the top left header changed where the, the email address for Michael, Mike Postle was at first listed as roundermagpro at gmail.com. So Mike Postle, who's supposedly not associated with Rounder Life anymore, his email address was roundermagpro at gmail.com. Now, do you think he'd still be using that email address 13 years later if the last time he was associated with them was in 2007? 
Oh, hell no. So, so obviously he's still a quote, rounder mag pro, or at least has a very close connection with them and doesn't mind being called a rounder mag pro. Like if he's separated from them and hasn't had anything to do with them in 13 years, there's no way he'd still be using that address. He would have switched, addre- okay, sw- switched addresses <laughs> a long time ago. So, so realizing quickly that he screwed up, he switched the email address to some Yahoo address. Uh, but it was too late. Everyone caught it. So Haley's article mentioned because he's such a genius. Yes, so Henry sure. Haley's article mentioned that, and and she also mentioned about like who did this whole uh, filing for him, like who who wrote this for him, because clearly Possible didn't write it. He doesn't have the training to have submitted such a document. Uh, she said that at, at first she was saying that it was a, a Sacramento area attorney named Owen Hughes. But then an attorney who posts on Poker Fraud Alert, not Eric Benzamokin, but a different one who posts under the name Joe D, pointed out that uh, Owen Hughes, uh, there is no attorney Owen Hughes in Sacramento that uh, is licensed to practice in California, uh, but there is an Owen Hughes that was represented by uh, Postle's old attorney, William Portanova, in a different Are we case. Sure that's not Eric in. in... <laughs> <laughs> so, so this Owen Hughes. Uh, Probably wasn't the one who wrote it, but the funny thing is, in, in this filing, before they corrected it, it actually said, uh, at one point, this is in Postle's filing, at one point it referred to Mr. Hughes instead of Mr. Postle. <laughs> so it really looks like this uh, William Portanova, who definitely represented um, Owen Hughes in a different case, totally unrelated to this, uh, pro- he probably helped Postle. We don't have proof of this. He probably helped Postle and probably copy and pasted a lot of stuff that he felt applied to both cases in- into Postle's and then forgot to change Mr. Hughes to say Mr. Postle. And uh, like he-, he made a few other mistakes where it, it appeared from the what was submitted that uh, that Postle was being represented and then it was quickly changed to showing that it was Postle representing himself. There- there's a number of errors which would have occurred from such a copy and paste. Uh, so – Apostle officially submitted this in pro per, representing himself, but clearly someone wrote this for him. It probably was this William Portanova. Uh, why is William Portanova representing Apostle but not representing him? Why is he doing this work behind the scenes but not officially representing him? I don't know, but uh, someone is. If it's not William Portanova, which I think it is, uh, then it's some other attorney is helping him behind the scenes. Anyway, Haley Hintz wrote an article about this, and other than making the mistake about Owen Hughes, uh, the rest of the article was, was, was pretty right on. And uh, Rounder Life then wrote an article about Haley Hintz, which is what I'm talking about now, uh, after that, and just taking her to task about a bunch of stupid, minute things. So they're writing things like, uh, uh, what's peculiar is if the draft hints w- uh, held was sent for Postle's camp, it would only have been sent to attorneys involved in the case, specifically Mike, Michael Lippman of Stones, Richard Patcher of, uh, of Justin Courageous' attorney, and Mac Verstandick for the plaintiffs. Why would any of these, would, why would any of these attorneys then send a, an unofficial document to Haley Hints if they knew it wasn't going to be filed? Who would have sent it? Since the evidence shows that Rounder reported the correct document, it's not fair, fair to ask Haley if the subtly edited document she published is a peculiar that she obtained a motion that had not been docketed. Who cares? I, Haley got it. See, this is, this is what I mean. They're, they're focusing on, on the dumbest things here. Who cares how Haley got it? It's clear that the – and then they even tried to make the accusation that this Rounder – roundermagpro at gmail.com that it may have been Haley editing this, that it wasn't them. It's just dumb things like that. That Haley has zero history in all her years of reporting ever doing anything like that. 
She would never falsify anything. They're also trying to say that uh, because anyone could choose any email address at, at Gmail, just because Mike Possel, even if this was his address, roundermagpro at gmail.com, um, just because he has that email address doesn't mean he's actually a rounder mag pro. <laughs> okay, let's look at this. Rounder Mag is defending him at every turn. He was once associated with them for sure. So it's just a coincidence that his email address is roundermag pro. He just made this up out of nowhere. Like, where are they even going with this? It doesn't even make any sense. So, so if they're trying to say that uh, that email means nothing, that's stupid. If they're trying to say that that Haley could have been modifying this herself, uh, no. Like, it's 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 insane. So, the, the whole article that they're doing there is just trying to make noise, trying to make people doubt things. And they, they go on in the article, uh, this obsession with Kevin Rax, the, the cancer patient who died uh, last year, who, um, who was accused of, uh, Mike Possel was accused of cheating him on the stream too. There's this long segment saying that, uh, that, that Possel was falsely accused, that he didn't actually beat Kevin Rax. That why is everyone saying this? This is so terrible to be accusing Possel of this, that, that uh, Possel busted his stack once against uh, Kevin Rax. I, now, I haven't looked into whether he beat Kevin Rax or not. Uh, maybe Rounder Mag is correct. Maybe maybe they're full of crap. I don't know. But who cares? Yes, it's worse if he ripped off a cancer patient than ripped off the average person. But let's say Mike Possel had a heart, and while he was cheating, he thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not that bad of a guy. I'll rip off the average person, but I, I won't rip off a guy who's about to die of cancer, so I'll go easy on him. Does that make Mike Possel not a cheater? No, it just means that... Uh, he at least had a little bit of a heart not to rip off a cancer patient. That's if he didn't rip off the cancer patient. He ripped them off. But 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 that's inconsequential here because it's such a small part of the overall accusation against Postle. So what I keep seeing from Rounder Life is they pick out these small details that they claim are inaccurate, and then they harp on them. The first thing they did was harping on the total amount that round that. Uh, Apostle was said to have won, claiming, well, Apostle, he probably only won about 50% of what they're claiming, and here's all the reasons why. Well, who cares? 50% of what he won is still way excessive. It's to the intent. It, it's not just the intent. It's that even if he won 50%, that's still super excessive and indication, indicative that something's wrong. So uh, it, it was such, such an order of magnitude above what he should have won, even running hot in, in the amount of time he played, that uh, – that, that, Cutting it in half doesn't do anything as far as the argument that he's innocent. So that all they're doing here is trying to pick out small holes that aren't that consequential and saying, look, these things are wrong. And therefore, if these are wrong, everything has to be wrong. No, that's I mean, I guess that's not a bad tactic if that's all you have. But that's not convincing at all. What's convincing is to say, here's why Possel didn't cheat. Here's why his actions make sense. Here's why the, these plays that people are claiming are crazy plays are not actually crazy plays. Uh, here's why Postle hasn't given any, given any good defense to this. Here's why Postle won't appear on any other stream and demonstrate that he can still play like this and win at such a rate and make these t- same type of plays and reads. Uh, that would be compelling. That would be something that could be convincing. He's basically yeah, and even with the Justin guy. <laughs> Yeah, the Justin guy left the job. You know that whole he just disappeared. Right, right. There's another article he wrote in defense. One's guilty without the other. Yeah, they, they wrote this whole article in defense of Justin. Well, there's a lot of questions about Justin. Why, when when Veronica brought the matter privately 
keep in mind, Veronica didn't come forward until six months later. After going privately in March of 2019, she went to Justin and said, you know, I don't want to make a big deal about this anywhere, but I want to tell you privately, I think Mike is cheating. And a number of people do, too. And Justin just told her she's crazy. Justin just basically said, no, no, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know poker like I do. You don't know poker like Mike does. You just don't understand. He, he thinks at a different level. You, you just don't get it, Veronica. You, you, I understand the concern. I understand uh, why you're bringing it to me. But no, no chance, zero chance, no way, no how. Uh, if Even if Justin was completely innocent and had no idea this was going on and this was all happening, if there was someone else in the booth who was helping Postle and somehow the wool was po- pulled over Justin's eyes, which would be very hard to do, especially for another six months after he was made aware of it by Veronica. But but when this is brought to him, for him not to do an investigation into this, for him not to look into it and continue allowing this to take place and continuing to promote Postle as this godlike poker player, uh, right there is already massive negligence on Justin's part. It shows guilt. It shows guilt by not wanting to... To change the whole perspective of what's going on. Yeah, so this is this is a case where even if Justin didn't know, he should have known because it was brought to him. It was brought to him, and he did nothing. And and he, and they also claim to have done a quote investigation, which they can't explain, nor can they even outline what they did in this investigation. So exactly. so so clearly, Justin either was in on it, which if I had to guess is what happened, or. Uh, or he was so incompetent that even when it was handed to him on a silver platter that this cheating is going on right under his nose, that uh, that somehow it still continues another six months. It, it, either on, either way... Uh, he's so involved in it. It's, there's no way he's that stupid and that naive. That's that's what I would think. So so that's why these these articles are so insane. And, and so all they all these articles do is they just make noise. They just, and here's what I compared it to on the forum when I was discussing this. Let's say a woman realizes her husband's cheating on her and she uh she sees uh, she thinks back and thinks about uh nine different times that he's disappeared for long periods of time and she's just she's convinced that uh that he was banging other women and uh she has a lot of circumstantial evidence that was happening and uh when she confronts him he says well you're telling me these nine times. Well, let me tell you, the fourth of those nine times, I was at the dentist. When you said I disappeared at 3 p.m. on that Wednesday, uh, I can show you I went to the dentist. I can show you the charge of my credit card for the for the cavity I had filled. I can get my dental records and show you. So, ha, that shows I wasn't cheating on you. And she goes, well, what about the other eight? What, what, what about the other eight times? Well, what about this one time, though? I was at the dentist, and you thought I was cheating then. So if I was not cheating then then I must have not been cheating those other eight times. So that's that, of course, wouldn't be convincing to, to, to well, anyone. Everyone would say no unless you can explain the other eight times. Then just because she got one of them wrong of the nine, that doesn't mean that the other eight you were innocent. So that's, that's what's going on with Postle here is they're finding small things that maybe the accusers were wrong or partially wrong, but but the main allegations here are not being addressed, and they can't be addressed because it's – very clear to me and everybody else in the poker community that Mike Postle is guilty. And uh, it's such a weird cast of characters, too. So we have this Eric Caldwell and this weird rounder life thing, which is is, is still pretending like it's a real magazine, and a real thing beyond just a Postle mouthpiece. But there's no evidence that anyone reads it for anything else. And it has like from it what knows. I can from what I can, from what I can see, it has like no traffic. And but but like if you go to the site, it looks like a major uh, a major poker and gambling news site 
So the, he, this Everett Caldwell really puts effort into it. But as far as I can see, like, I don't know if anybody's going there other than to read the Apostle stuff. And, and then here's the other weird thing to it. There is a feature on there called, and I'm not kidding, Girls of Rounder Magazine. Oh, <laughs> and even funnier, you can actually apply to be a girl of Rounder Magazine. <laughs> I'm going to apply. And there's one up there. There's one up there named Catherine, and who knows where that came from. I wonder if he just like grabbed that image off of Google. But there's a, a, a girl in a bikini, a hot girl in a bikini named Catherine, that she's supposedly a girl of Rounder Magazine. Uh, if then, that girl, his name is Catherine, I'll give you a million dollars. But hold on. If, if you're a female listening to this show, you have a chance to also be a girl of Rounder Magazine. It says... We're back and we're looking for our next cover girl. Photo submissions on display for rounderlife.com and live events. What live events? Have they ever had a live girl, event? Girl, send your submissions in as soon as possible. <laughs> are, are now being accepted. Please fill out our form number one below and contact casting at rounderlife.com for more information. Then you get to see, Ka- you see Catherine in a bikini again. Then you have to listen to this. You have to submit photos for review. <laughs> Now, what do you think? Send all your videos to dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com and we will, we will vent them to get them yeah, to the. We will store. review them. So Everett Caldwell, I think he's like a 57 year old dude. Do you think these models that they're going to send all these, these pictures for him to oh, review? How, how do you think he's going to review them? You think it's going to be in, in bed with his laptop and a, oh, uh, sure. a box, a box of Kleenex? Right swipe, left swipe. <laughs> It's going to be with a box of Kleenex and uh, oh, yeah. oh my goodness! So this, that, like, I, I wonder if, if has anyone ever submitted this besides? Uh, I, I wonder who this Catherine is. Like, did he really get some girl dumb enough to become a, a rounderlife.com girl thinking well, he gets something big? The or the part is these girls. You, you should do an image search for it, Jeff. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if if he bamboozled some girl who wants to be a model to. To, to, like thinking that rounderlife.com was, was huge. Of course. I work in Hollywood. Well, There's, do an image. Every girl wants do, do to an be image known. search. They probably just grabbed it off the web, don't you think? Well, no, I, I think Vintage One is right. There's probably there's so many girls out there. Oh, I guarantee that people are submitting things here. Uh, yeah. Well, they had to find it first, but uh, but if he put out ads on Craigslist or something, he may have been able to fool some stupid girls into doing it without realizing that they're uh, they're becoming the face of some fail site. But uh, so- the hustle here for models is so intense that all they they think. I mean, it's it's the law of attraction. It's like get your name and face out as into many as many places as you can, and maybe something sticks. You know what? I, sh- I should start taking applications for girls of poker You should. Come on. Let's <laughs> start a campaign and get the fa- the girls of poker fraud alert. I mean, the, I the, mean, the problem is that I think the the real girls of poker fraud are like seventy, but uh, I can get some that just whatever. pretend. Whatever. If we can get them in bikinis, <laughs> it's a win-win. Okay. Well. Uh, so that's that's up there. You can see that there's a, a very clear place you can apply if you if you are a, a girl listening to the show who'd like to apply to be a girl of rounderlife.com, be the be the face of the propostle movement. You can. Uh, the, what what a mess this is. This is just so strange. So you have her and then you have this Asian grandma. And if you want to see this Asian grandma, uh, this this is so bizarre. Her, she's 
grandma underscore poker grandma underscore poker on twitter her her name attached to the account is possel star supporter the star is like a little star possel supporter with a star between possel and supporter there and then there's a picture of her and she looks like a typical middle-aged asian woman and and there's a video of her wearing round her life clothing uh at a skating rink or something but uh I, I don't know what she really is, but all she ever does is tweet about Possel. It's not like she's got a life outside of Possel. Her whole life, according to her Twitter account, is to support Rounder Life and Possel. I don't know where she's supposed to be from, but uh, she insists she's a grandma and that she's in her late 40s, and she won't even explain why she's supporting Possel. In fact, she claims that she is friends with, quote, the plaintiffs, or some plaintiffs, referring to the people who were cheated by Mike Possel. She put, it's a laugh track. <laughs> yeah. So it says, self, self-proclaimed rounder life pro, friend of some plaintiffs, but sided with Possel as evidence never supported their claims. <laughs> so this is, this is just so stupid. And she's got 135 followers. And I, it, this is so weird. And she, but I she, mean, if that's not Mike Possel, <laughs> well, the, I, mean, I don't know. The only thing is, the, the account has existed for uh, five and a half years, so it's not, it wasn't okay. just created for this. But I okay. really think this was a real uh, account of, of a real woman that that is associated with someone in all this, and that uh, it, it's either she's just been bamboozled into doing this, or that uh, she's sharing her account with Possel or Everett Caldwell to just make it appear there's more supporters than there are. Right. Right. The whole thing. I would agree with that. Yeah. The whole the whole thing's so weird, especially the the weird reluctance to appear on the show after expressing interest. It's not like she's shy. She's constantly tweeting at me, constantly making like, like trying to do this weird flirting with me and saying she has a crush on me and she wants to come on the show. And I say, okay, let's let's come on the show. Well, okay, give me your number. I'll call in. I'm like, well, I can, but it, why don't we just call you? We'll we'll set up a time. Uh, how about I how about I just call in your show? Like it, it was so weird. And then of course she hasn't called. And I wasn't expecting she's was going to call. I, I didn't even promote she's going to call because I knew she wasn't going to call. Maybe we should get Joey Ingram on the line here, huh? <laughs> Let's uh, call Poppy. I, I don't even have Poppy's number. I have Poppy's number. Really? <laughs> Actually, you know, who, you know who I do want to call? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Mike Possel. Let's just call Mike Possel right now. Let's, let's just, do it. Let's just see what happens. If that doesn't work out, we'll call Poppy. I have his number. <laughs> I'm sure he'll love I that. I do. <laughs> okay, let, let me uh, – so I'm going to – Call Possel. I got to bring up the number again. Here we are, and we'll see if he answers. Now, unfortunately, he's probably been hit with prank calls since this was posted, so I, I have a feeling he won't answer. But we'll give it a shot. We'll t- oh, oh. We'll well, let's be nice. Let's keep him alive. Yeah. <laughs> so ho- hopefully, we'll we'll get a uh, we'll get some action here. I have a feeling it's not going to happen, but uh, you know, a man can dream with this. Yeah. Keep the faith, baby. Keep the faith. All right. Let's see if we can reach Possel. Has been forwarded to an automated voice yeah. messaging system. Nine one. All right. Well, uh, it doesn't surprise me. He may have turned off the phone as soon as that got posted, or it, it could be a number he hardly uses. Who knows? That was a long shot. Anyway, uh, let, let's see something. I, I I keep forgetting to put people. I almost forget to put Eric Benzamokin on. I barely got that. I had to interrupt a topic. Uh, let's let's see if we can reach. This uh, this woman who's doing the uh, the Poker Queens movie. She said it came out yesterday. I know I, I kept delaying her. I almost feel bad, but uh, we're promoting her movie, so I can't feel that bad. Any, anything that I'm doing that's promotional for someone else, I I feel that they they've, they've got to be a little uh, flexible with me. 
So we're going to call her up. I've got her number. Her name is uh, Sandra Moore. Mike Postle cannot take your call at this time. Oh. Please <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Welcome, welcome to the show here. And uh, at least I can see you've been listening since you're talking about Mike Postle. That's, I can't believe you called. <laughs> I, I'll call anybody. Believe me, I, we we called Russ Hamilton in the past. We we've we've, uh, we've made a lot of phone calls. I don't care. We'll we'll bug anyone at any time here. So uh, so Sandra Moore, I have to admit, I don't know that much about you. You kind of appeared out of nowhere last week and and uh, messaged me about this uh, this movie. Uh, when I saw it was about Moore Productions, I said, "What is is Jay Moore involved in this?" Now you're not related to Jay Moore, are you? No, I get that question a lot. No, we spell our last name the same way, M-O-H-R, which is a rare way to spell it. And uh, I get that question a lot in Hollywood, but no, we're not related. Okay, so you made this movie called uh, Poker Queens, and you, you messaged me this last week that uh, it's it's a movie. I see the uh, the poster for it, and it has a, a number of prominent uh, female poker players, including some like more recently prominent ones, uh, like... Uh, uh, well, why don't you go ahead and tell us who's who's in Poker Queens? All right, so Poker Queens has a lot of women that we love to watch. Um, it's Jennifer Tilly, Kristen Bicknell, Jennifer Harmon, Liv Burry, Lonnie Harwood, Kelly Minkin, Kathy Liebert, Esther Taylor, a um, few other um, women like uh, Wino Poker and and Christy Arnett, and then there's some men in it too because um, we wanted to get you know just get the whole picture and so we have daniel negrano's in it and as well as um we have a scene that uh joey ingram's in and then elliot rowe who does mind coaching for a lot of poker players is in and jeff boski who's a popular vlogger and ryan DePaulo, who's a degenerate gambler by his own admission let me let me stop you (laughs) let me stop let me stop you there for a second uh uh, I have to say that uh, Daniel Negreanu appearing in Poker Queens, given some uh, rumors that used to be about him, that may not be a wise idea. <laughs> but uh, um, so, so how do they fit in? Like, how do the guys fit into the Poker Queens movie? Well, you know, it, I mean, it's great to do a movie that, you know, talks about women and the women that have done the best in the world of poker. Um, but it gets, you know, with the documentary, and I've been a director and editor for 25 years, you know, it's important to have a little color and just having it just one-sided is not always fun. It's fun to hear, you know, the perspective of the men. Uh, what do they think when a woman sits down uh, to the table? Do they look at her differently or size her up differently or is it just doesn't really matter? So they weigh in on those kind of things. And the documentary actually has, it. it's actually an, so much color. I mean, everything from many scenes from some of the most uh, exciting moments of WSOP uh, main events to, well, there's even the strip poker scene and there's hand reenactments and there's live at the bike. And so it's very colorful. It's on Amazon prime right now. It's also for people outside of the country um, like Canada and uh, Norway and that kind of thing. It's also on Vimeo on demand. So you can find it either place, but um, yeah. Okay, so so I want I have a few questions. So, how long is this uh, documentary? One hour and twenty one minutes. Okay, and uh, so it just got released yesterday. Actually, no, a few days ago. A few days ago, and it, and and so people they watch it on Vimeo. It's, it's like a subscription. People have to pay for it to watch it. How does that work? Yeah, it starts out as a rental, and then you know eventually someday it'll drop back. But right now it's a rental, and it's been great. I mean, I've made a lot of movies and. 
in this industry, it's, you know, it's so easy to have haters and even some of the best movies like Rounders. I love Rounders. Uh, but, you know, even that movie on, you go on IMDb or something and it's got like 7.1 stars because there's always going to be people that are critical. And I've been so grateful because every single review, it seems like it's just been so great. And just five stars all the way across. And then IMDb is at 9.2 with 135 votes. So it's just exciting, you know, just to see that it wasn't completely hated. It was funny because I had to wait quite a while once it was at Amazon Prime for them to go ahead and post it. We had to make sure we had all our legal representation in place because there's, you know, with this kind of um, movie with so many different moving parts to it, you have to make sure that you go in completely clean. And uh, just in the waiting time, I convinced myself this is the worst movie I've ever made. You know, it's an artistic thing we go through. And uh, as it turns out, the reaction has been so wonderful. And just from p- poker players and non-poker players. So I'm just enormously gra- grateful. And so thank you, too, for having me on to talk about it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you sent it to me. It looked interesting. So I, I figured mm-hmm. I might as well uh, put you on here. Now, Now, this is what I wonder. I was thinking about this today when I thought I'd probably have you on here. Um, there, there's a common narrative about women in poker that they are at a disadvantage being at the poker table because a lot of men, uh, treat them disrespectfully or, or, or just, uh, don't think girls belong there or there are some men will, will hit on them or whatever it is. And, and some of these things do happen. And, uh, I, I acknowledge all this is true, but there are, there's another narrative that's not as popular, but, but even some women I know have told me this, women I know who play poker have told me that. They feel that playing poker as a female is an advantage, that there's certain things that, uh, that help you being female in poker, especially if you understand the way men are playing them at the table that they can take advantage of that, that guys can't do. And there's also a promotional advantage where if you're doing well in poker, the media will pay much more attention to you and you have many more endorsement opportunities than if you're a dude. Uh, do you cover that angle in, in these movies about advantages one might have being a, a female in poker? A hundred percent. And that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of guys that play poker are going to enjoy watching this because they really get to see on the inside of the mind of somebody like Kristen Bicknell, who's in my mind, one of the best poker players out there right now. She's just so talented. And you get to see, you know, if you were a guy sitting at the table across from a woman, what kind of things does she know to do that are going to, you know, give her an advantage? What kind of read does she have on her own the way that she understands how she's being perceived and how does she use that. So that's definitely in there. And it's a really interesting side of it because there is a definite advantage to being a woman at the poker table sometimes. And if you're talented enough and skilled enough to use that to your advantage, it can be super profitable. Yeah. So yes, that's definitely a part of it. That's good because I was like, I haven't seen this at all. And I don't know much about it. I just saw that post you sent me and I'm just, flying by the seat of my pants with this but i i I said i I thought to myself i just hope this isn't a thing which is like going over of how tough it is to be a woman in poker and how they've they've overcome the terrible hurdles in front of them to become successful i'm going i like i i'm aware of of some challenges they must face like it it would be annoying if i was a fee i've thought before like if i was a female at the poker table especially if like i was was an attractive or semi-attractive female under 40 at the poker table i i thought okay 
it would be annoying to have dudes like hitting on me all the time. Even if I was like, yeah, a straight female, I, it would still be annoying if you just want to play poker to have guys bothering you where you know if you're another guy, you can just play in peace. Uh, yeah, but, 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 but he rolled the whole time. But, but I, but I was, but I thought also, you know, there are some advantages. Yeah. Uh, guys are going to soft play you to do you favors. Guys will, will, will stereotype your play in a certain way and you can take advantage of it. A lot of, a lot of advantages that they can get out of it that I cannot get as a male. And I'm, I'm not jealous or anything, but I think that, uh, with some of the negatives of, of being a female in poker, there's also positives that I think actually kind of balance sure. each other out. And, and there's been some female, there's some females I know that have stated even some have stated publicly that they actually think overall it's an advantage to be a female in poker and that's not uh, that's not covered very often so I'm glad that you uh, you, you cover that and uh, when when did you start making this uh, poker queens movie I started making it last January right before um, the last World Series of Poker which was the 50th anniversary and so as part of the movie you know we did the pre-production in January February started getting a couple of things in place, um, you know, figuring out, setting up interviews, and then started to do interviews as we got closer to the World Series. Then we went to the Rio, and we got a what we called the Poker Palace. It was like this huge multi-room um, kind of vast uh, like uh, place for everybody, the women that were in the movie and the women that we were going to be interviewing while we were there um, to stay or to just come up and have, like, there was a ton of food there and energy drinks and there was a free massage, and we had this poker palace there for 30 days. Well, we left a little bit early because it looked like women were not going to make it to the final table at the at the main event. So, but yeah, we were there for several weeks and um, uh, stayed there and shot the prime primarily shot it there. And then um, after that, we went into well, we were editing while we were in the poker palace, and then we finished up just afterward. So it started last January. It's been about a year and two months. Okay, well, fortunately for you, you did this in 2019 and not 2020. That would have been uh, bad timing if you tried it this year. Right, and now look at everybody's at home watching the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually pretty good timing for you here. Yeah, right, because everybody's home and they're looking for things to do. And uh, so, so I wanted to mention um, real quick is that um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but did you ever hear a story about a woman who actually disguised herself as a man to play and then kind of wrote about the differences? Yes, we we, and, we, we, we talked about her, and uh, she wanted to play the main event, and then from what I could see, this wasn't going to be allowed if she were to try it. Right, exactly. And so she would have had a good perspective of what it was like to play as a guy and as a woman and which advantages and so on and, and so forth that are in that. And so that person was me. Oh, it was you? And so, yeah. Really? And so... Um, yeah, so, so I do have a perspective that I bring, I think, to the film a little bit, understanding that there are advantages women have, and that there are also disadvantages too. I, I understand sitting down to a table with a beard and raising a man has a different response. So, so you're actually a, a table you're, with a man. So, so you're a poker player then? I was going to ask you that. Yeah. yeah oh, see, I, I, but you use like a different name in that article, right? I don't remember the name Sandra Moore being associated with that. That's right. Yeah, I wrote the book under a pen name, See you later. I don't remember that either. Maybe I just didn't pronounce it right. Whatever, whatever it was, like I, I, I had no idea you two were the same person. That's that's interesting. Okay, so they so they wouldn't let you. So so they just the World Series said this is not going to happen. You can't be in this disguise. Yeah, exactly. And so they said they would not only they would not only get rid of me, and they were actively looking for me. It was pretty brutal. <laughs> That not only would they get rid of me, but they would also take the ten thousand dollar buy-in, and oh, so it boy. was kind of a, it was unfortunate, but 
you know who you have to thank for this? You have Phil Locke to thank for this because he played some World Series event wearing like a mask of an old man and fooled some people. And then uh, there is some controversy of whether he should be allowed to do that and if it's violating the covering your face rule. And then they they changed it to where you can't play in disguise anymore. So if Phil Phil Locke hadn't been an old man, I think he could have pulled it off. Well, he can't hear he's in full lockdown. What do you say? He's in full lockdown with Jen Tilly. Uh, right. Well, when I went to Jennifer Tilly's house, I met him and talked to him about it. I was like, thanks a lot, Phil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I had no idea I was talking to the same person. Okay. So, so have you, uh, have you ever, uh, so, so like, but I, I haven't heard of you in poker before. So are you like, like recreational player or something? I haven't heard of a Sandra Moore in poker. You know, it's funny because I wrote the book and because I've done the movie and I play poker, a lot of times people refer to me as a pro player, and I'm not really. I mean, I have played poker more than anything else I've done, you know, in the last couple of years. And I actually had an RV, a motorhome, and I traveled for two years and just played poker, which was awesome, just going every two days or three days to another casino. Uh, But I wouldn't consider myself, yeah, professional would be pushing it. Okay, and... So have you played actually as a man before in other settings? I know the World Series wouldn't let you, but could, did you do it in cash games or anything else? Oh, yeah. No, I played a lot as a man, and that's what the book was about. <laughs> um, I played a lot as a man. In fact, you know, <laughs> you'll, if you see the movie, you'll understand why this scene's in there, because I didn't initially want to put it in there. But there is a scene showing me getting full made up by a makeup artist in Hollywood, and um, at a place called uh, uh, Cinema Secrets. I know. And, um, yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, so putting on the full beard and going to play. So you get to actually see that transformation, which is kind of fun. I thought it would be a fun visual. And as it turned out, there was a, uh, you know, there was a need for it in the movie. So Now, now how, do, how do you pull off the voice thing? Because I'll tell you, you don't sound like a man. Like, like if I heard a dude talking with your voice, it would sound, it'd look very weird to me at the table. I go, what's, what's wrong with this guy's voice? So uh, how do you manage the, the voice thing? <laughs> well, mostly, um, fortunately, poker is such a kind of a, an isolating kind of solo sport that you don't have to do a lot of conversation if you don't want to. And people get the idea if you're wearing headphones and you don't really answer them that you don't want to speak. Um, as far as with the dealers and saying, you know, raise if I needed to say that. A lot of times I would do hand gestures. I would just hold up the chips and I would hold up four fingers and I'd put it in. And they just assume that maybe I have some speech impediment or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But um, it's, occasionally I would say, I would, you know, mumble out something. But I tried very hard not to speak. And it was funny. One time I, I kind of got distracted and I didn't realize it was my turn to act. And the guy next to me goes, excuse me, it's your turn. And I go, oh, sorry. <laughs> I had this full beard on. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to tell you, but your idea isn't completely original because uh, on the TV show Alice in, in the 1970s. I know it. <laughs> they, 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 Linda Lavin, yeah, she, she played in Mel's poker game because he, yeah. no he, he didn't want to let women play. It was like a it was like a sexism thing, a seventy sexism. Oh. He's like, "Oh, we ain't having broads in our game." So, broads in our game. Yeah. So, so, so she she had this character she did of like this uh, this like gangster type that uh, that she and she dressed up as a man and uh, got into the game. 
yeah. Oh, how fabulous. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, maybe on Somebody YouTube. Somebody told me and that. May, i got to find that. Yeah, maybe on YouTube. I, I remember seeing it uh, when I watched Alice as a kid. I haven't seen it in decades, but uh, that's it rem- I yeah. see Vintage One. He remembers it, too. Yeah, so, yeah uh, for sure. Uh, so someone that's did it before great. you. How funny. Yeah, but I haven't heard of a real woman ever doing it before. Um, it, well, at least maybe she never told anybody. But uh, when I talked to Jennifer Harmon, she said, oh, I've thought of doing that many times. Jennifer Harmon would so, have a hard time though. She's like like short and skinny. Like she'd be like a tiny guy that would, that would stick out right away. I don't yeah. know. But, but Jen Harmon was really against when guys were trying to play the women's event. Yeah, and, and yeah. Was like very vocal about like really? she thought that was not right in that you know, and and that was the point where they said, okay, if a guy's going to play it. It's ten thousand dollars as opposed to a thousand dollars. Yeah, and she was yeah. like paramount in making that decision and helping the World Series change the 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 feel of that. You know. Yeah. You know, it's not very popular when I say this, and I don't even know why. I always get sort of dead silence at the other side, but I really feel like it's sexist to have women's tournaments at all. I just don't think there should be a gender-related tournament. We don't have Japanese tournaments. You know, it's just, I don't understand. Well, (laughs) I believe that. I think you're right in that because once you do that, then you're opening up a whole big thing. And, and yeah, there's a seniors event, and that's fine because it doesn't change the gender. Anyone can play over a certain age. But when you say a woman's event versus could you say – a guy's event? Would that be legit? Well, uh, let me, let me, give, let me yeah, give the... All the rest of them are guys' events. Well, uh, well, See, I, I, I don't I, have that much of a problem with it because, you know, any industry or, you know, where there is, like, such a minority compared to the other side, I think it's fine to have things because it also is... Good well, should we have African-Americans? Because oh, you're buying into... Well, look, hey, well, look, if... I mean, I think one of the reasons Jen Harmon was so against men playing it is because she really saw it as a way to get more women into the game and grow it. That's you know? true. Well, that, that's, that's, true. that's what I was going to say. That's why. That's why I'm not against it. Like that. So, she came out and said, "You know what? I don't support having a woman's event." Eventually, she did. But the movie does. Well, look great, I, let, let, uh, let, the woman's event. Okay, let, let me give my. Opinion. I want to give my opinion on this here. I I feel that the women's event is fine because there's a lot of women out there who are intimidated by tournament poker, especially the World Series, and just they don't they don't want to enter it and they don't feel comfortable. And this kind of allows them like an introduction into poker and into World Series of Poker tournaments. And then some of them may say, okay, well, this 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 was fun. I'd like to come back and play a regular event now. It, it's yeah, kind of like, yeah. a, like, a, like an easy introduction to it. Uh, I wouldn't want to see like tons of women ev- women's events everywhere, but but having the odd women's event, not just the World Series, but the odd women's event in, in some places, I, I think to kind of bring them into the game because there are women who are just intimidated and, and just don't want to have their first experience. They sit down with a bunch of dudes who are not going to respect them and look down on them. Or Even if that's not true, if the, even if the guys can be very respectful and, and treat them normally, so a lot of women fear that will happen. So if they want to ease into it that way, I, I think it's fine. That's why I've never, in all the things I've complained about on this show, I've never objected to the uh, women's event. Now, what I thought was ridiculous is uh, in France, I think it was in the EPT, 
they attempted to have a mm-hmm. women's event and a men's event because I guess they had to do that mm-hmm. if they're going to have a women's event. But the the funny thing was they had absolutely no way of enforcing it. So both genders were playing in each other's events, and like eight of the ten top finishers in the ladies' event were men. Yeah. And I I went through it on this show at the time. I know, I know, it's true, it's true. So so with, with, I think women are way more stronger than we're giving them credit for. I honestly, I gotta tell yeah, you, I think guys, I think that the uh, when you see this movie and after this movie sort of ripples through, and I do believe not just because of this movie, but because of what I learned while making it, that women are about to freaking crush. They are on their way. I mean, we. I think as a gender, we are about to sort of like plant a flag. Well, here I'm in, gonna, uh, in this poker community. I'm going to give you. I'm going to. I'm going to give you my opinion on this. I think that there are certain women who are who are very good at poker, and that uh, that that will appear. Then I'll tell you when I'm when I'm at a poker table, like at the World Series of Poker, and someone just gets put there. Uh, the, who I really want to see. Are, are like certain – I have like stereotypes in my head of the type of person I want to see put at the table versus others. So what I least want to see is either a um, a young male or a young female. European. Or, no, or a young female. Like I don't want to see any young person put there because if there's a young female, I go, crap. If she can afford to play this event, even like a $1,000 event, if she's here, she's probably good. And uh, so I, I bet she's good. And then if a, if a young guy is there, I think the same thing. I go, crap, I don't want young people here. What what I actually mm. what I like to see are uh, are older men who, to me, give off the impression of, of ones who are there just because they enjoy playing poker recreationally, but are successful elsewhere in business and aren't that good at poker. That's who I hope to see. Yeah. I also hope to see yeah. uh, middle aged and older women because they tend to be not very good. There's some exceptions like the <laughs> Kathy Liebert and ones like that, but but there are there's a lot of middle aged and older women. I'm happy to, now. And, and this is nothing against women. I'm happy to see – most guys my age, I'm happy to see there as well. I'm 48 years old. I'm happy I resent to, that. I, I'm happy to see guys my age, like like vintage one. I'm happy when he's at my table. And uh, and uh, so, so, like I'm happy to see those type of players because usually these are people who make their money in other ways and, and don't play as much poker and aren't as good at poker. Uh, so and me- and uh, what I don't want to see are like the 25-year-olds put there with me. So there, I think there are some women who are very good at the game – and uh, and who get the additional edge because they're female and because they see how they're perceived and they they can uh, get the additional edge that way. And uh, but however, I don't think there's going to be like a takeover of women because I just don't think mm. there are that many yeah. women interested in poker. I think for whatever reason, uh, and I think it, some of it may have to do with just uh, poker has kind of an aggression to it, and men are just naturally more aggressive than women in general. I think that there's a lot of women it just doesn't appeal to. I think it appeals to men much more. And, and can I weigh in? What was that? Can I weigh in? Yeah, go can ahead. Can I weigh in on that? Yes. I would also say uh, that women tend to be multitaskers and like to, you know, have a little bit more going on, where guys tend to be monofocused more so. And it's and poker, especially live poker in person, it's just such – it's excruciatingly boring if, you, if you're not that kind of person. Really- so it, it's just – you're sitting around, you're waiting for a hand, you know, and people are tanking and – Oh man, you know it's really hard for women sometimes. You're like, I'm just bored. Yeah, well, that's, that's possible too. And uh, for whatever reason, there, I mean, there's some reason that the game is more appealing to men. Why more men are drawn to it, and uh, I, I think it's just a innate differences between men and women 
that if you're, you're just going to get a lot more men who are just interested in playing in the first place. And with this wide, this very much larger number of men, if you take, even though percentage wise, uh, maybe they're equal as far as who rises up to be a good player, you're going to have way more men because there's way more men in the first place. So uh, the same percentage of both, you'll get way more men. And that's uh, like the main well, event. Like main event more. is 97% men. Yeah, there's more right. football fans that are men probably, right? Yeah, way more, more yeah. Hockey fans that are men. It's it's just kind of like the sporting aspect of it has dominated it as men. And women do get involved in it and eventually, hopefully, it will equal out a little more as we get more progressive, but we have to make steps towards that. Am but, I right? But, but there, oh, there also may be just a lack of interest. Like I'll tell you the field I was in prior to getting into poker, which is the uh, uh, computer science field. Uh, there has been very little progress in, in computer science and engineering with getting women interested in it. There's been so many other professions where women have really uh, – come into it and, and in some cases there's more women than men there's 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 so many female doctors out there so many female lawyers so many other professions which were once dominated by men which now are about 50 50 and and yet in in engineering type professions it, it just isn't happening no matter how much they try and i think this is just because of a natural lack of interest by women in in that field and of course there's some who have interest that's why there's some in the field but uh but overall there's a much less lesser interest for women just uh, because of innate differences between the sexes. I, I think poker may be that way, uh, and, and we'll see over time. Uh, what would help is if, like, if a female won the main event, which, which oh, could, yeah. that would change everything. Which could happen. That would change everything. Oh, absolutely could, yeah. And that's part of the reason I made the film, because I feel like that's going to happen soon. I almost thought it would happen last year. And I just felt like, um, you know, I just feel like that there is – there are going to be more women very soon in the game, and I wanted to be part of that evolution. And also to make a movie that was sort of like Rocky in a way, where you know, yeah. where a woman could watch it and just when she was done watching it, be like, "I am going to try this. I am going to try this." You know, just inspire them. Yeah, and a lot of times you you have, you have people uh, like someone high profile wins who's a, a certain uh, group that you wouldn't expect to win, and that, and that can help. Like I thought last year at the main event. Uh, the winner was 50, a 55-year-old male, uh, a lot of people thought we're never going to see a main event winner over 50 again. In fact, when I was getting deep in the main event, I finished 128th, uh, and, and the, win the eventual winner was sitting next to me. Wow. He's, he's, the one, he's, he's the one who busted really? me. But, but I, I thought to myself, I thought, if I win this at, at age 47, I'll be an old guy winning it. People go, oh, wow, an older person won finally. So, uh, yeah. so I thought when I busted – and I, I really didn't know anyone well who was still in the field. Everybody in the field, I either like, I either just didn't know or didn't know well. So I thought, okay, you know, the guy next to me, this Jose Nenson, who had a lot of chips, and he was a very nice guy, and, and he was an older guy. I thought, okay, I hope he wins for two reasons. One, because he's nice, and two, because I think it'll do good things for poker that uh, a lot more mm -hmm. men who uh, who have disposable income, who are recreational players, will be encouraged by this. They'll say, hey, look, someone my age won. Not, it's not a 25-year-old kid that every time. So, so uh, but You know what's interesting? The only woman that won a co-ed event bracelet last year was like 70-something. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. The right. woman, <laughs> Susan Faber. Right, yeah. that was weird. Hey, but you know what? If you want to create a new... <laughs> that was weird. It was weird. I didn't create a new poker boom, let's get Maria Ho to win the main event. That changes everything. That's a whole new ball game. Yeah, did you contact Maria about appearing in this? She would have been a good one to be in this uh, movie. Oh, 
Sure. Uh, you can watch the movie and find out about how that went. Okay. Oh, okay. A little contention or what? Oh, there's something, something must have happened. Yeah. There must be hey, some... whenever women are involved, there's always drama. There, there, there must, yeah. there must I, be some drama. He is a, a, a tough... Tell me about it. I hear you know, I, I never there's, there's there's a question about Maria. I never got an answer to. I was present when Maria first appeared in the poker world, well over ten years ago, and she appeared at Commerce just all of a sudden, like in the yeah, four, in in like the four hundred eight hundred limit hold'em game. And I'm going, wow. how does how does this young girl have this money to play the game? I don't care how good she is. Where does she have the bankroll to be in this? And why haven't I heard of her before? And she she was she was good. It's not like she, it's not like she was a fish or or didn't belong there. She was a good player. Uh, she belonged in the game uh, skill wise, but I said, "Where did she get the bankroll here?" And I never got an answer to that. I never asked her, but like I never, I never. And she came in at four hundred eight. Well, that's the first time I saw her. I never heard of her or saw her before that game, and I'm like, "Who is this?" Like like this young pretty girl appears in the game, and I go, "Well, who is this?" And she, unless she looks incredibly young for her age, uh, she's wow. very young, and she was very young at the time. She was probably like twenty two or something. I go. What, what, where did she get the money for this? And uh, I still don't know. Player? What was that? Was she a winning player? I, I think so. She was. She was a good player. So skill wise, she she fit into the game just fine. But uh, still, to have the type of bankroll to play that game, yeah. and, and it would take a long time to when you start. If you start with a very okay. small bankroll, as most people that age would, you'd have to work your way all the way up and not run bad and bust. It's very, and I didn't see any of that occurring. I didn't see her slowly moving up the ranks. I just see, bang, she's just there at 400, 800. Yeah. Never understood that, but uh, um, curious. I very thought curious. she was playing online, wasn't she dropped? I, I never mean, saw I any. That's where she had, I know. knew all the limit players at the time online who played regularly, and I did not see her. So that's uh, But I used to see her there with the Iceman all the time in commerce way back then, right? She's that would, out with him oh, she would play with ice. I didn't know she played with the Ice Man, but that was, <laughs> if that's true, she was. It was a little bit later because uh, I saw when she just showed up and nobody knew her, and and I and online wow. there was no like mysterious account that uh, that was winning all kinds of money that nobody knew. Like the the limit hold'em community was not that big at those limits, mm-hmm. and I was in it. That was my community, so I, I I did not see any evidence that she was a regular online player. So I I still can't figure it out. I still don't know to this day. Uh, so uh, that that's something I've never gotten an answer to. Oh. Hey, Trey, well, you, Pope- you remember those times with uh, Ice at the World Series, and he's dropping all those Xanax all over the place. <laughs> 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 this guy was out of control. <laughs> all right. I, I love poker. I love it. Xanax on the table by accident, and so- he's got his little uh, scooter with him. We're playing. What were we playing? No, with? I'll tell it. He went, he went to buy chips. He pulled out his money and like started. Great, it happens to all of us. <laughs> you know, I tried. I, I let me tell you something. I tried playing poker on Xanax for the first time ever in uh, November of 2019. I went to go play an event at the bike, and the traffic was so horrendous. It took me like four, two hours, forty five minutes to get there. It was it was the worst among the worst traffic I've ever driven in. I was just getting so tilted before I even played a hand, and I had some Xanax with me uh, because I, I, I carry it because uh, I had anxiety issues back in 2018. So I, I sometimes carry it with me just in case, but I never take it. So I thought, okay, fine. I don't think I'm going to walk. I don't want to walk in there feeling all tilted before the event even starts. I mean, it already started, but before I sit down, so I'm going to take a Xanax here in the last few minutes of the drive. 
and then uh, go in there and I'll be more relaxed. Well, I was more relaxed. The problem is I was too relaxed. I couldn't <laughs> I, 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 so I couldn't concentrate on everybody's hands. I couldn't concentrate on everything at the table. I didn't have the alertness that I needed. And I, I could feel it. I could, and I, I could consciously feel that I wasn't as alert as I'm supposed to be, but there wasn't much I could do about it. I just, I felt too yeah. relaxed and mellow. And I said, I can't be too <laughs> relaxed and mellow here. I've got to be, uh, I, I've got to have some degree of tension at the table to play well. And I don't have it here and I can't have it. And I didn't do that well. So I said, that's it. That's the first and last time I'll ever play on Xanax. And I didn't take a high so dose. What's the numbers? Well, how, how did you cash out? No, it was a tournament. And I, I busted. I didn't. Oh, uh, tournament. Oh, okay. Now, now by the time I busted, the, the Xanax had worn off, and I went to go play forty eighty limit hold'em cash, and there I won like like two thousand dollars. But but the Xanax the Xanax was gone by then. The Xanax had worn off, so I, that wasn't a factor anymore. So uh, isn't it funny how poker is so rare to see somebody drinking alcohol? I mean, recreationally, yes, but for the better players, it's so rare to see anybody doing mind altering substances while they play. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, except for like, uh, well, like Adderall, because it's yeah. more like speedy stuff, I think, rather than mm. you know Xanax. It kind of has you going well, the other Adderall. way. A lot of people use Adderall, though. Yeah, that I, really? that I could believe. I, I don't use anything here. That was that was my one attempt to ever play on any kind of uh, substance. I, I don't ever do drugs recreationally anyway, but. Uh, um, I, I thought, okay, well, the Xanax, this isn't recreational. It's because the traffic tilted me so badly. So, uh, and I am like super stressed. So, let let me try this, and that did not work. That was, I, 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 would, I honestly would have played better coming in stressed than the way I was feeling on that Xanax. You might not have won on forty eighty after. So, yeah, that's true. I probably did better overall with the way it all break down, broke down. Exactly. But uh, so, let me ask you, Sandra, where did you find Poker Fraudlers? What 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 led you to it? Oh, well, um, you know, it was really was the quarantine. You know, so many of us are just looking for content, which is having poker queens out right now. It just ended up being fortuitous. And I came across, I don't know if maybe you tweeted it out or I thought, what is this? And as soon as I heard your voice and the energy in your show, I was like, these guys are amazing. I think there's a possibility. I don't know how successful it is now, but I think there's a possibility this show is going to do so well even from from here on. Because it is really, really, you know, it's it's just fun to listen to. Well, I, I th- thank you for that, but no, we're we're not going anywhere. We're gonna we're gonna be what we always are. But this is it's always gonna be kind of a uh, uh, kind of a, a fringe show in the poker world. And we have we have an instincts. We, we have we haven't we have an audience, not a gigantic audience. We have an audience, and it's been kind of the same for a very long time. We gain listeners, we lose listeners. It, uh, but what what I do like here is that we can just be honest and straightforward and there's no sponsors they don't have to kiss anyone's ass and i don't care if i get people angry so we just uh we just do what we want here and say what we want mm-hmm. and there's uh and the, and the show just it goes a very long time like this show is going to probably be super long tonight because we're, we've barely done any topics and we have like a million left so uh, uh the, the, well i'll let you get to it then let <laughs> me get to the so i can take a listen okay but but so you found it through, through twitter i guess through something i tweeted or someone saw it yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so, somehow uh, somebody that I follow uh, liked your tweet, maybe or something okay. like that. And it showed okay. up in my stream. I clicked on it, and as soon as I heard your voice, I was like, "Oh, these guys are the real deal," and just been listening since then. Okay, well, good. All right, well, thank you for appearing. And it's uh, a curveball that got thrown to me that you were the you were going to be the fake dude at the World Series. That I did not know. That's uh, 
That's something that uh, surprises Damn. me, but I'm, gl- I'm glad that I'm glad that came out too. That made it even more interesting. Okay, well, good luck with your good, good luck with Thanks your movie. That's uh, that's uh, that's Poker Queens, and you said you can get it on on Vimeo or where else? Amazon Prime or Amazon Prime and uh, and, and Vimeo. Yeah, and Vimeo is more the international version. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Very good. So uh, that okay. sounds interesting. And, Thanks uh, thank, again. Thank you for coming on the show. Congratulations, Sandra. It looks great. Oh, sure. It looks great. Thank you're, you. You really represented yourself well, and and I can't wait to see you at the World Series whenever it transpires. A- as a man. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, goodbye. Downloading. Bye. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Okay. Right. That took, was interesting. Yeah, it was. It took a shot. I didn't even know it was the girl trying to be a man in the World Series. Oh. <laughs> All right. Let's let's see what else. We we got a ton of stuff here tonight. I, just everything's taking so long. It's one of these nights where I'm like, oh my god, we have like 15 topics left, and we've been on a million hours already. So so uh, I want to talk about uh, Perlod Friedman's latest antics because he he had a tough week. He, oh, yeah. I, I mean, when I've talked about things he's been doing recently, it's more just been stupid tweets. But he really had a tough week. Uh, and and uh, it's baffling that he put all this out on Twitter, but that's just what he did. So I, I you guys can see it; it's still all up there. Well, well, I don't even know. All I remember from this week from Prahlad is the last thing I remember him saying is how much he loved everyone, and he doesn't want to hold anything against anyone. He loves everyone. So what did he do? Well, I haven't seen that, that yet. Well, let me tell you when it started here. So. Uh, so Prahlad, and I'm, just to set this up here before we get to this, I should tell you two things before we get to this uh, segment. So as I've mentioned before on the show, Prahlad, he, back in like January, he was on this weird kick about how it's okay to kiss men, it's okay no. to want a guy to blow you, it's okay to like guys. And, and, no, and when, when I say he's saying it's okay, I don't mean like he's saying it's okay to be gay. That I agree with. If you're gay, you're gay, that's fine. I, that, that You should be gay. You, know, that's, you, should, you should be what you are, okay? And I, and I say that. If, you're, if, you, if you are gay and you like men and you don't like women, great. That's what you should be. You should not try to force yourself the other way. However, he's not saying that. He's saying if you're a straight guy, then there's something wrong with you. If you don't enjoy kissing men, it's just your your internalized homophobia. If you don't enjoy kiss, you don't enjoy kissing men, you don't enjoy getting your dick sucked by a guy. It, it's your problem. It's not that you just don't like it. And and he thought by putting this out here. See, I don't know. He, I don't know if this is because he's having these feelings. I mean, he's definitely having these feelings. But, of course, I, he's having but, those but, feelings. But I don't know if it's just that, or if he's trying to make himself feel like all enlightened by having this point of view and trying to look down on others. Who don't have it? Instead of just saying, "Okay, well, I kind of like guys too," but uh, but I know some other guys don't. Instead, he's saying, "No, no, all guys like guys sexually. Just most of them repress it because uh, they're just not as enlightened as I am. They're not as woke as I am." So he went on and on and on and on with this in January, like without end. Like he 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 made so many tweets about this topic day after day after day, and people were like, "Okay, Perlod, do you have something to tell us? You have uh, you, you have something you want to let us know? Or if, look, if you want to have sex with a man, just go do it. Why why do you keep saying this? It's so weird. If you're if you're bisexual, then just say so and be done. Or don't say so, but why why are you lecturing us? And the funniest thing about his lecture about that was that he was actually using the same logic that decades ago people were using to illegitimize gay people by saying to gay people hey you know you're not really gay you could actually like women if you tried uh oh you're, you're, you're just repressing that's that's what people would say who didn't want to accept gay people saying that it's, it's just a phase it's just in your head it's, it's your choice and, and and you know there's there's no such thing as not liking women 
Well, he's saying the reverse. He's saying this, basically the same thing, that, that all guys like guys sexually, they're just repressing. If you, if you dig deep enough, you can find a sexual attraction to men, which, which is crazy. There's, uh, there, yes, there's, there's guys out there that are mostly straight that have uh, some attraction towards other men, but uh, there's a lot out there, and I'm one of them, who have 0.0 attraction yeah. to <laughs> other men. And I can tell you, I've, I've, that's something I've never desired. If it's something I desired, I would have done it by now. But trust me, I have zero desire for that. And there's, I think Bonomo was doing the same thing too. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a, a lot of men are, are just completely straight, and they have zero desire. They're not repressing it. They just don't like dudes. So, uh, so that, that was one thing. Second, about this girlfriend he has right now, this is a much younger Brazilian woman. He, Good is, looking girl too. Good looking girl. Prelot is forty one. Uh, I think he'll he's forty one. I think he'll be forty two sometime this year. I think he's born in nineteen seventy eight. This girl is much younger, like sixteen or seventeen years younger. A Brazilian girl, uh, and, and I mean, she's like she's actually from Brazil. I think she doesn't speak perfect English. Uh, I don't know how he met her, but uh, we first saw her appear in a music video. That he did oh, with that, that he did with her in 2016, and uh, and he was trying to make her uh, into a star, uh, and uh, it failed. She she did not become a star, and uh, it, I know it's very hard to become a star in the world of music. Only uh, the very small percentage of people do. I'm not holding it against her that that this failed, but it did fail. She did not become a star like like he was trying. I wondered if she was with him in the first place. Uh, thinking that maybe he could help her get there or maybe he misrepresented his, his was he trying to make her a star or was he trying to lock her in and say hey look how great my life is and what i could potentially do for you well that's what i think it may have happened so 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 uh, and it may have gone two ways maybe that she wanted to use him for that and that he kind of misrepresented himself that he could help her i don't know these are just guesses but anyway they they, they were dating for for a while and then it was announced last year that uh, she's pregnant and they they have a kid together now a kid who's a baby probably like like, like uh, I think less than a year old it's a a, a baby right now okay so uh, that's setting this up and I should also say that they posted a lot of scantily clad pictures of her and in, even in this video in 2016 there's close ups oh, yeah. of her almost bare ass wearing very skimpy clothing uh, basically they're they're really trying to market her sex appeal and uh, sex appeal and showing a lot of skin okay so there's a reason i'm mentioning all this because on march 22nd this is what prolad tweeted march 22nd at 9:55 a.m. he tweeted out for everyone to see publicly is it okay to send someone's wife heart eyes in their dm this is referring to like the emoji with the hearts for eyes is it okay to send someone's wife heart eyes and dm in response to a super sexy pic when are you supposed to be cool with a hubby too (laughs) and hold on guys hold on this is a voting question so and it got 710 votes somehow but uh the two options are no prob, all love, or hell no, nah, they trippin'. <laughs> now keep in mind, by the way, Perlot is as white as I am. I mean, this is not, he shouldn't be saying hell no, nah, they trippin'. But uh, that, that's, that, that's his whole the shtick. It has exactly. been for years. For, for years, for whole year, for years now, he's been uh, trying to act like he's black when he's the whitest of white guys. But uh, anyway, right away there, that's an issue. Right away, people are going, uh-oh, what's going on here? So 
obviously he was very upset that one of his friends seeing some quote sexy pic that his wife posted publicly on Twitter then sent a private message on Twitter to his wife with uh, the emoji with the hard eyes. Now I thought, okay, well maybe a little inappropriate, but that's not like the word. It's not like he said, hey, let's let's meet up uh, behind Prolog's back and fuck. It was like, okay, hard eyes. Well, she posted a pic. That's supposed to be uh, sexy. You're supposed to look at it. You're sp- so if some guy just sent that and nothing else, I mean, maybe it's it's kind of not appropriate. But I, it's I, weird, I, I, I thought I thought there's more to it than this, and and there was. So uh, so then someone responded uh, about five minutes later. Some guy named Andrew. I don't know who this is, but some guy named Andrew responded saying, "Is it okay for your wife to post a super sexy pic?" And Prahlad responded back, "It's definitely okay." I just don't expect guys I'm cool with to send hard eyes feel like they wouldn't like it if I did the same to their girls. And then – so then someone else responded named Jesse Aguiar said uh, – <laughs> uh, oh, Old Jesse Aguilar? <laughs> yeah, says, says uh, well, that's the reason your wife is posting them. So – so, I mean he's kind of bringing up a good point here. Like what, what – why are why are you having your wife post that and then you're getting mad exactly. and getting these responses? Now, yes, his friends probably shouldn't do it, but this he does have to kind of look at. Okay, it, if my wife's going to do that, I've got to expect she's going to get hard eyes responses and other guys saying uh, hitting on her or, or, or even sending her sexual messages. You've got to expect that kind of comes with the territory. And if if you're going to get bent out of shape when this happens, maybe you should tell her don't post these so then hey, if hard eyes are the worst thing you get you're winning <laughs> right right that's so so then so then uh Perlod responds back don't think she's looking for friends of mine to hit on her that ruins kicking it with friends lol <laughs> so, so he's trying to say well you know uh, i i can't really hang around with that person anymore now that the, she sent hard eyes to, to my he says wife i don't know if they ever actually got married oh sandro should have just punched him right in the face <laughs> <laughs> so then, then he, so then, uh, this Andrew says back, posting super sexy pic publicly is part of the, pro- is the root of the problem. Not sure how you don't see that. And so then Prahlad responds back, so men can't help themselves, even your boys? Oh, and then, and then, so yeah. then, so, someone else named, uh, Baza McClaff responds back, why? She's the one thirst trapping. You don't, you don't like the love hearts, then why post? And he says back, there's a level of respect when you are boys with a hubby, though. Girls sharing sexy pics is awesome if they want to do it, but don't give out hard eyes to my boys' girls. Well, this is, this is the problem here. He's, he wants her to get a reaction, apparently, but, but not from anyone he knows. But he, he's, he's, he's being too particular here. Either your wife posts those pics and is going to expect some reactions from dudes who are supposed to find them sexy and – and uh, maybe you you hope it's not going to be from someone you know, but it might, or or you just don't have her post the pics. Like he's he's being too particular. Like these guys can send her the hard eyes, but these guys can't. <laughs> it, it's rough. I can't believe that this guy was a representative ultimate bet. Yeah. He's such a, like a straight shooter, and he doesn't understand like what's going on. It's it's just amazing to me. But then he's, he seems like a good guy. <laughs> now, now a listener brought something to my attention. The next tweet I'm going to read you. And this was actually – I'm reading a bit out of order now because this next tweet was actually written 10 minutes after his initial one with that stupid voting question. Okay. This one, someone brought to my attention that there was an anomaly with it. He wrote, I don't trust anyone anymore. Everyone will fuck you eventually. So that's what he wrote. Now, you may think okay, that has to do with Prahlad's friend. He's saying his friend's fucking him eventually by sending the hard eyes. 
that's what I would have thought in the context of this conversation. But sure. someone posted, someone pointed out something to me. A listener to the show said, "Look at this tweet that his wife or girlfriend, whatever she is, she constantly retweets everything he writes, and this mm-hmm. one she did not retweet." And he said, "Hmm, notice that she's not retweeting this one." And I said, "Hmm, that is interesting. So, is there a problem? Is it possible that the problem is not just with the friends?" But is it possible the problem is also with his girlfriend? And if so, what is the problem? Because if he was okay with her posting the pics and some guys acted inappropriately, well, what? where's her fault? Then she wasn't at fault. So I'm thinking, well, there's got to be more to this story. There's got to be that either she didn't tell him about these messages or maybe she responded positively back to the hard eyes or maybe she was having some sexual conversations with these guys. Maybe it, maybe it's more than than uh, than just these guys who can't help themselves, who are friends with him, sending the hard eyes pics. Maybe that she did something here too that he doesn't like, and maybe that's why the I don't trust anyone every anymore. Everyone will fuck you eventually. Is referring to her and the friends, not just the friends. So hundred oh, percent. So so I thought well, but still find this out, Druff. He couldn't find any of this out. Without there being an extra layer to it. Yeah, well, she, she could have just said, hey, look, your, why is your friend doing this? This is inappropriate. But I have a feeling that she probably responded back and forth, and he just kind of caught her like, hey, what, who are you texting with? Who, who are you messing with? What the fuck? Hard eyes? Who, who's, who's sending hard eyes to you? What the fuck, my boy? Like, <laughs> It was probably something like that. Uh, anyway, so uh, – He couldn't believe Jeff Gross was sending her hard eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, – so I guess the lesson here from Prolod is that it, it's totally cool to encourage your much younger wife to post scantily clad pictures all over the internet and videos all over the internet. But at the same time, if, uh, you should have a Twitter hissy fit anytime anyone responds with hard, uh, hard eyes emoji. So that's just ridiculous. So now then someone else brought up a good point. Uh, someone who posts as a, at poker, Kansas wrote back, uh, Maybe with all your tweets about being gay, they figure it's fair game. <laughs> I mean, the guy has a point. Maybe they figure they can send the hard eyes if, if Perlot is kissing dudes. So, uh, uh, well, maybe he had interest in the guy that sent the message to his wife. Oh, yeah. That way. Maybe that's what it is. About yeah. that, right? <laughs> that's right. He's Wait like, a second. His girl is hot now. I mean, smoking hot, right? Well, so she's not really my type, but I can see how you know some guys uh, are, are really into her. Like I, I'm not so That's much not into her your type. Drunk? No, it's not. Hot and scantily clad. No, just she's, she's just not my type. You know, everybody's got a different type. She's really not my type. But I can see why I can see why guys like her. I'm not saying that she's 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 not hot. Uh, but uh, and also she's way younger than him. That's the other thing. Is this, this is yeah. not someone his own? This is not a hot woman who's forty. This is a hot woman in her mid twenties now. Uh, so. Um, so, so then uh, the the hammer fell the next day. The the next day we got some more clarity. Not complete clarity, but we got some more clarity. Uh, Starbucks Spunk Bucket on Poker Fraud Alert, <laughs> who, who who named himself he named himself that after Ken Scaler and his antics in the Starbucks bathroom. <laughs> exactly. A Starbucks Spunk Bucket uh, po- caught something that Prahlad tweeted and then deleted, and now has been immortalized on Poker Fraud oh. Alert. On uh, on March twenty uh, third, uh, sometime like around eight in the morning. I'm not sure. He's in a different time zone. He's in Europe somewhere, so I'm not sure when the exact time was. But sometime around eight in the morning, Pacific time, Perlad tweeted out, 
For all the guys that disrespected me by hitting on my girl so many times, knowing we had a family, fuck you, and now she's single, so hit on her all you want. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, so, uh... The number? So, well, so, see, quickly he deleted that. Like, super quickly he he deleted it. And, uh, fortunately... Can you tell how fast he deleted it from the time he posted it or no? Yes. Uh, well, no, uh, I actually, yes. Uh, about two minutes. So, oh my God. So, so Starbucks spunk bucket had very quick European reflexes and, and nice, Starbucks. So uh, congrats to him for that. So yeah. then, so then he replaced, he replaced the, uh, the tweet, uh, by saying single for life. <laughs> then, 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 then he went on to say in separate tweets. Now all I got to do is focus on Zaylee, my little angel, referring to his uh, baby daughter. Uh, yeah. I, be- I bet a lot of relationships have been put to the test through all this, referring to the coronavirus quarantining. Anyone else having a rough time? I think the only reason he's having a rough time is because uh, maybe he's spending more time with her and, and seeing her doing all the texting with the guys on Twitter that are sending your hard eyes. That's, oh, that's, sure. that's, it's that's, spiraling right now. He's like, <laughs> damn it, I wish I wasn't seeing all this. I wish I wasn't home so much. Actually, I, he was probably home anyway. What else is he doing? Uh, so then, then he wrote, uh, haven't eaten in two days. Why is food the last thing you want when Sad. So he's he's oh just, poor baby. Yeah. So he's he's hammering all these tweets out there. Uh, then then he uh, what, what else did he tweet out? Uh, we're seeing one tweet very late in maybe today or yesterday, and something about him saying I love everyone, everything's good, kind of you know the the prolod Zen feeling. <laughs> well, so he he came very close to outing the guys that were doing this because he wrote then after that, should I start posting my wife's DMs, maybe humiliate some people who have girls oh, themselves? Oh my God. I was hoping he would. And he had, he oh, had, please. he had a, a, a voting question. Yes. Go in or take the high road, bro. Now this is a screenshot. So I don't know what the results were, but uh, um, he's claiming that some of them that were DMing her were, taken with girls themselves I, I don't know who they were if this is true uh he never did this but uh in case you're feeling very bad for Perlot and his relationship then i have some good news for you um he got back with her he got back with her he uh what a surprise yeah i i know it's i know it's a shock but he he decided that maybe it's going to be tough to get another uh hot uh, mid-20s Brazilian chick when he's, he's 41 years old. So he wrote uh, the next day, March 24th, can't end a relationship during the end of the world. Aida and I are trying to work it out. Thanks for the love. And then someone responded back, she's gone, dude, move on. And, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, then he, but then he answered back, he, he, she's right here with me and we good with a heart emoji. And so then... Uh, so then people started to troll him. So he wrote, for the record, this is this is uh, the next day now on March 25th. So so everyone's thinking that she banged another guy and he's just taking her back, that, that uh, Perlade's being the, the cuckold here. So, 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 so everyone's thinking this. So Perlade decides to set the record straight. March 25th, for the record, Aida and I, Aida did not sleep with someone else. A lot of people thinking that. And then a guy named Riz responds back, 
not that you're aware of, you mean. <laughs> which, which, which is true. How to, how to, I don't know. He knows that. So then uh, Willie McFML, who's a uh, forum poster and radio listener, saw that uh, on March 26th, Perlod wrote the cryptic tweet of, it's all about shared experiences. So Willie, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so Willie wrote back, like your girlfriend letting you watch some other dude bang her. It's magical. And then, and then Perlod responds back, most cucks are super, super intellectual, bruh. Oh, my God. So, uh, I mean. That's the Twitter conversation I've ever heard. So I, I mean, you might be joking there, but that's not a good joke to make at this point. No. No, he's just feeding the fire. And then, and then someone said, uh, uh, "Buddy texted me the other day. Just quote, just have fun with it." I said, "Man, you sound like you're trying to sell your wife on a group group orgy over there." And he writes back, uh, "Get crazy and be happy." So th- that's that's one thing that happened with Perlod this week. Then Perlod was also further humiliated by uh, Garrett Adelstein. I know I called him Adelman, but he's actually Adelstein. I get all these uh, these Jews confused, but. Uh, <laughs> Garrett Adelstein, the player on Live it's, in the Bike. It's Adelberg. Adelberg yeah. Adel- Adel- here, the uh, the legendary Live at the Bike No Limit player. Uh, he put out like, okay, well, now that we're all in quarantine, ask me anything. Just don't ask me poker strategy. I think that's boring. So people started asking him questions. And someone asked him, who's the funniest person to play poker with and uh, maybe a story? So he told a story about Perlod that I don't think Perlod is going to appreciate. He what wrote, was it? He wrote, Perlod, when he's upset, is special. One time I cooler him in a medium-sized pot and we get it in on the turn. I tell the dealer one river, always my preference. Now, by the way, just let me quickly stop. They will allow it in certain games that, especially no limit, that uh, if a lot of money gets in with, with with one or two cards left to come – that you can actually split the pot a few ways by dealing out a different turn in river for each one, and then uh, this way you can lower some variance. So, uh, but it has to be unanimous between both parties, right? Right, but, right. and everybody has to agree. So, so, uh, so he was saying. So Garrett said that he told Perlot after they got in, got it all in in what he called a medium-sized pot, that. Uh, he only wants it dealt out once. He doesn't do this run it twice, run it three times. Right. So, so he says, I tell the dealer one river, always my preference. And after I scoop, he starts screaming, one time, you degenerate fuck. I have a kid oh. at home before storming off. <laughs> 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 so he's actually trying to make Garrett feel guilty that he's got a kid. And this couldn't be too long ago because this kid's like one. So right. this was sometime like in the last year. That Perlod played with Garrett, and they they get it in, and, he, and Garrett says, "No, I just want just want to do it once," and takes the whole pot, and uh, and Perlod was stormed away angrily that he's had a, has a kid at home, and that uh, somehow it's Garrett's fault for not running it twice, giving him a chance to at least get part of his money back. What is the percentage you have to have to take it run twice? Well, there's no percentage. The odds are the same either way. It's just it's just no, a matter. No, no. Of- what I'm saying is, if you if you have a sixty forty when you turn the cards over, do you do it twice or do you do it once? No, it it doesn't matter. It it, it just it's it's a matter of variance. So it's it's going to all work out the same in the long run. It's just there's much more variance right, only doing once. If you're, 
But drop if you're a seventy thirty favorite, I think uh, then you want to go asking, should you be doing it? Or right. you exactly. only do it no, I'm, say, I'm saying it does. I'm saying it doesn't matter. It's it's, it's just it a personal to. preference. No, it doesn't. It's 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 the same either way. It's the same odds either way. It's just one of them. Well, let me give you an extreme example. If if you're a seventy thirty, and let's say you could run it a million times, you can't. But let's say you, have, you could have a computer just do it super fast. Right. Uh, you're going to come very close to winning seventy percent of them because of, right. the odds are going to even out. Uh, so so there. Uh, it's not about what you should do, but if, if uh, let's say you say I'm happy getting 70% of the money here, I'd like to run it a million times, so this way I'm pretty much assured to get 70% of the money. Uh, so that's the extreme case. Uh, and, and if and, I'm a 70-30 winner and I'm on the 70 end, I'm only one, I only want to run it once because I'm going to win it Two out of three times. Right. Well, that's, then that's your preference. But I'm saying in the long run, it, it will even out. Like, as I said, if you ran it a million times, it would come just about exactly at your equity. So it's just a matter of there's much more variance. You run it once, uh, the 30% could take the entire pot. The 70% will take the entire pot. One of these two things will happen, more likely the 70%, but but it's, it, it can happen. So some people – so Garrett just says screw – Screw bring, bringing variance down. I just want to gamble. I just want to, whatever happens, happens. And if I take a bad beat and lose a, a 90 10, that, that's it. Like, okay. yeah. now, 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 bankroll management wise, there can be reasons to take, uh, to, to run it more than once just to smooth out the variance. Of course. So, so if you get a ton of money in, like, let's say you get a ton of money in and, um, like, let's say you've got top set against, uh, an open ended straight flush draw. And then, and it, you get a tremendous amount of money in that's going to really hurt you if you lose the pot. Uh, then you may want to run it a few times just for bankroll management reasons. So if you get unlucky, that, that it's not going to devastate you. But but if if you're deeply bankrolled, it doesn't matter, and for odds, it doesn't matter. And so why does Garrett do it once? I don't know. He just that he just says it's his preference. I think I think because well, really, he's deep. He's always deep. Right. Because he, so he has enough money, he doesn't have to worry about yeah. it. Now, now now still people who have a lot of money may want to do it just for variance reduction. But yeah, someone who has a bigger bankroll can care less about uh taking bad beats than someone who doesn't so uh yeah. so so but perlad it's it's interesting that he got so mad there so that that means one of two things either perlad really doesn't have a very deep bankroll these days and that's why i was pissing him off that uh that he didn't have a chance uh, a better chance to at least get some money back out of this uh mm-hmm. or, or or just uh he was in a bad mood and and just flipped out or both Do you think there's any way that uh perlad potentially could not be deeply bankrolled right now i'd say that is like the nuts well yes and 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 i'll you know i go back to when he joined ub come on he, exactly he, he, he knew well i saw because poker table ratings were keeping track of the online games then they don't anymore but back then they were and he was he had lost 800k straight on stars and right after that he signs with ub that wasn't a coincidence there's no, no. way that was a coincidence especially because when no site had been caught doing anything wrong yet, he made all these speeches about he's not going to represent any site because he exactly. thinks it's, it's selling out. Corporations You're are screaming at him to stop this bullshit. Get out of this stuff. Yeah, and and right, and and so so he wouldn't join Poker Stars or any of the more legitimate sites. And this is back when he was a bigger name too. Like uh, uh, he could have gotten a pretty good deal with one of these sites. Uh, exactly. And and he chose not to like in 06, 07, when there was a lot of money in it, he chose not to because then he was doing well. He had a lot of money and said, screw it. I had corporations and I'm not going to, I'm not going to become a corporate chill. I'm not going to sell out is what he said. I'm not going to sell out until I'm about to go broke and have to move out of Malibu. Now I'm going to sell out. Exactly. <laughs> so, so that's to the absolute worst. 
worst company you could go out to. Right. That, that's the funniest thing is he's like, no, I ain't going to represent stars at an evil corporation. And then UB comes calling when he needs the money. Oh, yeah, it's the new UB. It's the new UB. It's not the old UB. Uh, it was the whole – Seabock talked to him and, and got him all worked up and the, the ownership's different and this and that and sell, sell the site. Hey, believe me, I know because I used to talk to Seabock during that time, oh. and and they could present a very optimistic and friendly environment. Trust oh, I, me. I know, I know they did. But the thing is, people came to Perlod and and told him it's not the truth. Uh, so not only did we had him on Doc Down and told him about this whole thing, but I not remember. only that, not only that, but uh, but. Forget us. Daniel Negreanu went to him, and Daniel Negreanu was friends with him at the time. And, yeah, and, and, well, Daniel's suspect anyways, too. But uh, no, yes, you're right. But Daniel right. went to him and said, said, look, this is not the new UB. It's the same cheaters, and if you don't believe me, go to such and such experts on this. And Prahlad just – he didn't want to hear it. And the reason he didn't want to hear it is – because paying him too much money, and he needed the money. Right. Time. So, so, so he, he, had to, he had to not know this. He had to pretend like he doesn't understand it. Yeah. So, so he and I himself- understand that from – from a, a business standpoint, I mean, because he didn't feel like he was saying, hey, everyone come here. He didn't think everyone was going to be ripped off. I believe that. Well, no, he didn't think they were going to be ripped off, but he, but he was also oh, not. Oh, bullshit. But, you uh, don't think he? Come on. No, I know Seabock didn't, he didn't think. think well, look, look, he, he was overly optimistic about something he knew he should not have been optimistic well, about. And, and, and he was maybe so. And, and he wasn't being honest about the ownership. He was he knew that the, the people had compelling evidence that it was not a different ownership and, and he didn't want to hear it so he could still keep saying it and, and, and have plausible deniability even to himself. So there there's a lot of wrongdoing here. Now did he think that uh, the end result is gonna be they run off with everybody's money? Probably not, but uh, but he should have. He should have thought that because it was the same owners and he knew it. And if he didn't know, he should have because everyone's telling him and everyone told him how to find out that it was a, a different, that it was the same owners. And he wasn't interested in hearing it because if if he did hear it and then and then if he did believe it, then he would have to look at himself in the mirror and say, "I am a sellout. I am taking money from an evil corporation that cheats people, so I can keep living in Malibu." He he didn't want to think that of himself, right? Well, to be fair, I had a relationship with Joe Seabock at that time, and I bought into Joe telling me that this company had changed, that the owners were different, everything was different, and they're trying to, for lack of a better word, rebrand this entity that has such a horrible stigma to it. And, and Joe really sold me on that, and and. and uh, Trader Ruski, you know, I had a real issue with my where I was on this whole thing because of what has happened and what they were selling me on it. And I really wanted to believe that Joe was selling me what he was. And, and you know what? Joe's a, to me at least, Joe came across as a really nice guy. Well, and, I see- and, and really sincere I, to me. I mean, I didn't know him other than. The little bit of business I was doing with him, but he did come across as very genuine. Well, see, okay, so let me compare them. It's a a good point. I I think I've talked about this before, but I'll say it again now since we're on the topic. Uh, Joe, he he started off with good intentions. At some point, it it had to become clear to him because he was kind of the face of all this, this whole new UB. He took, he took a lot of heat. He went from a very popular figure in poker to someone who was, who's hated because he was taking the, uh, the new UB is great position and no one was buying it. Uh, the, but uh, I, I believe he started off from a good place. 
I think when he started to learn the truth and then he'd confront UB about it, they would give him excuses. I think he, he kind of forced himself to believe the BS. But, but again, like Prahlad, he should have known. However, where the big difference is between them is, is, uh, is two things. First of all, Joe did not get personally cheated by UB like Prahlad did. So Prahlad was the, one of the highest profile victims of the UB scandal. Definitely. And then, and so when he says, "Hey, it's safe to come back. I'm one of the biggest victims, and I'm playing on there now, and I'm representing them now." That's a big that's difference. A huge than, sell. Exactly. That's, that's a big difference than just just some shill who didn't really play there, like Joe Seabach, who's just taking money to represent them. That's number one. Number two, uh, Joe Seabach never claimed to be this anti-corporate crusader where where uh, Prahlad did. And number three, when the whole thing was over. Uh, Joe Seabach eventually came out in an article and apologized to everybody and said, "Sorry, oh, I was you? yeah, I, I, I was fooled. Did that. Everybody, everybody hates me now. I know that. I understand it. I, I, I shouldn't have done this. It was a mistake." So he came out and apologized. Uh, not that doesn't excuse everything he did, but I'm saying at least at least he took responsibility. Prahlad never once has come forward and said this is a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. He right. he didn't even go as far as saying, "Hey, I was tricked." He, he he won't talk about it. If he, if you bring it up, he blocks you or doesn't respond that's to you. Such bullshit. Fuck Furlan. Yeah. So he needs. So, so that's that's the worst part. He he won't address it. He won't apologize. He won't even go as far to say they tricked me, which I don't believe they did. But but uh, he won't even go that far. It's just he wants to just erase it like it didn't happen. And uh, and and where Joe Seabach at least came out and said, okay, I know you all hate me now, but uh, but I am sorry. I, I wish I hadn't done that. So uh, so that's anyway. So they. That, that's what's happened with Perlon this week. So Garrett uh, Adelberg went and uh, humiliated him with that story, and and Perlon also uh, now looks like a cuck. That uh, looks like his girlfriend is, is having sex with other guys, and he took her back. Oh, she is for sure. And, and <laughs> by the way, I think I found the picture in question. I'm not sure because there's, there's oh, been a number posted. Uh, but uh, if you go to the Poker Fraud Alert thread in the Flying Stupidity Forum called uh, Official Perlon Friedman's Sanctimonious and Hypocritical Tweets Thread. Uh, if you go to that thread on page four, you'll find a tweet on March 13th, which is, of course, before all this started. If you uh, scroll down some, there's oh, a post. Leg all out. There, there's a there's a post by the side dish that that he found of uh, of Prahlad's girlfriend posting a picture of herself. Now, I'm not sure it's this picture, but there's a picture of her. Uh, sitting in some kind of dress with oh, yeah. with her leg, leg right there with with her legs out, yeah. And I don't know if it's that picture, but it's a good chance it's that picture. Kind of sitting in like a sexy pose, and she got like the long these like long nails. She's putting her hand on her leg to show off the long nails. And Prahlad even responded on that same day. This is March thirteenth before the breakup, uh, saying "Nice makeup, hottie with uh, three hearts." Now this is from Prahlad, not from one of his friends. Do you have a golf clap? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I have a feeling it was this tweet that got the DMs back to her that uh, that caused the whole issue in question. Just because this was the most recent picture posted like this, it was on March thirteenth, and then here he had his meltdown about a week later. But uh, here is something else people were bringing up that there is a difference between uh, dating like a, a much younger hot chick. Uh, and and marrying her and or having kids with her and having her move in with you, like uh, just dating her, having sex with her, whatever. But but if anyone that you're going to marry or move in with, you've got to make sure that number one, they're like marriage material and and mother material. Number two, that they're in a place in life right now where they're ready for that, where they they're they're ready at this time of their life to settle down and be a mother and not not 
probably not going to want to send uh, scantily clad pictures on the internet to have dudes send them hard eyes. Like, uh, you want a woman who's past all that. You want a woman who who doesn't need this attention from from other men. You want a woman who's just happy to start a family and be with you and be happy with you and not constantly look for guys to compliment them or or want everyone on the internet to think they're sexy. That type of woman is one you don't settle down with, at least not until they're past that stage. And the truth is a lot of younger women just aren't past that stage in life yet. And that's why if you're a 41-year-old guy, that's not who you want to get involved with in the long term. If if you are 41 and you you get with a woman – Who's twenty four or whatever? Uh, Boy. <laughs> you, you, you need, if, if, if the goal is long term, you have to make sure she's a very mature twenty four year old, and she's passed all that. And uh, and most of them are not. So, uh, in, in fact, that's why I often advise people not to even get married until they're after thir- after thirty these days, because that's such a high percentage of marriages that begin where the people are under thirty don't work. And and I I don't you know the like I, th- I think the divorce rate is about fifty percent in the U S, but I I wish I knew the divorce rate for people who get married under thirty in the U S. It's it's got to be much higher than that. I I know very few people who got married in their twenties that stayed married, and the ones that did I could have predicted at the time. It was people who kind of were uh, kind of more mature for their age, where they they already acted older when they were you know twenty four or whatever. But uh, uh, so I I think that. Uh, you have to you have to look at who you're marrying there and what place what place they are in life and uh, whether this is someone you want, want to be with long term and I, I have a feeling that uh, his girlfriend or wife here wasn't in that place and that's why we're seeing what we're seeing and and this is partially Perlot's fault in fact a lot of it's his fault he should uh, uh, maybe consider being with someone closer to his age. Or if it's not someone closer to his age, someone who doesn't feel the need to put those pictures out there on the internet. So that's, uh, of course, it's my opinion. But uh, a lot of people on the forum were sharing my opinion on that, and they all they all basically felt the same way, and that this was inevitable. I don't think this relationship lasts much longer. That once you start seeing things like this, and, and the question is, why is he putting this on Twitter? Like, like forgetting the, all the rest of this. He's putting this all out there and not even like calling out the guys who supposedly fucked him over. Like it's one thing if he wants to say, "Okay, I'm so mad, I'm going to call out these guys who you all like or you guys all know and think are trustworthy." But look, look what pieces of shit they were trying to hit on my wife. I- instead, he's like not naming anyone and putting out all his own personal business, and now just looks like a cuck. So that didn't work out very well. So that's that's that was Perlod's uh, no good, very bad week. Uh, if, you, if you think you had a bad week here with the coronavirus and everything else going on, uh, you could be Prahlad Freeman. You could have, uh, you could it's have... amazing Prahlad could screw something up. <laughs> I, I, it sometimes amazes me that Prahlad was such such a good poker player who was able to exercise uh, such logic at the table to be as successful as he was in poker, and yet with everything else, you just start scratching your head like, what's this guy thinking? Oh, 100%. Like I said, Lissandro should have beat his ass. It would have been the greatest TV ever. Is it, and I really think he's someone who never grew up also. This is like a 41-year-old kid we're dealing with here. That's that's also some of the problem. He just he just hasn't grown up. And it's not like in a good way where it's charming that he's still acting youthful. Not only that, but when I saw the video of him with, with, with uh, his girlfriend in 2016, he was 38 at the time. And even though I don't like the guy, I said, okay, I will concede that for 38, he looks pretty good. 
I remember that video. But but now I've seen pictures of him, and I, I saw a picture of him playing the 2019 uh, some World Series event. He looks like a different person. He looks ancient. Like he he looks like uh, um, like you can see his. Uh, he kind of looks like a beaten down man. He looks like someone who's just been run through the ringer. He looks tremendously different than he was three years prior in 2016. So that's uh, maybe it was a bad picture, but I, I wonder if the last few years have been tough on him. That uh, yeah, well, you got to figure for a lot the amount of money he was ripped off, and he still had a career out of it. That this guy was like at the top of the game, the A plus plus in that poker boom. He was making more money than anyone to the point where he could lose 1.5 million in a scam super user account and still have money to survive. It's pretty impressive. Oh yeah. Yeah. He did very well in those game in those days. And, and you know, when he says that his, a lot of his style was ahead of its time and that people couldn't deal with, that was true. He did come up it with was. a style. Yeah, exactly. He did come up with a style of no limit hold'em that people in those, in the two thousands, had a hard time dealing with, and he won a lot yeah. of money. And I and I give him credit for that. And uh, and so it's 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 hard for me sometimes to reconcile the, the, this the same person who pretty much screws up everything else and has just uh, approaches everything with such little logic somehow at the poker table was able to do that. But yeah. I know there, there have been other a lot of other poker players who are good at poker and suck at everything else. So oh yeah, <laughs> that's, seen, not, I, that's not a rarity. I've seen a lot of. In fact, Stu Unger was uh, was known for that. Was uh, being oh. a, a great a great card player, great uh, backgammon player, but uh, anything not related not to <laughs> to, the, to these strategy games uh, pretty much sucked at everything else, and then uh, that eventually killed him too. He didn't. He mismanaged his life and developed a bad drug problem and died at a young age. So uh, uh, I don't. Per lot, I know he smokes a lot of pot. I don't know if he does any other drugs, but uh, uh, yeah, he, he had a pretty bad week, and I had to report this out here. I people saying, "Oh, you've got to cover this on radio," and I go, "Of course, I have to." <laughs> oh, I, this, this is one I especially can't look by. This is this is a, a big Perlot story. The next topic we're going to talk about is two plus two. They're doing something baffling. This, this is another weird story. The Prahlad theme is kind of a weird story, but with him you expect it. With 2 plus 2, you don't expect so much weirdness. You expect some things with them that are things you don't agree with or Mason acting like a curmudgeon. But you don't expect weirdness so much from 2 plus 2, but that's definitely what we got this week. 2 plus 2 uses forum software that is known as vBulletin. It's a, a popular brand of forum software. Poker Fraud Alert uses vBulletin. So if you use Poker Fraud Alert, then you know vBulletin very well. Uh, some of the features you see on Poker Fraud Alert were not originally part of vBulletin. These are things I added either myself or with third-party add-ons, but like the radio is not normally part of vBulletin. That's something I integrated there myself. But but the forum software is vBulletin. I thought it was the best one, and I liked how uh, I was able to change it around and customize things without too much trouble. So that's that's what I went with, and that's what I've had here for the eight year, eight plus year lifespan of Poker Fraud Alert. Two plus two has had V Bulletin for even longer. They've been around for a lot longer than Poker Fraud Alert has. They, they started out with something else. They were not originally V Bulletin, but they became V Bulletin a long time ago, and uh, that's what they've had. They did a lot of custom modifications of their own, and people got used to it, and people are used to it. And if you go to two plus two, it has a certain look and feel. And 
whether you like it or don't like it, it's it's functional. You can understand how to use it. People are familiar with it. People are familiar with the general vBulletin interface because it's popular forum software. They never upgraded to the latest vBulletin, which is vBulletin 5, which I haven't either. And for the same reason, we both did not upgrade to vBulletin 5, and that is because it will clobber all the customizations you made. You'll have to start again from square one. So if there's no reason to do it, if you're happy enough with vBulletin 4, you stick with vBulletin 4. That's what I did. That's what 2 plus 2 did. However, I now this, this is part I'm just guessing at, but uh, 2 plus 2 was once a very high-trafficked site. Poker Fraud Alert has stayed about flat for our entire lifespan, which is actually an accomplishment because forums have gone way down in popularity overall in the past eight years. People have moved to social media, to Reddit. Uh, People don't like forums anymore. Forums are kind of considered a a relic of the 2000s and early 2010s. Social media has taken over. Reddit's taken over. So for, if you have a forum that stayed flat in traffic over eight years, you've done a great job. Uh, 2 plus 2 went way down in traffic, way, way down. They were ones very, very active. I had wondered when they were very, very active what type of server they were running on because I thought, wow, with all the traffic they have, the Poker Fraud Alert server couldn't handle such traffic, so they must have a, a, a much more expensive setup over there. Well, it turned out, yes, they did. Now, the vBulletin software that I run and that 2 plus 2 runs, you own. You're, uh, you, you pay them a one-time fee, and then it's yours. And uh, th- there's a few requirements that uh, you have to do. Like it, It's sort of licensed in a way. They can de-license you if you break the terms, but, but there, there's no monthly fee. You pay once, and it's yours, and you can modify it how you feel. Uh, you do have to leave up like the copyright v bulletin at the bottom unless you pay them extra money. But but aside from that, uh, you can do what you want and you don't owe them any further money. I made a one-time payment to v bulletin back in 2012, and that's it. I have not paid them, nor do I have to pay them. I'm not pulling any shenanigans. This is a I've paid all they expect me to pay, uh, and and it's a totally legal setup I have with with v bulletin. So uh, two plus two did not have to pay v bulletin at all, other than their first purchase of it. And uh, they heavily customized it as I did. In fact, I think they customized it more than I did. That's not true. But, but we did it different ways. We probably have about the same level of customization. But they didn't switch because it would be a pain in the ass. But the difference is that they are paying for a much more expensive virtual private server, which is basically you're, you're paying a service to give you space on their server. And it, it, it acts as your own machine, but it's really – uh, a machine partitioned, partitioned into a lot of different parts that a lot of different people can use that just kind of act as if they're all different. It's kind of like, like having a condo in a way, in a, in a server sort of environment. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you have a condo, you own it, it's yours, it's, it's, it's your space, but you don't own the entire property. It's kind of, that's, virtual private server is kind of like that. There's a Poker Fraud Alert runs on, so the, the physical machine of Poker Fraud Alert is not in my house. Uh, it, it's, it's run by a company. But I administrate the entire thing, and when I log into it, it's as if it's my own machine. And same with with 2 plus 2, except they have a much more expensive one that costs them far more per month because they once had a very active site. Now, I don't know this part for sure, the next part I'm going to say, but I have a feeling that Mason looked at the 2 plus 2 expenses and said, what the hell? Why am I paying for this really expensive setup per month 
when we don't have the traffic to justify such an expense anymore. Again, I don't know this for sure, but uh, from everything I'm going to read you, that's what it, to me it seems like is happening. So it looks like to me that Mason decided we don't need this much power anymore. I don't want to pay for it anymore. So I think Mason went to his tech team. Mason's not uh, – he doesn't run this himself like I do. Mason has a, some tech guys helping him. I don't know how much he pays them or whatever, but uh, he went to them and said, I want to downgrade the server. Again, this is my speculation. He didn't say this, but I, I think he said, I want to downgrade the server. Let's, let's do it. And I think they went to go do this and ran into something unfortunate, which coincidentally I just discovered last week for a different reason. And that is vBulletin version 4 is no longer being supported and that means they're not going to release any security updates, nor are they going to update it to work with current and future versions of PHP. Now, for those of you that don't... It's a real dick just across the board. We all know this. I mean, what he did to Dutch, I mean, I know some people think that Dutch Boyd, has, his past is a little sketchy, but he was very young. And I mean, there's a lot of X factor to that. But what he did to him was just a dick move, too. Oh, like I agree. Oh, no, I, I agree. And forcing him to post an apology it was really lame. Uh, oh. But, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't get along with Mason. I don't like him. He doesn't like me. Uh, I think he, he allows me on his forum because it's, it's become a ghost town. And, uh, yeah, and, and he wants to. Yeah, so, good for the forum. Yeah, I'm right? good for the forum. He, even he admitted to his. It's funny because he'll never admit this publicly, but his lawyer told me that Mason told him that, that I make good posts and that, uh, that, that, uh, that he want, that, that they'd like to have me back. So, um, and the reason I post there is because there, there's, I like to discuss things like, like, uh, like when I play on Bovada, talk right, to it's a people. good forum. Like, it's yeah, a good it's, forum. it's a useful. There's no two ways about yeah, it. It's a useful forum. It's it's still the biggest uh, English language poker forum with the most people, and so that's that's why I'm still part of it, even no, though I, I don't like Mason. And it's funny, me and Mason will fight on there, <laughs> and like we will just openly argue on there, including in the thread about this. Dick. He's a total dick. Yeah, yeah. And and if you ask Mason, what do you think of Todd Wittellis? He'll, he'll he'll say bad things. And if you ask me of what I think of Mason he... Malmuth, I, th- I think he's a dick. Yeah, and I'll say that right now, and he knows I think of that. Course. But but anyway, yes. uh, so so I think he probably wanted this downgraded, which that decision, if that is what he wanted, I agree with it. I would have done the same thing. Uh, so so then PHP for the to explain those who don't understand, um, PHP is, is uh, it's, it's I, I won't get too into it, but it's it's kind of like the uh, the language that the form is written in. It's not exactly a programming language, but it's it's it's, it's called it's an interpreter. It's it it it. It basically is the language, the programming language, the form is is operating under, and that uh, they're constantly upgrading the version of PHP. They're updating, upgrading it, and uh, when you get a new virtual private server, it comes with the latest version of PHP, usually pre-installed. And uh, when they're maintaining software, when vBulletin's maintaining the software, they will make sure the version they're maintaining. Works with the current PHP. So I had this problem when I switched uh, when I f- switched servers in early 2019. I found that my version I had an earlier version for. I found that that did not work with the current PHP. So I, I said, okay, do I either put in the work to downgrade PHP or do I just upgrade to the latest four and move over my changes? I decided the latter was a better idea. So I, I put some time into 
transferring my changes over because it was still moving from a version 4 to a version 4, so the, it wasn't that hard to move everything over. And that's what I did. It took a little time, but it wasn't tremendous work, and it, so then I, at least I had the latest version. But now they're just not updating it anymore. Now that the newest PHP, if you get a new virtual private server with the newest PHP installed, you cannot run the Bulletin version 4. It just won't work. And, uh, and they have that warning there in vBulletin. So they discovered this at 2 plus 2, that they can't just do that. And so they, they had two options. They had a few options at that point. They could either downgrade the PHP version on the new server to handle vBulletin version 4, but know that any security flaws of PHP will never be patched because they have to use an old version, and it'll get older and older and more and more obsolete, and, uh, and that also vBulletin itself will never release any security updates for this version, or they can move to something that's actively maintained. So they said, okay, we don't want to stick with this dead product. We're gonna, we want something that's actively maintained. So they had two options at that point, if that's what they wanted. They either had to go to vBulletin version 5 and just put in the work to recustomize it, or switch to completely different forum software. So what they decided to do was switch to new forum software. Now, had they decided to switch to something like Envision, which is uh, similar to vBulletin, because a lot of the original engineers of vBulletin worked on Envision, so they're kind of similar, not identical, but kind of similar, that would be more understandable. And I, I've known of some vBulletin software that have switched to Envision without tremendous complaints from users. I still like vBulletin better, but uh, I, I can understand that more. But they switched to something called Vanilla. I'd never heard of Vanilla. But... They actually posted a they posted an example of what the form will look like under vanilla, and boy, did they get clobbered. So two funny things were announced in this thread that was posted by Matt Galansky, which is David's son, who helps with two plus two on a, it's David's adult son. I think he's probably like around late thirties or forty or so. Uh, Matt Galansky posted that first of all they were uh, they're they're moving that they they have to move or actually they didn't even say that at first we're, just, we're, we're moving software uh, first of all the move's going to take four days so this is going to remain up but anything you post here for the next four days between March 26th and March 30th is not going to move over <laughs> which right away is kind of weird that, okay, you, you can keep using this forum, but we're going to clobber everything you've posted for the past four days. That's the first weird. Why not just take it down and say we'll be back in four days or, or, or try to speed it up a bit? I don't see why it should take four days. Like I, They can do a lot of this migrating in kind of a working environment and not actually disrupt it. There's ways to do it without taking four days. I don't even understand why it takes four days, but that was the first plan. And second, click on this link, and you can see what the forum will look like on our new Vanilla platform. Well, people clicked on it, and Vanilla was a very appropriate name because it looked vanilla. It, I think that's racist. <laughs> not only what, not only was was it very plain looking and drab, but the interface was terrible. The separation between people's posts wasn't very clear, so it was kind of hard to read. The whole thing looked super ugly. It, it looked like what someone would have made as like a forum project back in 2001 when they're just trying to experiment with with uh 
uh, with forums like this is my initial version of, of of a forum I'm trying to create. Like this sounds like like something would have someone would have made 20 years ago as like an experiment, not a mature product that someone's switching to. Now it turns out that apparently you can customize vanilla and 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 make it look better. And I've seen they actually run forums for large companies like uh, like EA, uh, the, the the game maker, uh, Electronic Arts. And uh, so, so I saw the Electronic Arts forum that Vanilla is running, and it actually looks decent. Uh, I still don't prefer the interface. I still think the interface for the bulletin is better, especially for, for what 2 plus 2 is. But uh, I also know something else. Vanilla is cloud-hosted, meaning you don't host it on your own machine. You don't control it. They control it. Uh, so actually, for this, I don't think it's good. I think it's a big mistake because if you're Electronic Arts, the last thing you want to do is get into the forum business. You don't feel like running your own forum. You just go, look, we want forums for our games, but we don't want the hassle with, with running a forum, getting a server to run it on, uh, hiring people to do this. It's, it's going to get too expensive, too cumbersome. We just, we're a huge company. We don't want to get into the forum business. So in that case, doing something like Vanilla is a great idea because they do everything for you. It's 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 all run on their end. You don't have to get a server. You don't have to get an employee to maintain it. Uh, it it's it's all very easy. They're managing mm-hmm. the whole thing, and it, it's expensive. It's overpriced, but uh, you don't care because you're a huge company, and it saves you a lot of money uh, on the other end. So it's it's fine. Uh, two plus two is a different story because they are a forum. So so all you have to do is uh, buy something like V Bulletin or something else uh, that's that's a reasonable substitute. Slap it on your own virtual private server and maintain it. It's, it's, it's much cheaper. So how much does vanilla cost? Well, on their own website, it says flexible pricing from $689 Ooh. to over $10,000 per month. <laughs> Not only that, but there's viewership limits. So the cheapest plan, the $689, you only get... 250,000 page Ooh. views per month, which isn't that much, 250,000 page oh. views. That doesn't mean 250,000 users. That means 250,000 pages Dude. viewed, period. So if, if the same person views 2,500 pages on the forum in a month, which they can easily do, uh, you out. Yeah, yeah, you're going to run out real fast. You're going to 100 <laughs> people like that, you're wiped out. So uh, it can get very, very expensive. It wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if Mason ends up paying... $100 billion. That would surprise me if, that, if that's what he's uh, having to pay. Uh, do you know the damage bad guy could do to that? <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 so this is uh, totally the wrong solution, especially because they are a form. It's not like this is a big company that just says, okay, someone else run this. We don't want the hassle. This is the company, the forum. Yes, they sell books, but the, uh, the forum is a big part of – what two plus two publishing is it's everything yeah so when you think of two plus two you don't think oh they're the bookmaker it sells uh, out of date holding books no you, you think two plus two the forum the, the the popular poker forum 100%. so 100%. so uh, so this is a so anyway people were just clobbering them and not just trolls like like even mod even like green mods on there were laughing yeah. about it oh yeah and, and and people are seriously serious even posted there who has a good relationship with two plus two by the way uh seriously serious posted please don't that was his entire message and well, i mean i'm surprised he would even do that because you know how how contentious they are that they'll just clip him so fast and he's making good money off of two plus two isn't he um, doesn't he 
videos and no, like, no, he no, he, no, no, he, no, he was working for Doug Polk, but Doug Polk had a good relationship with Two Plus Two, so it kind of indirectly oh, they were, right. but but uh, um, everybody, even as I said, even their own mods were clobbering them about it. Now, I will say that since Vanilla is customizable, uh, they basically gave a link to a very generic version, which just made everyone really hate it. One of the green mods over there, who wasn't even involved in the project of moving it over, this guy named Gregorio, he was just, with all the free time he has over the coronavirus quarantine, uh, was playing with the templates there and made a better version of the template, which looks semi-like the existing 2 Plus 2, but still needs a lot of work. I don't know how much they can get it looking like and and functioning like the existing 2 Plus 2, but uh, finally they decided enough is enough. There's been too much negative feedback and, and they're going to postpone this. So they change it to, it's happening on March 30th. We don't care what you say. F you. This is happening. Tough luck. Really? They, they, they changed it to change of plans, Matt Skolansky wrote. Uh, uh, and, and then they made a new thread explaining why the change of plans. They said, we've decided to postpone the migration to, to vanilla for at least a week for two reasons. One is technical, but the other is to give all, the time, all of you the time to visit the vanilla version of the forums and make hopefully constructive comments about wh- what will shortly become our new home. The vanilla version is populated with a version of our database from a while ago, and they gave the URL. You should be able to log in into it using your 2 plus 2 account. Uh, you'll be able to read posts, etc. Just be aware anything you do there will be lost when the final migration occurs uh and, and then uh, the final thing is matt actually said on a different thread that uh if you want you can still post in the original thread about this and laugh at us <laughs> so, let me ask you a question is it really kane callus on the fucking cover of this that's the poker pro they decide to put on the the header unbelievable where oh on, on their uh, on their training course i don't know yeah. that's that's something else that's uh, some ad they're running that's that's kane- that's not, that, that's not two plus two position. That, that's oh, some, no, no, that's the ad they're running. But uh, th- anyway, it looks like they've delayed it and they're trying to get some feedback of like what can you do to make it better. And uh, so they've held this off. What's pissed some people off is they just drop this on everyone. Going, this is what we're doing. We've already decided. Tough luck. And then they were also kind of like cryptic about it. They they said, well, at first they didn't say why. Then they said, well, we were forced to. It wasn't our choice. Well, what do you mean? I will explain later. I'm like, no, you guys are about to move. Just tell us honestly, why are you moving? Like, people just wanted to know, and it just it all came off very badly. I just don't understand why not. So I I asked some questions there. I was I was actually not even trying to troll them. I was actually trying to be, I I, I wouldn't say helpful, but I was trying to ask serious questions to not be a jerk. So uh, so I just I spoke my mind, but I, I tried not to be a jerk about it. And so what I said was. Uh, let me find my posts here. Should have had them up, but I did not. Um, uh, crap! I gotta find my posts. I, I thought I had them saved. One second here. This is what I get for doing live radio. Is that, is Ma- Mason Mason responded to me. That's why I, I want to read these. I had a, a small tiff with Mason there that ended in a way I didn't expect. So I said. I'm very confused by this, even having read Chuck's explanation. Chuck, says Chuck Weinstock is their technical guy. Uh, I also run a VBulletin version 4 forum. Granted, my forum is smaller and has less traffic than 2 plus 2, but that isn't really relevant here. I'm not thrilled that VBulletin is no longer supported with security and PHP version updates, but I see no reason to switch. The software's stable, and there aren't any known major security flaws at the moment. Which, by the way, I still don't understand. Why, they, why don't they just... 
why don't they just downgrade the PHP on this new server they're going to and just stick with that for a while, see how it goes. Anyway, I said, also, they have a version of 5v bulletin, which is, which is supported. Why not buy that instead? I'm not doing it because it'll clobber my custom mods, but it would 100, I would 100% do that over switching to this vanilla garbage. You guys should really reconsider. Seems like the new software is universally hated. Uh, then I made further comments, uh, and people were basically agreeing with what I had to say there, by the way. Uh, but I, I made well. Per- drop a lot of places won't support those lower versions of PHP because of the security issues, right? So they may not have even been able to find a host to take it if they continued to run. It no, back. I believe you can always downgrade manually. I, I you, you won't get them to do it for you, but I, I believe you can downgrade manually. I've never tried it, but I think you can downgrade manually. Uh, anyway, so I I made another post. I, I was making fun of the prices, and then I, I said. It's cloud-hosted, you see, so vanilla hosts it for you, taking away both your control of your own data and your reasonable cost, which is true. You don't have control of your own data. You can't customize it as much as you want if they're running it for you. So you can customize the look and feel, but you can't customize aspects of it. You can't say, I want this feature. I'm just going to add this feature. You can't do that if it's cloud-hosted. So I said vanilla is perhaps the right solution for huge companies such as EA, which don't feel like getting into the forum business. They just want to pay a company to run it for them, and that's that, even if it's overpriced. They're a horrible solution for a company which is best known for being a forum. Pretty shocked that Mason signed off on this. So Mason gave me two responses. In response to my first post, he was reasonable. He just explained why they're not doing vBulletin 5. He said, our understanding is that vBulletin 5, with all the customization that we require, will make it difficult for vBulletin to work with us. Mason, okay. Thank you, Mason, for giving me a, a polite and to-the-point answer. But then the next, the next response was classic Mason. When I said that I'm surprised he signed off on this, he says, You have no understanding of what our current expenses are, and there's no way your opinion can have any meaning without that understanding. For example, we use rack space for many things you're not aware of. MM, standing for Mason Malmuth. So I responded back, You're correct, I have no understanding of what your expenses are. It's easy to waste money on IT expenses. There's a huge variance in how much value one gets for their money based upon a number of variables, including the ability to shop around properly. I have no understanding of why the solution is going to replace your rack space usage for these mysterious needs. I do have a good idea of what a forum like this would cost to host on your own, given the current traffic levels. In any case, thank you for your usual curmudgeonly response to me. I was wondering when you'd happen by this thread to provide it. <laughs> so so he, so I thought he was going to come back again with a nasty response to me. The response he wrote back is so bizarre, I didn't even know what to say. Like, he actually silenced me by his next response. I just stopped answering. He says, he says back to me, perhaps you're right, and I could use a person like you. Are you available to be hired. I was just about to say that. I knew it. I was like, what? Is this serious? Is this sarcastic? Is this some weird swipe in me? I, I don't know. Because Mason doesn't, he doesn't get sarcastic very often. He He's passive aggressive, but he doesn't get sarcastic. Usually he's serious in his post. I, I don't know if he's seriously saying he I'll would hire he's me. serious. That's what Trump. I think. I think he, he might be. I think. Trump, it is so invaluable. They got some, they don't even understand the technical person that's working for them. You know, I don't even know that they understand. Yeah, it's, it's possible Mason's, it's possible Mason's like, hmm, the poker fraud alert's doing this cheaply and they're, we're not, we don't have that much higher traffic than they do. No, so. it's trolling. I don't know. Exactly. It's, I can't tell. I, I can't tell if it's if he's trolling. I, I don't know what the hell he's saying here. It's, it, it could go so many I different ways. I don't think he's trolling. If he didn't know you, maybe. 
but he knows you and the history. That's a troll. No, but he, but he knows that. But you know, but he not, you wouldn't troll. Uh, listen, the thing, the reason I think this might be serious is because I did return to his forum. It's not like I've. I, it's not like I said I want nothing to do with anything you do, Mason. I post on his forum semi-actively, so maybe he thinks, okay, you know, well, uh, he doesn't like me, but if I can solve this problem for him, he'll pay me. Like I could actually see Mason doing that. So I didn't. Hey, take I a, hope so. I mean, that's that's where I want the end game. <laughs> I didn't even respond. I'm like this. This would just be so weird like what a, if, if this would be like in the twilight zone like as much as the coronavirus thing seems like we're in the twilight zone this would be even weirder this would seem like the end of the world really is coming if i if i'm being paid by mason malmuth to do work for two plus two. Oh, please re- respond throw an email we need <laughs> we need some closure oh my gosh i i like i'm well, Trump, what if they said what if they said we're retiring we want you to take it over oh two plus two, <laughs> two, plus two. i can see two that by dropping Imagine how shocked everyone would be if Mason says, uh, "Hi, hey everyone. Just want to let you know we've de- I've decided because of my advanced age and because of some technical issues the site is now experiencing. I don't feel like dealing with. I'm going to turn the forum over to Todd Dandruff Wotelis. We oh, had our differences was, in the past, but I feel he's the best one. To, like, I think like everyone would just fall over in shock. I think they'd say this this isn't real life. We're we're in a dream. We're in a simulation. We would we would we would rise up with excitement and overjoy." It's just, it's it's just it's it's beyond bizarre that that response. I but okay, if you wanted to shut me up, it worked. I I I thought of like, what do I say back? And I go, I don't even know. I just I couldn't answer. It's a, we got to work on it. We got to send a a good response back. If if this is not a troll, we need to treat this as a real offer. The problem is, I was I was thinking of that, but I was afraid he's going to go back. Ah, you thought I'd actually hire you? Come on, what do you think? You think we're Whatever. done? No, but <laughs> listen. First of all, they don't be vulnerable. It's diff. It's different for you to be so tactical and know what has to happen for him to have. You know, I'm sure he doesn't have like people like <clears throat> with the seniority of like you and Calwatt that could do that could uh, build their platform. Yeah, it's, who knows? It's, do you even know who's working on it? Well, it says Chuck Weinstock, but I don't know who he is. I, I don't. I know nothing about him. So, um, right, I, I, he's probably just some consultant they bring in to put out fires, and now they want him to build this whole thing. Built? Isn't it already built? Well, no, no. What what they want? What Mason's looking for? If he's serious about this, what he's looking to have done, and the only reason I, I think this could be serious is because if I really do, if I really am seeing something that they're not, and I and I can basically make this happen in a way where it's because his he responded i didn't read this he responded to somebody else by saying or i think no he didn't respond but somebody else responded that this is actually this they're going to save money by this vanilla move as expensive as it is with a 689 plus per month which is probably a big plus it's probably not gonna be 689 it's gonna be four figures at least per month is my guess Mm uh I, i think that he felt, okay, we're saving money overall, so good, this is a win for us. And then I'm coming out going, ha, 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 come on, guys, you're wasting so much money on this, this is insane. And he's like, wait a minute, maybe Dan Druff is seeing something that we don't see. If he could somehow move us over and save us a lot of money per month, uh, I'd be willing to make a deal with the devil here with Dan Druff and, and pay him for it. It may be something like that, that he's willing, if it's going to save 2 plus 2 a lot of money every month, for sure, but is he ro- rolling the red carpet out before he gets a game plan? Uh, you mean to me? I, th- I think I, I think he wants. He may actually want me to give him a game plan and, and see if that's something that would accomplish the same thing for cheaper. I think that's what he right. may want to see. 
well, let's get some stuff in business here. Drop <laughs> I don't know, but I don't know if I, I don't even know if I want to. Like I was thinking, I was thinking, okay, let's say he's serious. Like, do I really want to do this? Am I the sellout now? Am I going to make fun of Perlot Friedman for being a sellout and then I'm a sellout? Like it's a like. Hell not- yes. <laughs> it's just such a strange thing. But sometimes, sometimes someone gives a weird response of left speechers. Like you guys know how I don't let uh, I don't ever let myself get ripped off by any companies. But one time I, in Vegas, I was I was going through the Carl's Jr. drive through, and as the Carl's Jr. was by where I lived, and I went there all the time, and and I ordered the same thing I always order, and it was like sixty cents too much, which sounds like nothing, but like the whole thing was usually like seven bucks, so it was like sixty cents extra for a reason I couldn't understand. So I said, uh, yeah, I know the price of this. It's it's normally this, and you charge me sixty cents too much. The woman could barely speak English. She goes, I it's a it's a seven sixty. I go, um, no, but it's it's not. It's supposed to be seven dollars, not seven sixty. And I I do this every time. Uh, price seven sixty drive through, and I just, she says the same thing over and over. And then like I give a whole explanation as slowly as I can to explain why there must be a mistake in the price. And she says back, <laughs> she says back, okay. And I said, okay, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll drive through and pay. So I just, I just drove through and paid the extra sixty cents because, I, like, I was left speechless. I, I could not. The minute I, you got K, you know. Yeah, that was it. The, the, K, the K was it. The, all, all she had to do was K, and that's it. I, 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 I quit the whole thing. I said, okay, you're getting my money. You're getting extra money. So that it, it was kind of like that. Once in a while, a, resp- a response is just dropped that I have no answer to. And this well, was one. I, I feel confident it they got. It, in fact, there was something happening with this whole two plus two thing that your your legions of people behind you, i.e., Trade and myself, and and the legions behind us, that we would be behind you and know that you're not selling out. You're just going with what is a progression. So <laughs> a progression of what though? <laughs> so let's go with this. Let's go. Let's get Mason. I I got to think of how I respond to this. This is so bizarre. Uh, but uh, and not only that, if you think about the, the further implications, it was probably if I was involved in migrating it, that I'd have access to all their data. Like, would Mason really trust me? Now, if, that would be weird. Now, if I w- now I will tell you the truth. If I was trusted with that data, I I would not violate that trust. I I would do whatever I claimed I was going to do. I wouldn't screw them. I wouldn't steal data or or, or, exactly. or look at people's stuff. Like, I would I would do the job honestly if I did took the job. But but uh, the, the the whole job itself would be just so bizarre to me after everything. Uh, so sure. that it's just so weird. So it'd be I, weird to us too, but we we buy it. It would be weird to everybody. So that's that, that was that's that's the strangest thing to come out of this whole discussion. The whole thing is I told you this is a weird story. So okay, that that's where that stands. I'll give you guys an update if I if I decide to answer him and uh, and we'll right now it has to switch. You have to even if it's a no. You have to. You have to. Respond. No, I, I would just. I just reply. What do you have in mind? Yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should just like say I don't, I don't understand what you're what you're. <laughs> Right. Yeah, something like that. Who do you have in mind? Oh, he's probably say, what listening. What do you have right in now. mind? That's it. He's listening right now, so just tell him right now. <laughs> you, you know what would suck though is if if my entry into that thread actually like instead of hiring me, they just look into it again. And, you know what? That Dandruff is right. Well, I can save a lot more money every month. Wow, I, I'm glad or Dandruff pointed this out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm so glad. I was going to say something about that for sure. Yeah, it, it was like... No more free consulting. Here, yeah. here, here's, a, here's a similar story. When I used to play on uh, on Bodog before it became Bovada, I would uh, I would play mainly the Limit Hold'em, of course, and uh, poker table ratings kept track of everybody because it wasn't anonymous then. And I was so proud of myself because if you looked on poker table ratings, I was like the number one limit hold'em winner on there. And uh, so, so people would look you at 
I, I was then when uh, on Bodog, yeah. So so right. uh, so I, I was proud of the number one poker table ratings. In fact, whenever someone passed me briefly, I was it, it would upset me. I actually wanted to be the number one winner on there. So um, anyway, I would occasionally play No Limit Hold'em when I when I couldn't get into a game or whatever, and uh, I play like five ten No Limit Cash, which uh, compared to the five ten No Limit regulars at that time, I, I wasn't very good. So um, I, I wasn't like a fish, but I, I wasn't as good as these 510 uh, regulars, and I, I had some various leaks in my game, including uh, continuation betting too much on the flop. So um, what I didn't understand at the time was that there were different etiquette. There was different etiquette for limit hold'em and no limit hold'em, strangely enough. That in the limit hold'em community, the bum hunting, the quitting when the fish quits, all that, that was completely acceptable in the limit hold'em community, and it had always been acceptable. Not just on Bodog, but like on every site. And in No Limit, this was a big no-no. Why? I don't know. It sh- there shouldn't have been a difference, but there was. For some reason, in the Limit Hold'em community, nobody criticized this at all, and everyone did it. And in, in No Limit, if you did this, you were kind of seen as a jerk. So so, 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 I'd play the No Limit 510, and I'd, I'd be able to tell quickly who the fish was or who the two fish were, whatever. Uh, I, I got to – and I could also put it into poker table ratings – so, so of course, I'd sit, and they'd enter me into poker table ratings, and what they would see is, oh, look, this guy is a huge winner in the Limit Hold'em games. In fact, the number one Limit Hold'em winner on there, but uh, he, he barely plays No Limit. He probably sucks at No Limit. So, so they knew me as this Limit guy who's jumping in every so often to their No Limit games, and, and that I'd, I'd sit out or quit whenever the fish would bust. So they go, oh, look at this bum hunter. We hate him. So they really got to hate me on there. Being, oh, so it made you a bum hunter as a no limiter? Yes, I, I, I was the no limit bum hunter there, and they hated me for this. So, the the guys who hated me, one of whom, by the way, now is a. There was one guy who especially hated me and was was saying that he didn't know who I was, but he said, "If I find out who you are and I see you in person, I'm going to punch you in the face." And I'm, wow. not, I'm not even a violent guy. The funny thing is, the guy who was going to punch me in the face is now a very active poster on Poker Fraud Alert, and and even he's even called into the show before. And we, we didn't realize who each other were for a long time because I I played under a different name and he did too. And only much later we realized who each other were. We had a good laugh about that. So he doesn't want to punch me anymore. But uh, um, he, he's the one who posts a big dick on the forum. But uh, anyway, they, they hated me over on the No Limit side. And because they hated me so much, they were mocking me for the mistakes I was making. So they go, oh, look, uh, it's, it's the bum hunter who has the continuation but after on every single flop. And I go, huh. Thanks for that. Well, maybe they have a good point here. So I started looking it up, and I saw, yeah, this is a mistake in No Limit Hold'em to continuation bet on every flop. So I stopped doing that. And so I started – like every time they didn't – I didn't say that. I didn't say, oh, thanks for telling me. I, I would learn from their criticism. I was actually happy they hated me because they were actually teaching me how to play No Limit yeah, Cash yeah. better. I'm giving you good advice. Right, right, by making fun of me. So I'm like, okay, make fun of me all you want. Uh, I, I, I'm learning from, from you guys. I know you're winning. I, I looked them up. They were winning players, so I knew, I knew what they were making fun of. They probably knew what they were talking about. Uh, so uh, that, that, was an, that may be the equivalent of what I did here on uh, 2 Plus 2. I may have uh, mocked them into doing the right thing, which is exactly. not really what I was intending, but sometimes – Sometimes that's the result. All right. Uh, hey, game games, what it's all about. Yeah. In the, in the chat, uh, I am Greek says, tell, tell Mason you don't come cheap, then the ball's in his court. <laughs> I, sh- I should quote him some really high price. Like, uh, yeah, he, he says, uh, uh, Grenada, Grenada Rogers says, Mason will choose the, the $689 option. His wife has those tennis lessons, as you recall. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think he can choose a six hundred eighty nine dollar option because I don't think that gives him enough page views. 
I don't I don't even know how many Yeah, pages. that'll be done by the 10th probably, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Poker Can Fun Alerts s- couldn't get, gets more page views. In fact, I'm sure we do. We get way more than 250,000 page views a month. So uh, that that would Especially now with everybody home, a bit traffic. Is oh, yeah. the traffic up for you? Right. That, that is another thing, that uh, the traffic is up every... Do you see a surge drop? I, you know what? I haven't looked at the stats. I do note... I'll tell you what I noticed, though. I'll tell you what I noticed is that people who used to post on Poker Fraud Alert and then just vanished, they're not necessarily posting, but I see them lurking now. I see them, mm. lo- I see them logging in. People I thought forgot we existed are now lurking again, and there's others who are not logging in that I'm sure are lurking that I just don't see, because I see them when they log in. But I don't see them if they don't log in. So how are the free rolls, man? Um, the the free rolls haven't been that great as far as the traffic because I've been announcing the show on such short notice. So mm. so people and most people who listen to the show are catching in the archives. Most people use this show as something to kind of uh, like pass the time uh, on long days when they're doing things, uh, grinding poker at their job, uh, driving somewhere, oh. hiking, whatever. Like uh, people. Uh, I guess they can't do the hiking anymore. But uh, by the way, isn't that crazy? Well, we'll talk about it in the coronavirus stuff. But actually, this wasn't even one of the topics. I can't believe that they are closing down all the hiking trails. Well, I can't. I kind of can believe it because everyone's doing it. Like I, I, I live by a lot of hiking trails, a lot of them. And uh, ever since this started, where you're told to stay at home, there's a tremendous number of people. At the hiking trails, you can see the cars are parked yeah, all over the place. We gotta shut that down, Drop. We gotta shut that down. Well, it, it has been shut down, but it's, it's uh, so you they've they've closed most of the hiking trails around Southern California for this reason because everyone flocked to them, and I see why they did because when you go there, you picture okay, I'll be out in nature. Uh, it's it's a wide open space. Uh, I'll be by myself. Like you kind of picture like you'll be the only one with that idea. And then you get there and there's like a million people hiking and then the trails, the trails narrow. So you pass by each other. So now, yes, it's true that because it's open air, the virus probably doesn't hang in the air as well as it will indoors. And there's no surfaces really to touch, but still, uh, uh, with all those people there together, much like people were catching the coronavirus at the beach together, which have since those have also since been closed. I can see with these crowded hiking trails, it's a problem. Uh, you got to take a stand. That's the problem. You have to take a stand about social interaction. And maybe hiking and walking by someone is not really that contagious. But if you don't do that, you can't tell people to not go to a bar either. You know what I'm saying? So it's either got to be all or nothing. Well, the problem – also the big problem is there's just a lot more people hiking now than were before. Like these trails are more crowded than I've ever seen before, and I can tell by the number of cars there are in, in the lots there. I don't have to go into these trails. And and I I think what's happening is people are home. They have nothing to do, and they say, well uh, – and they're never outside. They're like, okay, I feel like cooped up in my house. You know, you know what would seem really nice right now? Just being out in nature. Walking yeah. around and hiking, and I've got the time, and I'm tired of being inside the house. I'm going to go do that. And then they see a ton of people there. Oh, well, I'll just try to avoid them. And, and then it's very hard to because the trails are narrow. It's like it's, it's not like uh, you're, you're hiking in a giant open field. You, you have yeah. to pass by people in a pretty narrow space. So I, I see why they're closing them. It's just kind of like, wow, you just see this, and like everything's and being closed. Two parents in the 80s. So I, I, my parents are like, Right for the kill, you know? 
Yeah, my parents aren't. Uh, they're in their mid seventies, and I think the same thing. I, I, I worry. That's the same fucking demographic. Yeah, I know. I, I worry about that too. And I and uh, everybody who's around this age worries about their parents, and they yeah. think about uh, the the high death rate there. It's like you have, you kind of have like the outside worry for yourself, and then the uh, the big worry for your parents. To be honest, I have no worry about myself because. I feel like I can deal with it, and even if I get really, really sick, I, I have the wherewithal to deal with it. But my parents and my mom is so like fragile as it is that it, that's my real, real frightening of this whole the, my my real realization of the coronavirus. If 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 I didn't have my two parents that I felt like I had to take care of, it would be a different pandemic. I'd still be very aware of it and still be very uh, astute to it, but it wouldn't be so personal, you know? Yeah, well, the the the, the thing that still worries me for myself is that I'm not in an age where just it's super unusual to ha- to die from it or to make uh, or to have severe symptoms. Especially the dying is unusual, but not super unusual. And the but the severe symptoms are not are not all that unusual. Uh, and the most common scenario at this age is you'll have kind of and I'll talk about when we talk about the poker players who got this who were near my age, uh, kind of the mid-level symptoms where it's like a very bad flu plus some breathing problems. But right. that by itself I could handle. It's the fear I would have. If I started developing breathing problems, I would just be constantly thinking, oh, shit. Right. Is, is I'm the, joking. It, I'm it, joking. It, is the next phase going to be I can't breathe on my own. I've got to be one of those awful machines. And then the next phase after that is I'm dead. And like that's yep. and if, if I could know this is as bad as it's going to get, I, I could tough it out, knowing it's going to be better in, in a few weeks. But uh, it, it's the fact that uh, it, it, it's knowing where it can go, and that at this age, it does sometimes get to the severe symptoms. There aren't that many who die. There's some, but not that many who die around fifty. But uh, there's it, like if I was ten years younger, I would I would think okay, in all likelihood, if I get this, the symptoms will be mild or medium. Uh, now at this age, I'm thinking, okay, if I get this, in all likelihood, I won't die, and probably medium symptoms, but maybe mild and and maybe severe, and that that kind of scares me, especially after what I went through a year and a half ago. Right. This this would bring all that back on again if if they but were you severe. Could have already had this, and you don't even know it. Well, that that's what I hope. Actually, that's, that's a, amazing. I, I hope when the and we'll talk about this when we get to the antibody thing. But I hope I hope I take one of those tests when they're available. And it's well, this, they're force everyone to eventually. Right, and they'll say say okay, you have well, you've already had it. You've already you're had good. it. Okay, you're done. Like that would be great. But uh, and I hope my girlfriend has has had it too, and we're, and we're just done. And well, I, and then Ben, I don't I don't worry about Ben because he's nine. There's no way he's he's going to have much at all from this because the kids that age just don't have much of a problem with it. Exactly. So, it's not an issue. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let's, let's, uh, we jumped a little bit ahead with the coronavirus thing. Let's, let, let me move to the, uh, next, uh, non-coronavirus topic. And well, uh, let's keep talking about Perlod. No, <laughs> uh, so, low hanging fruit. So, okay. That is very low hanging fruit. Isai Scheinberg was, uh, Arrested back in January, he was the original owner of Poker Stars, and uh, there's some more developments to that. Uh, he has pled guilty in court and uh, has not been sentenced yet, but we will see his sentence soon. So here's 
what happened with Esai. Uh, first of all, I didn't realize fully what led to the arrest. I knew he turned himself in, but I didn't fully understand how that came to be. And uh, now I know better. And, uh, and that starts to make me think that there's more of a possibility he could see uh, jail time. So first of all, it's important to know this wasn't a voluntary surrender in the way you would think it was. It wasn't just he decided, hey, like he, he didn't do what Mikon did. Mikon handled it in a smart way in that uh, Mikon fled to Antigua knowing he'd probably be arrested and just said, F you, I'm not coming back unless you give me a sweetheart deal. And he hired the, those really, really good or connected attorneys, uh, Chesnoff and Schoenfeld in Vegas. And they negotiated with the DA who said, look, Mikon's just not going to come back if you make him go to prison. So either give him a sweetheart deal and get a conviction, a misdemeanor. We'll, we'll, he'll take a misdemeanor conviction and plead guilty. But it has to come with no jail time, and it has to come with a, a, a pretty, a very light financial uh, burden on him as well. And knowing that they didn't have much other option because Mikeon just wasn't going to come back, they actually agreed to it. So they get their conviction, but Mikeon got no jail time. He got two years probation. He got a slap on the wrist, uh, twenty thousand dollars, something fine, and, and that was that. So Esai didn't do this. That's at first what I thought he did. I thought Esai said, "Okay, I'm sick of not being able to come in the U.S. I'm sick of uh, always uh, watching over my back. I, I, I'm seventy-four years old. I just want to get this behind me. Let, let me work this out with the federal government. I'll pay him some money, and, and we'll be done with this." That's what I thought this was. Well, it wasn't. It turned out, and this this only came out recently. That he was arrested in Switzerland in June of 2019. And that was a surprise to him. He thought he was safe in Switzerland. Apparently he was not. They're not as neutral as you think. <laughs> so, so, so they arrested him because of this uh, warrant, this federal warrant for him in the U.S. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You, I, no, I, I don't want to be extradited. This is bullshit. You, I, I'm fighting extradition. You're not going to extradite me to the U.S. to face charges. And he spent a, a few months fighting this extradition. And then for reasons unknown, he decided to give up the fight. So they didn't win the extradition yet. It was still in process. And I, I think probably he figured there's a decent chance I'm going to lose this. And then once I lose this, I, I have no, no more bargaining chips. So uh, screw it. I will let them know how serious they were about prosecuting him. And then they found out. Yes. That they weren't bending at all. They're like, "Okay, you want to fight us? Well, we're going to fight you too." Yeah, we're going to bring, we're going to force, force the extradition, and then right. we're going to throw the book at you. And you're 74, and you're never going to get out of prison by the time we're done with you. So, and and that's something that older people really have to think about when it comes to prison time: is uh, is, is this a life sentence based upon your life expectancy? So, uh, I'm sure that was on his mind, being 74 years old. So, so Isai uh, decided to drop the extradition fight and decided to voluntarily surrender and that's what he did in january 2020 and he so he voluntarily at that point uh, flew to the u.s to be arrested and uh, now it's possible that they did work out the deal beforehand it's possible he so i think probably what happened was he said okay if i drop the extradition fight can we make a deal now before i come back and drop the whole thing and they probably said okay and, sure. and and and, 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 and then so, so he came he came in January, and there's going to be some kind of uh, sentencing. So he pled guilty, 
and that's that's the new, the news here is that he pled guilty, and and it's just a matter of him being sentenced. So the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, the one behind Black Friday, though different people in charge, uh-huh. different people in charge now, put out a press release dated March twenty fifth, twenty twenty. It says that Isai Scheinberg, the founder and former executive of Poker Stars, pled guilty today to running a multi-million-dollar unlawful internet gambling business. Wow! Uh, Manhattan U.S. Attorney Jeffrey S. Berman said, ten years ago, this office charged eleven defendants who operated or provided fraudulent payment processing services to three of the largest online poker companies. Black Friday. Uh, then, yeah, right, Black Friday. Then operating in the U.S., Poker Stars, Full Tilt Poker, and Absolute Poker, with the operating illegal gambling businesses and other crimes. As Isai Scheinberg's guilty plea today shows, the passage of time will not undermine this office's commitment to holding accountable individuals who violate U.S. law. And then they also mentioned that he is now the last one that they did not have a guilty plea for. So now they, they have all 11 uh, having pled guilty. Every single one of them, including Chad Ellie, who has been on this show and still listens to this show. Uh, well, they, what's their end game, though? Well, they, they, I'm sure the end game is money. They, so the, it says with Scheinberg's guilty plea, the all 11 defendants, Raymond Batar, Scott Tom, Brent Beckley, Nelson Burtnick, Paul Tate, Ryan Lang, Bradley Franzen, Ira Rubin, Chad Ellie, and John Campos. Now, most of these were on the payment processing side. Uh, obviously, Scott Tom uh, in charge of Absolute Poker, Ray Batar in charge of uh, Full Tilt. Uh, most of these other ones on the payment processing side, including uh, Chad Ellie. Uh, originally charged in the indictment, have now pled guilty. All but Scheinberg have been sentenced. And these guys were all sentenced a long time ago. This is the one that's been hanging for many, many years, and Scheinberg was just avoiding. All right. He had enough money to just spread it out over a long time. Yeah, he, well, he was just hanging out and, and avoiding avoiding arrest in places that they would arrest him and extradite him. So, so uh, anyway, this is going to be over. Now, there's no way that he came to the U.S. where they're going to give him any kind of appreciable prison time. Otherwise, he would have just kept fighting. It's, it's all predestined for him. He's been, he's been hustling this from the get-go. Yes, and, and keep in mind, this office, this U.S. Attorney's Office, despite their language about no one can escape justice, this office has never been about justice. This office, exactly. this office, this particular office in the Southern District of New York is and has been for a very long time, no matter who's in charge of it, about money, where they go after well-heeled criminal organizations that when they uh, arrest the principals involved, they seize a lot of money and assets and often – require that they forfeit these assets in order to get out of trouble or get into or, or get lesser jail sentences. So that's that's what's uh, that's what this office does. They this office will never go after a small potatoes operation. They're not looking really for justice. They're looking to nail criminal organizations that have a lot of money. And they went after Poker Stars Full Tilt and Absolute Poker, believing those three had a ton of money to pay their way out of it. Unfortunately only one of the three did, the other two were broke. So, uh, yeah, so basically they're, what they're going to do is do nothing. Right. So, so I think – now keep in mind Now keep in mind that, that PokerStars already coughed up money. They coughed up $750 million bucks. That's how you got paid back for Full Tilt and later for UB. It was PokerStars money that got the company PokerStars out of it. That's why there is a PokerStars Pennsylvania and PokerStars New Jersey and, uh, and wherever else they're going to end up operating on a state level. That's why PokerStars itself, which has different ownership now, but that's why PokerStars itself is now out of hot water. They paid $750 million. But Isai Scheinberg himself 
never faced the music. Now he is, and, and I'm sure it's going to be a financial settlement. It'll probably be, in all likelihood, uh, no prison time, some kind of probation, and, and some hefty fine, and that's going to be that. And then uh, uh, if there is going to be any prison time, it's probably going to be uh, – Oh, he's not doing any prison well, time. Well, it could be something like 30 days in, a, in an easy facility. Uh, yeah, federal yeah, – Place, yeah. yeah, like what they call Club Fed or some kind of halfway house, something like that. Yeah, clearly, they can make the case that he's not a, a danger to anybody. Which uh, we know he's not. No, it's, it's a, a 74-year-old Jewish businessman. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. That's got $100 million. Yeah. So, he's fine. So, so they, uh, this, this is all for show and also to make money for the office, and they can puff out their chest saying, uh, look, we got a guilty plea. They, they, they need some results somewhere. Yeah, and, and uh, so that that's – that's what's going on with Isai Scheinberg, and I will report to you whatever his sentence is. But don't don't expect to see that he's going to get uh, twenty years in prison or anything like that. There's zero chance it happens. Zero chance. Yes. So, uh, and, and that's fine. I mean, he's Isai. Hey, look, the guy didn't do that much wrong. He's. I mean, as a poker player, you have to look at Isai and say, you know what? Respect. Thank you for. Helping our cause. Yeah, he was. He was without him, we don't make the kind of money we made. Yeah, in poker. Right. So he he was a, a big. He, a big, he stole Druff's extra frequent player. He did. Points. He did. He did steal sure. my extra player. My Vintage frequent player. Points. What are you talking about? He, he did. He, he or someone <laughs> under him stole my frequent player points, and I I'm mad about that. But I, I mean, there's got to be casualties of war. But <laughs> but I will I will say I, I said this and Druff. Yeah, I said two months ago. Oh, sorry. I said two months ago that that uh, despite the frequent player point thing, which I still stand by, I don't change my mind on that. But no, that, that's but, a bullshit but, move. But but that I can I can recognize his contributions to the poker world, which were numerous, and that that uh, the poker world really is better for his existence. Oh, 100%. So so the, I I can't deny that. And and I've actually warmed to him somewhat over the years from hearing stories from people I respect that worked for him that that all said that he was very loyal to employees, treated everyone well, and, and was a very good guy. So I said, okay, that that also increases my uh, view of him uh, as far as being a good person. Even though I'm still pissed about the frequent flyer points that I lost about. Right. Well, the frequent flyer points against the amount of money you made because of all the traffic he brought. I would say that that traffic made more money than the frequent player points that it you did. lost. It did. Like I, I yes, sure. I, did, I did make a lot more money because he existed than if he didn't exactly. exist. He's but like, it's still a bullshit move. It was a bullshit move, and and uh, and and I was like one of the few people who saw it, which pissed me off too. It wasn't like it wasn't like the whole poker room. Like the poker world just didn't. Not only didn't they understand it, they didn't want to understand it. No one wanted to even listen. They didn't want to because that was just another layer they had to deal with. Yeah. And you're one of the only people that really did say that's bullshit. Yeah, and also and the, that's true, it was bullshit. Well, not but only that, the, the they the, just the, wanted their money back. They were like right. just grasping at That's what at I was going to say. That's what I was going to say is they were the only company paying people. So people exactly. were like, "You freaking ingrate dandruff. How how can you criticize exactly. Esai after he's the only one paying us?" I'm like, "Okay, so Yes, congratulations for not being a criminal and stealing right. our money. <laughs> he can just partially make you whole. <laughs> but like, like, thank you for not stealing my money. I don't know. Like, that feels weird to me. Right, you're right. But, <laughs> but I understood these guys had twenty, forty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars on that site. They're like, okay, well, I just want to get that money. If I can just get that money, I don't give a fuck about the FPP points. Yeah. No, I, I saw what they were calling for. It's like I got the, kind of like tuned out. Like no one wanted to listen, even listen. A few people did. Most people didn't and just said uh, – just thought I was an ingrate. But anyway, I, I'm past that. 
I, I still stand by what I said, but I'm past that. And uh, Esai, right. I'm, I'm assuming Esai will get a slap on the wrist and be a little bit lighter <laughs> in the wallet, and that'll be that. Okay. He, all of a sudden, he's going to own 888 or something. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay, mo- moving on. The, speaking of 888, the World Series of Poker, which has a partnership with 888, WSOP.com. They uh, run 888 software. Now, this isn't about the .com site. This is about the actual World Series of Poker, and they've made somewhat of an announcement. They've actually kind of made an announcement about an announcement regarding the fate of the World Series of Poker. Now, they have taken a lot of heat that so many major events have been canceled, but still the World Series of Poker has not. It's one of the few major events that's coming up in the relatively near future, now less than two months away. That has not been canceled, and a lot of people think that's a bad look for them. Well, I have said that I know exactly what they're doing, and uh, people kept asking everywhere, why hasn't the World Series been canceled? Why hasn't it been canceled? I addressed this two weeks ago, and uh, let's listen to what two weeks ago me – who's making noise in the background? Someone's eating potato chips or something? What is this? Trenerewski, what are you doing? Who's Very it? funny. I was just texting him, Druff. Don't let him blame me. Oh my God! <laughs> Listen, vintage one. If you're gonna if you're gonna come on this show, you can't eat uh, Lay's potato chips. Uh, during- I would not. Okay, I, I'm gonna play what I had to say two weeks ago. Why the World Series of Poker was not making an announcement, and then we will get to what they said this week. They are not suspending at this time the main World Series of Poker in Las Vegas. And I know why they're not. I know why they're not. Well, obviously money is the reason, but but why are they not doing when everything else is suspending? What they put was, and this is yesterday, the press release from uh, Seth Polanski. It said, as it relates to the summer World Series of Poker in Las Vegas, we are monitoring developments very carefully. It's scheduled to be held as planned. And here's here's the truth. They're looking at this and saying, we're going to lose a fortune if we don't run this. And it's still two and a half months away. So, exactly. so let's just wait. We can always cancel it later, but let's just wait. What if there's a tremendous amount of progress in stopping the spread of the coronavirus, and uh, and if by May first this is really not a thing anymore? Well, we want to still have it. We don't want to say it's 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 gone. We don't want to have to uh, change the dates or change anything else. We we're going to leave it. It's two and a half months away, and when it comes, uh, if we have to suspend it, so they want to wait to the very last minute to suspend it. And they don't want to admit that. They're just saying we're monitoring and it's scheduled as planned. What they're really saying is uh, we don't want to lose a fortune on this and we're not going to commit ourselves to losing a fortune two and a half months out. That's what they're saying. Uh, but but the chance of it happening, I'd say pretty low at this point. Uh, so there's various reasons for this. First of all, think, think, if they, think if they have it and then one person – in the whole field, let's say a, a field of, uh, let's take the big 50. Let's say they get uh, tw- uh, 28,000 uh, entries. Or let's, uh, let's talk about individual people. Let's say they get uh, 15,000 individual people playing. Let's say one of the 15,000 is diagnosed with coronavirus. Well, his chips went all around the tournament. They'll, they'd have to cancel the whole event. They can't just say, oh, well, someone got diagnosed with coronavirus for going on. So they would have to start canceling events when people are found with coronavirus and and because the symptoms don't show right away, there may be someone who plays who doesn't ha- who doesn't show symptoms yet, and then the next day they do. These are multiple day things. Uh, people are going to be really pissed if they have to cancel the tournament if it's like three days in. 
Uh, and then what do they do about future uh, events if they have to cancel one? Uh, th- of course. Th- this would have to be like like no threat anymore, and there just isn't enough time, I, I don't believe, at this point to get there to where two and a half months from now that they can start this and say the whole thing is no threat anymore. So I, I mean, it's like you, you, your analogy right there is exactly like this Rudy Gobert in Utah Jazz. He played Miami one night, and now all of Miami is. And Miami played Denver the night before, and it's like those are basically poker chips being spread around. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it just completely runs amok. Yeah. So, so they can't. Uh, so I can't see how this can go. It's just, it's just too close. If this were to start in July rather than start in late May, I'd say it has an okay chance then. But, but starting in late May. I, I think what they're going to do is postpone it, and they're even postponing the, the the circuit stops, which those could be canceled without as much consequence to them. But uh, even those are being postponed. I, 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 there's nothing magical about the World Series having to be in the summer. They, 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 in fact, they've jumped around dates before, not because of anything like this, but they've just kind of moved around the dates. Uh, uh, the last several years, it's been around the same dates, but, but like one month in the two thousand, one year in the two thousands, I, I remember it. Uh, it started fairly late. Uh, just because they changed the dates that year for unknown reasons, so they could easily start this in July and just and and run it through uh, the end of August or beginning of September. Uh, so th- they could easily postpone this and start it later. Uh, this may wreak havoc with people's plans where they had made specific plans to be available for it. But I think they'll still get very good numbers, provided that the coronavirus threat has passed. So I think that that will be where they'll go to next. Is if they have to cancel it, they'll say. Uh, we will, we've postponed it. We will announce makeup dates, uh, when we get more information of, uh, developments of the virus. And, and we're still looking to have the World Series in Vegas in 2020. That'll probably be the statement if they do cancel it. I imagine they probably won't announce a cancellation until, uh, early May. The reason that I played that whole thing since it was just two weeks ago, the reason I replayed that, I don't replay very much on this show, but I replayed that because I said that if they make an announcement, it'll be in early May. I did this with no information. This was just my assumption. Well, on March 25th, 2020, which was 11 days after I said that, which I just played you, it says this. A decision on whether the World Series of Poker will be held this summer probably won't be made until early May and that is in the Las Vegas Review Journal. That's crazy because it's supposed to start at the end of May, right? Yes, but that was my exact prediction. I actually said they're going to announce it. I just said that before I stopped the recording. What I said in the recording was that if they're going to announce it's postponed, it'll be in early May. And here it says that the decision won't be made until May. Right right in the Las Vegas Review Journal. Okay. So I called it perfectly. All right, draft. Hold, hold on. Jeremy's new at co-hosting. I mean, uh, Vintage One, this is where we (laughs) praise Druff for his foresight. (laughs) Druff, you are amazing. Thank you. I'm I'm taking a bow here. If I had the the camera on for Skype, you could see that. And look, to me it was obvious. I thought that there's only one reason they're not announcing a cancellation or postponement, and that's because they want to have as much info – before they announce the postponement, which early May seems like the right time because that's where they have the most amount of information, yet they have a few weeks before it takes place. They're not going to say... And it's the last opportunity for them to 
cancel it. Yes, yeah. So so they're gonna. So I think they know for sure they're canceling it at this point. But sure. but for they sure. but they that they're not gonna announce anything. Well, probably. Well, well, I think, hold on. well, I mean, they, let me let me all, let me clarify. It's, I mean, it's easier for them to do since they own the venue and stuff. <clears throat> you know. It's not like the rent. Why would they party. cancel it right now if they could? Well, well uh, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe it could it be insurance unless well, well, it's a state me, of emergency. Well, no, I, I can already. I can already I no, no, I, I, I now can, you're talking exactly right. It's about some kind of deeming it due to a uh, national emergency where now insurance pays everything off. Yeah, that they might that, right. So that that might be part of it too. That also might be that they they can't cancel it yet because it'll, sure. it'll it'll be considered voluntary where in, exactly. in, in maybe exactly. in, in May they they have to. So it could be that it also could be that they just don't want to uh make this decision without enough information of when they can possibly move it to. So and, well, and, Trump, and they know at this point that it's not going to happen. No, but they don't know where they can That's move it to. They're trying to, to, so, to so dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But here's what they don't have yet. Like, they don't know right now if playing the main event in early July is feasible or or playing and, – and you'll hear this in the article. So this article was in the Las Vegas Review-Journal where they interviewed Seth Polanski, and he said that uh, – Things are changing daily, not just daily, but hourly now. Uh, we'll continue to monitor everything. He said that uh, some uh, that uh, they might actually do a, uh, a a partial schedule where they don't uh, run all the events that are scheduled, which would be things like just running the main event and maybe a few others that are around the main and canceling the rest, or maybe moving those to after the main. They actually they also said that. Uh, they may alter the dates of the event that they couldn't do it before because the convention schedule for the Rio was packed, but that they've had a lot of cancellations, as you might guess. So now they are wide open to move the event to another time of the year because they've had all these convention cancellations. Right. So, so it really does look like that they want to move it and then be relatively certain that they're not going to have to move it again. Much like Coachella. Coachella just said, you know what? It's not going to happen in April. We know it's not going to happen in April. Let's just go to October. October seems like a safe date to move But they this. did that like three months prior. It's like the World Series could do the same thing. Well, no, they did it like last month, I think, uh, Coachella. And uh, and I know that the, – so the World Series, they were taking place about a month and a half after Coachella was going to start. So they had a little more time. I think, though, that what they should do, since they know it's not going to take place on May 26th, there's no chance. There's absolutely no chance the way we are right now on, on uh, March 28th, now March 29th as we pass midnight, that by May 26th, less than two months from now, everything will be all clear and we can feel safe to play the World no Series. Chance. There's no zero, chance. There's zero, zero chance. chance. Yeah, there's no way. So, so I don't know why they don't just come forward and say it's not going to happen as planned on March 26th. However, we're still monitoring the situation to see when would be the best date to well, postpone it because, until. And because then, it's, it's exactly what Trader Ruski said. It's an insurance thing that they're waiting to get to a certain point where they can make a declaration that it's a natural national disaster or whatever the declaration is where insurance covers a good portion of it and they don't take the hit. Yeah, it's probably both. It probably is the insurance plus them wanting to 
have a better date to postpone it to. Of course, of course. That, There's no other reason. And, and I'll, com- it's I'll not combine bad. with the regular. And I'll combine with the uh, incompetence of Caesar and all the mistakes. <laughs> of course. I mean, come on. You know better than anyone, Drop. The fail that Caesars does, you think they're going to handle this any better without any fail? No. And, and, and you know what? I wonder if this is going to play. I wonder if people who know Caesars and all their fails are going to be like afraid to go there. Going, we can't okay. trust. We can't keep, trust them to keep us safe. We, you they, can't even go no, get a comp from them without a fail. Now you got to come. They were they were genius not to put the whole schedule out. See, they oh, yeah. they had the foresight yeah. to see. Well, that. actually, it finally just after it was out is when it really started to become realistic that it's not going to happen. But uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe the uh, the piecemeal schedule made everyone so frustrated they stopped thinking of the World Series as much. Exactly right. They're like <laughs> rain men now. <laughs> I'll bet a lot of people didn't like book travel and have nightmares they're dealing with because of that. So well, it actually happened uh, enough ahead that I think it saved a lot of people booking and everything. I know it did me, and I'm sure you, Trader Ruski, that it, it kind of saved us all the hassle of preparing for what we love to do every year. Well, I think it saved a lot of people some money who, who lose there every year. But uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> us, me included, trust me. But uh, Look, it's uh, it, this is something – I don't even know if it's going to take place, really. It depends where this goes. Like if – because I think it's done for the year. Maybe an online, an online series, but that's all that's going to. What, what do you think, traders? You think there's going to be well, a World if Series? If, no, because if you think of the types of events people will start participating in again, poker's got to be probably you know a hundredth. Just because you're passing chips. I mean, imagine you're playing at a table. Some guy's like scratching some zit on his. Face, oh, it's disgusting! Grabs the chip. <laughs> I mean, that happens normally. Normally. I watch people eat French fries while we're playing a fucking game. And I'm like, and this is with no coronavirus, anything. The guy is fucking coughing in his hands, dipping his French fries in ranch dressing and eating them. And I'm like, dude, you're touching the chips with those same hands. How can you eat your fries? And they have no fucking, it doesn't even bother them. Can you imagine with a pandemic out there? Yes, well, see, that, that's, mean, that's going to be – yes, that's going to be a big problem. Now, they're going to have a re- reduced oh. participation, but even beyond that, not only does this virus have to pretty much be done for them to do this, but the public does have to buy in of, of how they're going to feel safe there. So it has to really, wow. really be done. It has to really be to where there's no fear of recurrence because if, there, if there's a place that's going to recur, as you guys are saying – it would be here. If you're like, okay, this is mostly gone. I can go about my regular day. I can go to work. I, I can uh, I, I can go out and do activities. Uh, maybe I'll even go to a baseball game. But if there's one thing I'm going to be afraid to do, well, two things I'm going to be afraid to do, uh, going to the World Series of Poker and taking a cruise. <laughs> yeah. so, well, so, and to be honest, I'm like the least germaphobic person there is. And I was thinking the exact same thing you're talking about. And I was like, well, when would I feel comfortable going to play a live poker tournament? And you know what? Gosh, I'm not sure when. And and they can say, oh, coast is clear, and I'm still going to be sitting back and like, oh, I think maybe I'll just play on Bovada. Well, I'll tell you when I'll feel comfortable is e- either if I if it's so eradicated that it's just like nobody's getting it anymore, or if I have the antibodies in me and I know I've already had it. 
Right, right, right. Which they're going to test everyone. Right. Well, at some point, you know, we'll, we'll get to that shortly of the antibody discussion and all exactly. that. Some always a lot of new developments every week as we do the show uh, regarding the coronavirus. So that's that's the news of the World Series, and uh, they basically put out news that there will be no news until early May. And I was just so proud of myself that I predicted it right. That I, I say yeah. early May, and it's going to be early May. You were right on it. That's for sure. That's at least I, I read that one correctly. No, no embarrassment on that prediction. Okay. Uh, last topic before we go on to the coronavirus. Phil Galfond is continuing to absolutely destroy Vinny Vitti. God, is that good too? I'm sorry to interrupt, but that is amazing. Maybe the the greatest comeback ever. Right. So so now people are starting to wonder. What's the real story here? And and this is exactly why I said Phil shouldn't have done this on his own site because once he gets down like that, either way he's going to lose. He's either going to lose because he just loses or he's going to lose because he has a tremendous comeback and then people question how are you having a tremendous comeback on your own site like this, uh, something's fishy. So it, it's hard to – even if he's being completely honest, it's it's hard for, hard for him to come out of this without uh, – Something looking bad. Either oh yeah, like- Druff, I'm from Hollywood. I grew up in Hollywood. I work on TV shows, and this is the greatest script ever. Yeah, and it's and it's the greatest script ever because of promoting your own site. What's the best way to do it? The 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 hero falls behind tre- tremendously, and then takes a break and and is contemplating quitting, and then he comes back and he just destroys it and destroys it and and equals it, and then they, oh, it's a big fight towards the end, and and the hero wins. Oh, it's such a perfect fucking Hollywood story, but yeah. gosh, does it reek of UB? <laughs> right, and so 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 the the amazing thing is first it looked like. Just Phil couldn't do anything right. He's just getting clobbered every single time. It looked like he was on pace to end up losing more than two million euros, and uh, it looked like just a, a complete disaster. This challenge, and, and people are saying, uh, "Okay, clearly he can't hang with the, with the, the top online players these days." He was a good 2010 player, but not a good 2020 player. Boy, now it's the opposite. Now Venny Vidi just gets stomped on every time. He occasionally books a small win of like twenty thousand euros, which for those stakes is a small win, and then Phil comes back and crushes him for a hundred. Euro again, like so. So more of this has happened, and and this nine hundred thousand euro uh, lead that Venny Vidi had before Phil took the break has now been reduced to an amount that's low enough to where Phil could actually come back in the next session and, yeah, oh, and yeah. even it out. It's, it's, it's down to one hundred fifty-four thousand euro from nine hundred thousand. Yeah, and they have. About uh, fifty six to fifty seven hundred hands to go out of the twenty five hundred. So there's yeah. there's still more than twenty percent of the challenge left. And keep in mind, Phil has had wins recently of one hundred forty thousand euro, one hundred six thousand euro in the last session. Uh, he had one hundred seventy thousand win. He had he had one hundred thirty nine thousand. No, he was never finished up one hundred seventy thousand, but he oh, he was up oh. at one point. But he's had one thirty nine, one forty. He just had one oh six. So he could in one session possibly knock this last 154,000 out and have hands to go, this thing could finish with Phil substantially ahead. And let's not forget, the end result is whoever's up $1 wins, what, it's it's 
250,000 to 25,000? No, 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 it's two to one. I think, I think it's 200,000 to 100,000. So I think Phil only gets 100,000 instead of losing 200,000. But still, like, there's that too. And, and, uh, Venny VD actually rage quit one of the sessions where he was down, the one he was down 85,000 on, on uh, March 26th. He actually just quit the session early because he was so frustrated. He rage quit today. Oh, I didn't know he rage quit today too. Wow. Um, yeah, he rage quit today. I was watching today. They only did like uh Oh yeah, I see three ninety three hands, no, you're right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did way way fewer hands than normal. Usually they're doing like like five hundred, six hundred hands, yeah. sometimes seven hundred. All of a sudden he just sat out and said that's it. And then he had to pay Phil a certain amount of money. They have a lot of stringent uh uh payoffs. If you stop early, you pay. Yeah. And so so there's some people who are watching this that are suspicious and uh, and rightfully so. I understand it. And and so and, and I am one of them. Right. So 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 there's two ways to look at this. You can look at it that Phil has never been known to be a shady guy, that he's never been known to be a cheater in any way, that he was one of the top uh, heads up uh, PLO players back in 2010 it's not like he was some fish who's suddenly doing well and and that and that there's a lot of variance and heads up plo so it is conceivable that one could run really bad and also lose their confidence in running really bad take a break come back fresh start running well and then the reverse happens where the opponent uh starts playing worse and and you get your confidence and and it turns around the other way so that's that's one way to look at it but but there's also uh other ways to look at it that uh, something may be wrong here. So I'm going to read a, a comment from a listener, a pretty long text I got. Uh, but uh, I think the guy raises some good points, and uh, I'm, I'm going to read exactly what he wrote. This is what he texted me earlier today, a, a guy in uh, Long Island, New York, hopefully safe from the coronavirus. I know it's worse in New York City, but uh, Long Island, it couldn't be a picnic either. He wrote, uh, Hi, Todd, really enjoying the show. Thanks for doing it during this time. I had some thoughts on the Galfon Challenge and Caesar's Rewards. I'll, I'll skip the Caesar reward stuff, but here's, here's the Galfon challenge stuff. Please. <laughs> uh, the, the lack of cynicism at this incredible comeback on Twitter is alarming. People are just accepting that this is all on the level. We know this is on Phil's site. Phil's site has basically been a fail site, so his investors are all in the red. The tables for the challenge had to be specially programmed for this challenge. That's true. So it could be streamed, and Phil has been very squirrely when answering financial questions. That's also true, Re- referring to, like, who's backing him, how much he's backed, things like that. He did admit he's somewhat backed in this, but he, he, he was very cryptic about it when he was on Chicago Joey's show. Uh, I don't doubt that this being Phil's site during the break, the run at once people had the chance to run through, to run very thorough analytics. That would allow them to find patterns in both Venny Vitti and Phil's game that can be exploited. Also, in heads-up PLO, there are for sure less variables to take into account when it's just you and one opponent. But even if I accept that Phil had all this info and, and studied and made changes to his game in two weeks' time, I still think something's off here. I won't go over them here because you have discussed them, but to get to a point where it now looks like Phil will overtake Venny soon, I am expecting that when we get to there, we, we may then hear something from the Venny VD camp and the challenge may be halted. I do think there is a chance with the investors already down a lot of money on the site and prior to Phil's comeback being involved in this million dollar or so would be debt that someone told the programmer to rig this somehow. The public seems to be naive sometimes, not realizing when this kind of money is involved, people will take advantage of the situation if they can. Look, I can't argue with any of that. Uh, he, uh, There is a lot of money involved, not just the million dollars or so uh, comeback we're seeing. That that's That's enough by itself. But also the... 
fact that there is an implication both for Phil's training site, which is successful. Oh, yeah. the, the fate of his site. Yeah, the, like, like, does anyone want to buy training from a guy who just got absolutely clobbered by an unknown Euro dude? Like, uh, you, you, you're buying Phil's training site, even if it's not him, you, you, you're attracted there because Phil Galfon's a great player. If, if he's known as a laughingstock in 2020 of a husband who got destroyed by a, by a good 2020 player, uh, th- there's less motivation to get training from his site, even if it's not even him personally doing the training. So, so there's, there's the implications for his training site. There's the implications for his, Run it once poker site that people are going to think uh, they're, they're going to find it less appealing to go to the site of their poker hero if their poker hero just got destroyed. So there's a lot. And also there's the investors who have backed him in the match that if they're already losing money on run it once poker, if they lose additional money here, that also is another hit they may not want it to take. I've said the whole time that you're not just trusting Phil here, who may be very trustworthy, but you're also trusting anyone who's programming the site and anyone who has a piece of him who also has a piece of the site that may have access to those programmers. You're also trusting Venny Vidi. This guy could be in on this, too. Okay, that's, and it's right. all just a play to fucking build some fucking eyes. Right, and that's... So, and, th- and this could, let's be realistic about this. Right. This this could be like the uh, the Andy Kaufman and, and Jerry Lawler 100%, thing in the eighties. A hundred percent. And it's more likely that way than any of this because it's so bizarre how it's all transpired to this point that this guy's going to go so far up, and then there's this big uh, uh, introspective where I have to stop and think: Am I going to quit? Is he going to quit? Let's take a few days off. I'm going to pay $8,500 or 8,500 pounds a day to not play you anymore because I have to think about it. And then I come back and I just blast you out like it's like not the same person I played. And now it's like so close and everyone's so involved and the viewership's up and his numbers on his site are up. It's just like it's so perfect, right? And, it's, it's, and that's another problem with Venny Vidi being anonymous. And so, so this exactly, if, no if, one knows who he is. If, it could be fucking Farah Galfon. Yeah, if, if that's that is another problem here. That if this is what they're doing, they wouldn't even need Phil's site to do it. They could do it on any site if they're gonna if they're of gonna course, if they're gonna fake course. a loss against each other. Uh, it would be more respectable if it was Bernie right. now or something, you know, than someone who we know who it is. Yeah, I just got a text but from. The, uh, I'm sorry, Trey Risky, you want to say something? I was just going to say that person's obviously been playing for a long time, so is it's it? not just like a yeah, brand new right. game. That, that is, is it true. obvious, though? Do we know who he is? No, but he, he had, he, he, no, as someone who has been playing for a long time on Poker Stars, it's true. But, oh, you but know no, him? No, I, nobody knows who he is. They just have seen him on Poker Stars for, for, for a few years, and, and he's done well. But 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 it, it, it doesn't take away the point. It's possible he's friends with Galfon, and this was was rigged in some way. Uh, then someone just texted me from the five hundred seven. A listener to the show said uh, the conflict of interest with Phil playing on his own site is insane, and the players willing to do the challenge must be idiots business wise. Yeah, like look, I've said this before that you have to trust the person you're playing with to such an extreme for this type of money to play on their own site, that I don't think anybody playing Phil Galfon knows him well enough to trust him, and you also have to trust his programmers and investors, who you definitely don't right. know well enough. So, but Jeff, if you were to pick one person before all of this that you would feel like you could put, at, at that time, that you could put all your eggs in a basket, it would probably have been Phil Galfon, right? 
You mean you mean as far as trusting him? Exactly. Well, there's a, there's a number of people. He he would be someone I would say is trustworthy in poker. But I, as I've said, you you have to trust the programmers. You have to trust the other investors, and right. you you also have to wonder if if he is under the extreme pressure with everything's crashing down and someone's exactly. destroying him. Well, that's the point there. That's the huge point. His sites have failed, and yeah. he's struggling now. And before all these these. Uh, Challenges started. I mean, am I am I wrong in saying that it was a complete fail? This site? No, it, it is, and now now it's doing a little better because all the sites are doing better thanks to the coronavirus. And that's right. so he's run well in two ways recently. He's run well with with the with the match where he just can't lose, and then his site, while still struggling and still has a lot of problems, and I still think it's going to fail long term. Uh, the traffic has gone up, not what they were hoping it would be, but but it probably doubled or something thanks to the uh, the coronavirus. So, but is Phil willing to throw the kitchen sink at it to make this site work? Right, I believe and, he is, and they're losing a lot of money on it, and still they don't have tournaments. Like it's a big. Imagine well, doing this whole challenge here, and you don't have tournaments uh, for people to come play when they see the site running. Like that's a fail absurd. by itself. It's absurd. So so uh, this. I understand why people are asking the questions, and this is why you don't run it on your own site. You can promote your site while you do it. You could say this challenge uh, is sponsored by Run It Once. You can do things like like that. You just got to have it on a neutral site, and I think playing on, on – uh, and this is actually why I never bet on any of his opponents. I actually thought that Venny Vidi would, would beat him. But I didn't want to bet on him because this is just too weird. Like it's it's strange. It would be strange for me to say that I think Venny Vidi is going to beat him, which I guess would have ended up being a bad bet because he's probably not going to. But I think he's going to beat him. But uh, Venny Vidi shouldn't trust it because it's uh, it's on his own side. It's one way or the other. So I said, look, I'm going to put my I'm not going to put my money where my mouth is. By I'm not going to bet on Venny Vidi because I just I can't trust it being that it's on Phil's own site. It has to be a neutral place. And I've said before that I wouldn't expect any of you to trust me to play me for high stakes on a site I control. <laughs> Seriously, you, you, sh- you shouldn't. If I if you're playing me for 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 the 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 result can be where one of us owes each other a million bucks or more, uh, you should not play on a site I control. I'm telling you this right now. It should be neutral. It should be neutral. Even if you think I'm a, the most trustworthy guy you know, none of you know me that well. So this, for this much money, you should not play me and on guess, a site I control. Exactly. And guess what? You wouldn't want it to be because if you beat me fair and square, you would want me to know that it was legit. Yes. I would, right. I wouldn't want it on my own site because it would look terrible if I, if I won exactly. a lot of money. Because you don't win even when you win. Yeah. It's, it's the same reason why you don't – you try not to be the umpire at your kid's little league game. Right, exactly. It's very suspect. Yes, if if you if you make a decision that falls in the favor of your kid, everyone says it's rigged. So, you you, you always want to in any competition, you want it to be somewhere that's neutral, that there can't be accusations. There, it, there there's not bad optics to the whole thing. And I exactly. said this, this, I couldn't see how Phil was going to win with this because win meaning as far as how he looks. Either he looks like a fish who can't beat today's competition or he beats today's competition and people think that it was rigged. That You don't Second win either way. Like that this is a weird thing way, way early in this whole competition. And it kind of just came to fruition the whole way. Yeah. And it just made me feel really uneasy. But I always trusted that Phil was like, one of the good guys, but I understand what desperation does to people, you know, when you put so much time and effort into making a site, trying to make a poker site that you're 
when you're doing it, you're sure it's going to be a big hit, and then it's not. I understand desperation will do weird things to people. Yep. That, that's right, the- but to do it in a way where it's just so ridiculous, he really, he goes up close to a million, Would then, you, you know, loses that- it all back. Yeah. I mean, is no, it that? I just think- well, it, if they were going to do something, you'd probably do something less spectacular. Well, I don't know if they're trying to get attract attention. So, maybe not. See, if, no, if it, you need you need that that big huge ebbs and flows to to create the the narrative t- for people to get mass people. You don't just want casual people watching or yeah, just I, poker I, fans. I agree. I agree with with everyone. I agree that this this does a few things. First of all, it makes a lot more drama, and second. Uh, instead of just Phil just coming right out and beating him, everybody goes, oh, it's his own site. Of course he's beating him. Uh, instead, Phil just gets beat down. Everybody's like, oh, Phil, wow, he's really lost it. Wow, he really sucks now. Wow, he can't beat anybody. And you know, what's going to happen with the other challenges? Oh, man, I feel so bad for Phil. And then, okay, I'm taking a break. I'm taking a break. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to quit. I, I may quit. I've, I've got to decide. But uh, I'm taking a break. I'll, I'll let you guys know soon. And I'm not sure, but... I, I will. I will tell you soon, and then he comes back, and then he returns. <laughs> and he makes a triumphant return at the beginning of March, and he smacks down Venny Vidi. What a story! Two pair. <laughs> so yeah, it's. I don't know what to say about this. It's it's uh, it's going to raise a lot of questions. I can say that, and I don't know, maybe the, maybe the general public will fall for it. Phil himself actually tweeted today. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but basically saying, uh, "I know a lot of you are rooting for me now that I'm getting close to past the break-even mark." But remember, this isn't a movie. It's not going to necessarily end like that. But no, I think it will. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I'll be honest with you. I followed it the whole way, and I listen to when when the stream ends. Every time it ends. Phil comes on and we talk about the hands that they played. And I mean, from that perspective and the way he talks about the hands, it, it's very unique and, and uh, seems like it's completely legit. And he's just such a, a, a warm, nice guy that you really want to like and right. you really want to trust, you know? So, I mean, those interviews after every session – Helps me believe that maybe there is some truth to it. I hope. Hopefully. It's just there's no way to tell. Exactly. There's no way to tell because, I mean, of course, he'll do the same exact thing if he was trying to hustle me, too. Yeah, and and he does. That's the thing. He he does come off as a very warm, nice, and likable guy. He comes across as, I mean, as legit as possible and as humble and like, oh, I think I played probably 75% good and. Probably I had some good run good on this one. It was probably had nothing to do with how I was playing. And he's just like really down to earth and, and, and really kind of enlightening and, and fun to listen to. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's down, he comes off as down to earth and very easygoing and, and not, yeah. ar- not arrogant and just a, just a, a, a person who you can like you even want when, to win. Yeah, when, when they're success, you can even like them when they're being successful. 100%. You don't know, like, you think, oh, what a, what a, what a great guy, what a nice guy. And, uh, yeah, that's that's always it's, been. It's, it's not an accident when you're watching the stream and and Joey and and Stapleton or whoever are are, are doing the 
the play-by-play that 100% of the people are for Phil. There's not one fan for Venny Vitti. Yeah, I know. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, so and, – and you get caught up in it. And it, Look, I, I hope for Phil to win when I'm watching these streams because he's just a very likable guy. And God forbid that you, something ever comes out that this is not legit – that would be heartbreaking. Yeah, that would, because, that would that would really shake the poker world if oh, it ever did. It would, I mean, it's it's the le- poker's over if this is fixed. <laughs> really, it really is because we can't take another hit like that. And 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 Phil Galfon is our fucking Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, he you know? kind of is. That's funny. He kind of is. Yeah. You know, and, it, and if he's cheating us or or hustling us. Forget it. Poker's over. I'm, 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 I'm deleting Bovada. I'm deleting Ace. <laughs> yeah, you know what's interesting is my I'm, I'm out. He I'm was just fucking watch YouTube. Prior to Try. prior to his uh, run at one site, uh, the poker site is not the training site. Prior to that and the problems it faced, uh, really there was never anyone who ever had anything bad to say about him. The first chink in his armor. The first criticism he started facing was the run at once site and how he was handling some of it and how he was responding to people and he seemed kind of dismissive and passive aggressive and people were like really? whoa you know really? yeah 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 people were like whoa I didn't I, that didn't, he, he he never confrontational never but uh, but there was a lot of uh, kind of passive aggressiveness and uh, uh, a lot of sides people saw of him there that they go oh this is the first time we've seen things of him we don't really like very much as I said never never. Uh, direct in your face and never attacking anyone. So I don't want to mischaracterize this, but uh, yeah. but but people saw some things they didn't love about him and they were starting to turn on him a little bit. And uh, and then this started and then people kind of just more felt bad for him. Like, whoa, first he has a poker a fail site and, and now he's losing everything in poker. Wow, this is this is awful. And now but now that he's coming back, now the tide is turning again. Everyone's loving him and it of course helps that Throughout this whole thing, he's never been arrogant or, or nasty about it. Oh. And has always been very likable throughout the entire match, even when he was losing. So, very humble. Very humble. So, okay, uh, let's talk about the coronavirus. Uh, okay, Druff, listen, I, I, have to, I have to tap out tonight. Okay. But listen, it's been great. And listen, I'm here to, to hang out with you guys every show here. So just... Let me know a little ahead of time. And oh, okay, good very to good. Go. Very good. Trader Risky, you still going to be here? You're going to tap out too. I, I'm, I've got, I'm good for a bit. Okay, so, you got, you got one. Good to hear your voice. We'll hey, Trader Ruski, I miss you, buddy. It's good to hear your voice too. You too, brother. Hey, good times, man. This is the best. I mean, I'm not alive until I'm on this show. I, I guarantee that. <laughs> this coronavirus is out of control. And I look forward to these little meetings that we can do. So okay. I'll see you guys on the next one. All right. Very good. Take care, guys. You too. So I guess I guess at least the one good thing with the coronavirus, we get uh, Vintage One co-hosting us with us out of this. We'll try. Because uh, otherwise he's all busy with his Hollywood stuff. He doesn't have time for this. But uh, now now he does. His, his loss is our gain. So. You can hang out with the little people. Talking about the coronavirus, I want to talk about the antibody situation. Because that could be our ticket back to normalcy. And I don't think it's getting enough talk in the media. So I want to talk about it. This is not uh, something you hear nowhere, but it's, I don't think it's getting enough attention. I, th- I think it's huge. I think this is something that that could really uh, be the ticket out of this being the current disaster it is. It's not going to be a, a, a cure-all. It doesn't cure anything, in fact. But, but as far as 
society returning to normal, the economy starting up again. Because we, we've got two things happening at once here, both of which are bad. We, we have the coronavirus itself, which is killing people. And then we have the economy, which is dying each day. And the more the economy is basically shut down, the higher chance we have of a major depression, not just a recession in this country, which could take a very long time to get out of and could fundamentally change the United States and not in a good way. You have to give some respect to the economic side of this. And unfortunately, the economic side of this, when this is brought up, some people will say, oh, you're just, you're just valuing money over lives. Well, no, because lives are connected to money, and uh, if you have a depression, there's going to be people who die from that or have miserable lives because of that. So you can't just say, oh, okay, well, as long as we save lives, uh, if we have a depression, we have a depression. No, that, that will cost lives too, possibly more lives. So we, we, we have to manage both, and, and the problem is the two can appear to be mutually exclusive, and, and there's no easy solution. I'm not going to be here to claim we, I have the solution. Uh, nobody has the solution here. So we have to look at hopeful things we have seen so far that might get us out of this with less damage than it potentially could be. There's no way to get out of this with no damage or with little damage. They, even if everything returned to normal tomorrow, which obviously it can't, uh, there, there would still be a lot of damage to the economy from what's happened already. But there's a lot more to come, unfortunately. So the quicker we get out of this, the quicker life returns to normal, the better it will be for the economic damage. And that's very big and bigger than a lot of people realize. One criticism I've had for the way the government has handled this is that there is no medium-term plan. There is no plan for, okay, if things don't improve much in one month, what do we do? Things don't improve much in two months. What do we do? Things don't improve much in four months. What do we do? Like they haven't communicated. This is the plan if such and such happens. And I don't think they know. I think they're just kind of reacting. And you can't do that with something as major as this. I know there's a lot of unpredictability here, but you can't do something as like that when this is going on. So what could somewhat rescue us as far as the economy and returning to normal life would be the ability to identify who is at risk. And the way you can do that is through antibody tests. They have a reliable way to test for antibodies in any person's body, which only will be there if you either uh, currently have the disease or are over the disease. Now, this is not a test for whether or not you currently have it. All it will say is that you've had it at some point, or maybe you have it currently and are asymptomatic. You having antibodies does show one thing, that you are not susceptible to it anymore. Even if you are you currently have it and are asymptomatic, you're not going to catch it. You already have it. So there's a, you have nothing to fear anymore if you have those antibodies in your body. Now, there's some outside concern that you can get it twice or maybe it mutates, but so far, it's believed that if you have the antibodies, you're pretty well off. You're pretty safe here, in, in, unless it's it's in the process of developing and you're going to see symptoms soon. But as far as getting anything in the future, it seems you're pretty safe. The antibody tests apparently are very, very simple. And in fact, you can do them at home. So it does not require going to a clinic, standing online. You can do it yourself. 
and get the results in 15 minutes. Talk about a great test to have. The problem is producing enough of them. The United States has 330 million people. That means if we need three tests per person, which we may need more, which I'll explain shortly, you would need one billion tests to be produced. Producing one billion of anything is not trivial. It doesn't matter what it is. It's, it takes a lot of time. To show you how big of a number, forget one billion, let's look at 330 million. Let's even say one test per person. If 50,000 were produced a day, which sounds like a lot, wow, 50,000 a day, you know how long it would take to get the number we need, 330 million, at the very minimum? 20 years. 50,000 a day would take 20 years to get to 330 million. That's how much 330 million is, which sometimes you forget. And if we need a billion, it would take 60 years at 50,000 a day. So even if you have a a facility that can produce 50,000 a day, which is not trivial, it would take 60 years to make a billion, which obviously would not work. So there has to be a way, and of course, yes, a lot of money and resources could go into producing these tests because they're so important. So yes, they'll be a lot faster than 50,000 a day. But uh, as far as I know, there's nowhere near the number we need. Because at the very minimum, every human being needs to be tested. And if we're just talking about the U.S., that every uh, 330 million people need to be tested, and those that test negative will need additional tests to see going forward. So if you if you test negative, all that means is you have not had the coronavirus yet. But in a month, you're going to want to know, okay, well, have I, have I had it now? Another month, I've had it now. So you're, you're going to need billions of tests, honestly. And to start, you need 330 million. And I don't think we're anywhere near there. And that's the big challenge. Also, you have to distribute these tests, which is not trivial to distribute 330 million tests. Even if you have them, to get them to every single person is not easy. There's also the matter of authenticating the results. Because you're doing it at home, but how do you have proof that you are really safe? Presumably, those who go out, who already have uh, the antibodies, these are people either who already had it or have it and are asymptomatic. But uh, what if people are just tired of sitting home and want to go out or want to go back to work and they lie about it and then they develop the symptoms? This can cause two problems. First of all, that will again stress the healthcare system because these people have to be taken care of. And second, this will start to raise questions. Are people getting it for a second time? And is everybody else unsafe right now? Do we have to self-quarantine again because it turns out the antibodies uh, are, are not indicative that you can't catch it again because these people have caught it again, when in reality these people are lying because they really didn't have it. They just want to go out and don't want to admit it. We, we might have to deal with that because there's no authenticating that you really came up with the antibodies. Now, if this was done at a facility, that would be a different story. You can get some kind of certification, but uh, that would also take a ton of time, so that wouldn't be realistic either. So I don't know what they plan to do with that, but we may just have to trust people that, for the most part, people are going to be honest about whether they got a positive or a negative result. 
of the antibody test. But still, I'm optimistic that the antibody tests can start to restore the economy. Because as people find they have the antibodies, they can go back out and live normally. And uh, if those people are only the, are the only ones out, provided that, uh, well, basically they're not going to catch it from each other, either way. And even the ones that currently have it, that may be having, they may have antibodies there. Uh, they are not going to infect anybody else who's out who has the antibodies there. And if you have those people together, and then you have everybody else together who doesn't have it then theoretically the virus could die out or get severely reduced. Now, this is an oversimplification, but that is kind of the hope. That for once we will know who had it and who can who is safe to go out and not worry about catching it. And we may even have a better idea of how many people were asymptomatic because we'll start to get results, even just self-reported results, of who already had it and didn't know. And if we find out that the death rate is actually much, much lower than we thought, the virus will seem much less scary. Right now, the big fear is that the overall death rate is over 1%. And if you cut out the kids who don't die from it, then the death rate's even higher than that. If you look at people over 30, the death rate is way over 1%. But what about all the asymptomatic people? What if it turns out that these people who are dying are just a very small percentage of all the cases? Just very unlucky people and that uh, almost everybody else is getting it and their symptoms are so mild they didn't know they had it. Well, that will make it much less scary. Because right now everyone's thinking, well, I just don't have it yet, but when I do, I've got to dodge that, uh, that whatever percentage chance... 1% something if you're middle-aged and uh, um, up to 15% if you're over 80, that it's going to kill me. And a much higher percentage that you're going to end up uh, hospitalized and unable to breathe or having a very hard time breathing. So this makes it very, very scary if you're looking at those numbers. If you think it's a fraction of, a very small fraction of 1%, then it's much less scary. Then it's kind of like, okay, well, if it happens, it happens, but I, I know the chance is much lower now. The reason the flu isn't scary is because the flu is pretty predictable. Uh, People who are not very old or very young or immunocompromised basically never die from the flu. I shouldn't say absolutely never, but it's, it's unlikely enough to where you don't worry about it. I never worried about the flu. I didn't want to get it, but I was never worried about it. And that's what most Americans feel like. If they're not in the vulnerable group, they're not afraid of the flu. If the coronavirus here, if it's much less deadly and much less likely to hospitalize you than previously thought because of way more asymptomatic cases, I talked about this last week, then that will make it much less scary and might adjust our strategy to dealing with it as far as the damage it's causing to the economy. So the antibody test is part of that. That's a big part. It's a lot easier for people to take the antibody test and report, hey, I had it, I just never had symptoms, than getting tested for the virus itself. Which, by the way, is also important, that those tests become more widely available, which has been a big problem in the U.S. Now, there's some other possible good news in the fight against 
the coronavirus. And that is there's three different medications that uh, are thought to possibly fight it or at least slow its progression. Three different medications that are thought to be able to do this. I, I don't even know how to pronounce these all that well, but Ren, remdesivir, hydroxychloroquine, that was the one uh, Trump was talking about, and uh, favipiravir. And these all have shown in some trials, in some limited trials, that they have had an effect in bringing down the symptoms. There has not been a really uh, definitive study on any of these, so this could just be uh, a false belief that is debunked later on. There may be cases where people are taking this who just get better on their own, and these are credited. Uh, actor Daniel Day Kim, who was on Lost and Hawaii Five O, he got the coronavirus. He took hydroxychloroquine, and he noticed a big improvement. And he said he's not 100% sure, but he thinks that this helped him. He thinks this was the big factor that uh, allowed him to get better. So who knows? It could have just been his body recovering anyway, but it also could have been this, or it could have been a combination of both. If existing drugs like any of these three can bring down the deadliness of the disease or can at least uh, hold back the symptoms from turning severe, if it can change it from going from uh, deadly or close to deadly to just mid-level symptoms, that will be huge. The scary thing about the coronavirus is not the flu-like symptoms. It's not even the flu-like symptoms plus some respiratory symptoms. It is the progression to major symptoms where you have to be on a ventilator to breathe or you die. Those are both awful results. Even if you're on the ventilator and survive, it's an awful thing to go through. Can you imagine? I've never been on a ventilator. I, I would, I, I can just about guarantee you if the, if I ended up there, uh, not only would it be really, really unpleasant in and of itself, and not only would I be super worried as this was happening that I was going to die, but even if I didn't die and got through it, I guarantee that all the uh, anxiety problems I had would be right back. And I don't know if I'd get over them this time. And I've been thinking about that. So... Uh, the difference between it getting to mid-level symptoms and getting beyond the mid-level symptoms is tremendous. And if that could be held back by any of these medications that already exist, that would be huge. So that, that's the hope right now, that between the antibody tests and these medications, that maybe we can fight the disease better than we first thought and identify who's safe to return to the economy and uh, maybe things won't be as bad as was feared. Now, something I've wondered for a while is when are we going to find out about some names in poker that uh, have the coronavirus? There's a lot of poker players out there. When are we going to find out about poker names with the coronavirus that we've heard of before? Not just random guys who play poker that we've never heard of, but guys that we probably have heard of. There's so many of them, either poker players or, or major people in the poker industry who don't play. Uh, we've got to have some of them that are going to get the coronavirus. Hopefully these people don't uh, suffer terrible symptoms of it, but uh, I assumed at least we'd hear of people diagnosed with it. Well, indeed we have in the past week uh, four different people 
whose names you probably know from poker, have revealed that they they have the coronavirus. And these four names are David Sands, also known as Doc Sands, a very well-known online player of the 2000s. Victor Romden, whose good friend, uh, who goes by Bobby Orr, it's not his real name, but his good friend who goes by Bobby Orr, who's a very loyal listener to this show. I know uh, Victor sometimes listens, and uh, Victor always says hello to me when he sees me at the World Series. So I felt very bad to see that he was uh, someone who was victimized by this virus. Andy Frankenberger, uh, I believe has two bracelets, very good poker player. He has it. And Matt Savage, who has always been a very pro-poker fraud alert and likes the show and uh, always had a good relationship with him. Uh, Sadly, it seems that he has the coronavirus as well. In fact, uh, well, I'll talk about each of them individually. So uh, Doc Sands... I don't know him very well. I played with him once briefly, and he didn't run very well and busted that was at a World Series event. That was my extent of playing with him. But uh, he was the first prominent name in poker that I know of that said that he had the coronavirus. And he put this out on his Twitter and, and told the whole story. And uh, when I read the whole thing, I, I ended up having mixed feelings about the whole thing because of something that he revealed as, as part of his post on Twitter. I, the funny thing is he kind of even predicted what uh, what people were going to respond, and it still he put it out there, which I guess you can give him credit for honesty, but uh, still I think it deserves some criticism. So Doc Sands is only 35, and of the people that I'm going to talk about, he is the only young one. The other three are not young. The other three are kind of all around my age. Doc Sands is 35, so he's much less likely to show severe symptoms and indeed did not. So good for him. I'm glad he didn't. But uh, here's what he wrote on Twitter on March 22nd. I was diagnosed with COVID-19 last night. I I want to share my experience in case it's helpful to others. I'm a 35-year-old male with no pre-existing conditions who's married with two children. I don't smoke, rarely drink, work out four times a week during normal times. On Monday evening, I was a bit fatigued and started feeling some sinus pressure, which developed into a severe headache. On Tuesday morning, I woke up with one of the worst headaches I've ever had. I also had a a touch of post-nasal drip, a very occasional cough, but I didn't think I had COVID-19 since I didn't have a fever or shortness of breath, which, in addition to a cough, are the two primary symptoms, according to the CDC. I called my doctor on Tuesday, but he said I didn't need to get tested since I had been isolated with my family for the prior five days and hadn't come in contact with anyone known to have the virus. By Wednesday, my headache had improved to a mild, dull ache similar to what I get during a bad allergy day. I could perceive a small bit of phlegm in my throat. I would clear by deliberately coughing. I remember thinking this was a wet and not a dry cough. Thus, I continued to believe I didn't have the coronavirus. On Wednesday night, I had a mild case of diarrhea, my only episode of the week. Now, so far, I I agree. If I I had this going on, I think it's probably some uh, uh, stomach issue or, or the flu or something like that. Well, he goes on to say... On Thursday, I felt about the same as I did on Wednesday, so I told my doctor I wanted to get tested. I was fortunate that I have a concierge doctor who administered the test from my car at his office. We'll get back to this. You know, I Think of these symptoms he's having. No fever, no shortness of breath. His cough isn't dry. Somehow he gets tested. And yet people who all three can't get tested. He was mentioning the concierge doctor. That is how he got tested. I'll explain how they're getting that done. 
that'll be a little bit later. He called me back last night, Saturday. This is referring to uh, March 21st at around 9 p.m. and told me that I'm positive. Today, Sunday, I still have a mild headache with a touch of phlegm or heaviness in my throat. Otherwise, I'm totally fine. I went for a six-mile walk today with my wife. That shows you how he's in decent uh, condition to walk six miles. Uh, people who have the breathing problems can't even go up the stairs without being winded. Uh, who, who, uh, who had the same symptoms will get tested Monday and had no shortness of breath. I have no idea how I got the virus. I discontinued using my gym about a week before experiencing my first symptom. I wore gloves and often a mask during the few times I was in public in the week preceding my symptoms, and I practiced what would generally be regarded as extreme hygiene. So this already looks a little bit uh, suspect. Not suspect that he's not telling the truth. I believe him, but why is he taking a six-mile walk with his wife when he's got the coronavirus? Why, Why is he out anywhere? Does she have a two drop? Right, and he thinks she has a two. He, she hasn't been verified, but she has the same symptoms as him, and she lives with him, of course. So that's that's uh, they probably both have it. Where do they live? What city? Uh, that in I Vegas? don't. Uh, no, that I don't. That I don't know. Actually, not in Vegas, but I, I don't. I don't know where. Actually, maybe Vegas. I, I, I don't know where he lives. He he he, did, he wouldn't reveal that. Um, I don't think Vegas though. Uh, he, he said, "I'm someone who's been in the paranoid camp regarding this virus for six and a half." weeks i sounded the alarm and got my parents out of the bay area three weeks ago when most thought i was crazy i recognize the virus will impact people in higher risk demographics more severely than it impacted me referring to how he's young Uh, but from a global standpoint it's encouraging to know that the symptoms should be mild for most healthy adults i am of course quarantining with my family until i get a negative test result back from my doctor i'm glad to answer any questions about my experience and then he posted a picture live shot from our second family walk of the day for the, oh my god, you're walking around in public crowd. So, so he, Obviously he knows people are going to criticize him for this, so why is, why is he flaunting that he's taking walks with his family? This one, by the way, is like down a street, down like a paved street, with, with him and his kids and his wife. Uh, okay, look, I, I feel bad that he got it. Fortunately for him, he got very mild symptoms, so he actually might be fortunate at this point, because he, uh, he can say, okay, I had it, it's passed, I didn't die, I didn't have severe symptoms, and uh, now... I can't get it again, probably, so great, I'm past it. In fact, if I'm going to get coronavirus, uh, I want it to go exactly like he had. Uh, but I don't care if he, he – when people confronted him, why are you out in public, he said, oh, I've got this big open space behind my house. I can walk without encountering many people. When I do, we, we separate six feet. Come on. You have the freaking coronavirus. Stay home. Like that old man said at the beginning of the show, stay the fuck home. You have it. You know you have it. Your wife probably has it. And he wasn't in some big open space. He's walking down a street here. I see him. So I don't know why he's even posting that. He should. He knew people were going to bash him for it. Why, if you're going to do that, at least, at least don't brag about it on Twitter. Uh, so that was the first one we heard about, Doc Sands. Uh, again, I think he made a big mistake going out that's insensitive. When you know you have it, then you definitely stay home. Even if your symptoms are mild. Uh this is kind of what I'd expect of someone who's pretty young. He's not under 30, but he's 35. And this is kind of what I'd expect of a 35-year-old, that they have uh, symptoms they notice, but not very bad at all. And they get over it pretty pretty easily, not even close to hospitalization. Some people who are young, like him, do get unlucky. few of them even die. But this, I think, is probably the typical thing that a 35-year-old can expect. Now, worse than that, 
are the uh, three middle-aged people in poker who got it. That is uh, Andy Frankenberger and uh, Victor Romden and Matt Savage. Now, I will tell you before we get to them individually, fortunately, none of them are hospitalized. None of them seem at the moment in danger of death, which obviously is why they're not hospitalized. I think all three of them are going to get past this and uh, not end up in the hospital, so that's very fortunate. When you're around 50 years old, which all three of them are, you, you're kind of in that middle zone where you're not a young person who's probably going to get by it with very little trouble, and you're not an old person who's likely to die. You're kind of right in that middle zone. That's where I am. That's where Trotoruski is. That's where a lot of our listeners are. So these guys I'm especially paying attention to because that could be me. So let me tell you what's happening with all of them. They've also posted uh, their experiences and uh, their experiences, again, are, are kind of what you'd expect of someone from that age group. It's interesting how they're kind of uh, fitting the stereotype of what you'd expect for for their particular age group. Hopefully we don't hear next from a, an older person who gets this and uh, meets that stereotype. Andy Frankenberger tweeted fewer details than Doc Sands did, but he said... On March 25th, I tested positive for COVID-19. My symptoms started 12 days ago on the 13th. I'm presumably through the worst of it. This is after 12 days, of course. Been isolated with a family since in New York City. I feel so indebted to the brave medical professionals who put themselves in harm's way. They are heroes. I had a low-grade fever, achiness, congestion, chills, mild cough, and sudden loss of smell, which, by the way, is a symptom of coronavirus. If you suddenly notice you can't smell... <laughs> then uh, you probably have it. My heart goes out to those who have it worse. I wanted to share help, to help alleviate the fear that surrounds us. Nothing scarier than the unknown. So uh, he did have the fever, unlike Doc Sands. He did get achy. He was congested. I don't think he had the breathing problems, but uh, he's... 12 days in, and he, he feels that probably it's not getting worse, which is probably correct. So he's saying, look, I'm... And he's 47, by the way. He didn't say that, but I looked him up. He's 47. And he's saying, nothing scarier than the unknown. No, it's true. When, when you know you have it, you just sit there going, shit, am I going to be one of them that dies? Am I going to end up on a respirator? Like a, That's what I would think the second I realized I had it. If tomorrow I wake up and I can't smell, or I, I, I get winded walking up and down the stairs, or I have a dry cough, or I have a fever all of a sudden, which I... I rarely get anymore like i i can't remember the last time i had a fever i just don't get fevers nowadays which is usually the case for adults i got a lot of fevers as a kid but not anymore so if i wake up with a fever i know what it is i know what it is probably maybe the flu but probably not and uh i would be panicking that this is going to be the end or if not the end something very very terrible if 12 days passed and all that happened to me was what happened to Frankenberger, I would be breathing a huge sigh of relief, saying, okay, it looks like this is on its way out and I didn't get to the terrible stages of it and I'm going to live. So Andy Frankenberger had it. Uh, by the way, notice where he is, New York City. New York City is the most dangerous place in the U.S. right now to be for the virus. This isn't surprising that it happened in New York City. They have a very, very dense population. 
It's the highest population of any city in the world, and it is very concentrated to a small space, unlike Los Angeles, which is pretty spread out. So it's not surprising New York, the most dense of all cities, is having this type of problem. They also had public transportation open for way too long, for all the praise that uh, Little Super Mario is getting, that is Andrew Cuomo. Uh, You have to ask, why were the subways open for as long as they were? That might be why they're experiencing the problems they are today. And people in New York City are very scared. Many are trying to leave, which we'll talk about a little bit later in this uh, coronavirus segment. So Victor Romden, he's the one, I don't know any of these guys real well, but the two I I know the best of those four are uh, Matt Savage and Victor Romden, and and both of them have been very supportive of the show, and uh, I get along with very well when I meet them and when I see them, and we always say hello when you see each other. So I have that, that type of relationship with those guys. You know, there's there's people in poker who I consider actual friends. There's people in poker that I consider like friendly acquaintances. There's people who I'm just totally neutral, like we know each other, but we will walk by each other and just not say anything or react at all. There's people who I don't like very much and they don't like me, but we kind of don't say each other. There's people who, you know, I really dislike and they really dislike me. So it's, it's a wide spectrum, and I think most people who are active in poker have that set of people, especially people who are as opinionated as I am and have a show where I call out things all the time, it's likely to go that way. But I uh, always got along well with Victor. I always got along well with uh, with Matt Savage. And uh, so I was sorry to see that the two of them have it. Victor Romden on March 24th posted, uh, felt like I got body slammed a few times. On and off dry cough, had a cold sweat. On day three, I had headaches, uh, feeling fatigue. Don't think I'm sick enough to warrant an ER visit. So, uh, and then he gave an update after that, uh, saying that that uh, that he he does have it, and he said I live in New York, but I'm due to run good. Just got to fade another week or so. So far, no breathing problems. So I hope I'm right. So that, that's really that's really what everybody's looking at now. Either Victor Rob, Victor Rom's a Canadian, but he lives in New York now, so he's another New York victim, unfortunately. Uh, he he said, never thought it was possible. I, I could be locked away for two days, much less three to four weeks. I just got a, I just got my own COVID and got to weather the storm. It's an unreal feeling of uncertainty. Please go away, COVID. Promise to appreciate life a little bit more. Can't describe how I feel. And he put a little praying sign. And he did that as he quoted my tweet where I said, get well, Victor. I give you well wishes tonight on uh, – Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and glad you don't have major symptoms yet. Hope it stays that way. And I, I really do. I really do. I, I I hope all these guys, even even Doc Sands, who went out and walked when he shouldn't, I hope all these guys get past it and do not suffer through major symptoms. This is an awful thing. And uh, uh, before this came, I, I had no bad feelings about any of these people, but I, I like Victor, and I, I, I like uh, Matt Savage, especially. I don't know Andy Frankenberger. I know of him, but I don't know him. But I, I haven't heard anything bad about him. So I, I hope all these guys get better. And uh, this is a, what Victor's feeling is exactly what I'd feel if I got it. It's exactly what I'd feel. Like, I can't believe I, I, I have this. I can't believe I'm thinking about the possibility that could get worse and I could die at this age of, of this. You know, like, like who'd, who'd think when 2020 starting that it's going to be a, a pandemic that kills you at, at, at this age? Um, 
and that the feeling of uncertainty is the, the, the real tough thing here. You just don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't know if you're going to be one of the more typical ones that gets over it or if you're going to be one of the unlucky ones who takes the bad beat and dies from it. Or if you take a bad beat and get really, really, really bad and can't breathe and you eventually survive, but it's a terrible experience. So he's saying, please go away. I promise to appreciate life a little bit more. That I can especially relate to. I said this out loud with nobody in the room a year and a half ago when I had all these terrible psychological issues where I had no quality of life. And I was fully aware my mind worked, but at the same time it didn't. I was coherent, but at the same time my perception of everything was off. And uh, and I said out loud, if I ever come back to normal, I will appreciate life more. And I promised myself that. So I know how that feels, but it's even worse for Victor because I knew I wasn't dying from this. I just knew my quality of life sucked and might suck forever if it didn't get better. But Victor looking, hey, uh, this could be the end for me. And I, I can't believe I'm one of the people who has it. And uh, please just let, let's just go away. And let me get past this and, uh, and I'll appreciate my life more than I did before. So, Victor, I, I hope you get better. And uh, I'm going to message you the timestamp on this show so you don't have to listen to eight hours to find it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, sad to hear that you have uh, this virus. And I can totally relate to everything you're saying here. And this is exactly how I'd be reacting if I got it. Andy Frankenberger is uh, 47, as I mentioned. Victor Romden is 51. I looked him up. I knew these guys were all around my age. Like I didn't know their exact ages, but I, I'm like, okay, these guys, I'd be surprised if they're very far from my age either way. And I was right. Matt Savage, he's the one whose age I didn't look up, but I, I think he's a little older than I am. Let me see. I know he's also close. Uh, no, this is a different Matt Savage who's 27. That would not be the Matt Savage we're talking about. Um, okay, I can't find it. But I, I know he's somewhere in this range also. So Matt Savage is another middle-aged person who currently has uh, the coronavirus. He was very uh, exposed because he's a tournament director. He was the tournament director of the L.A. Poker Classic and at Bay 101. So, boy, did he come in contact with a lot of poker players and handled a lot of poker chips. And, I mean, it was not surprising he got it. Interestingly, he was a little annoyed with me back in late January and early February when I said publicly that I'm not going to play the L.A. Poker Classic because I'm afraid of the coronavirus. And he wasn't that happy to see that because if people read this and agreed with me, then it was going to hurt the numbers at the LA Poker Classic and uh, so at the time he didn't agree that the right thing to do was stay away I'm sure right now he would have changed his mind on this but uh, now, to, in his defense there was a lot this was taken a lot less seriously by everybody back then and I was even doing things back then that I wouldn't do today just I 
at least was smart enough to stay out of commerce. But uh, Matt Savage didn't have the option to stay out of commerce because it was his job, and he had to direct a tournament there. And commerce wasn't anywhere near closing at the point. So that uh, that is unfortunate. And uh, he said that... Uh, let me get to his... Uh, some reason I lost these tweets. He's, here we go. 23 days since the LA Poker Classic, 17 days since the uh, WPT, 14 days since the Bay 101 shooting star. Minor symptoms included sore throat and shortness of breath, but no fever or cough. Was definitely nervous after two months on the road, shaking hands, giving hugs, touching chips and cards. Yeah. Well, of course, that's... uh, a big risk when you're in a poker room, shaking hands, touching chips and cards, and uh, giving hugs to people. So uh, Matt Savage, unfortunately, has this as well, and uh, and hopefully he gets better. He says he's been taking a lot of vitamin C every day with a zinc supplement. The vitamin C, I have actually been taking despite the fact that I do not believe I have the coronavirus. I have no symptoms, and I don't think I'm asymptomatic with it, which I'll explain shortly why I believe that. But uh, vitamin C, this wasn't something I planned to talk about, but uh, I've actually become a believer in vitamin C, but I I think for Matt it's too late. I think once you've already got it, I don't know how much this is going to help. Once it's progressed to a certain amount, I don't think there's much you could do. Uh... I have taken vitamin C. I don't think I mentioned this last week. If I did, I'm mentioning it again. Vitamin C I've taken when I've had colds coming on, or I think they might be coming on, and I'll take 750 milligrams of vitamin C. I have it in gummy form, where each gummy is 250. So I take three of them. And uh, that's a lot more vitamin C than you'll get from orange juice. Like, you'd have to drink 100 ounces of orange juice in one day to get 750 megabyte, megagrams, uh, milligrams. I was going to say m- megabytes, <laughs> then megagrams. No, it's milligrams. To get 750 milligrams, three quarters of a gram of vitamin C, you have to drink 100 ounces of orange juice. Obviously, that's not feasible in a day. I'd also gain, like, a lot of weight if I did that. Of course, orange juice is fattening. But taking it in the gummy form, there's no calories. And... I noticed that by doing that, when I would feel a cold coming on, I'd feel the very early possible symptoms of a cold, about half the time the cold would not develop into major symptoms. It would just kind of peter out, and within 24 to 48 hours, the whole thing's just gone. Whereas before doing the vitamin C, I was rarely having that occur. Once in a while, I'd see the symptoms vanish, but usually the symptoms would come on and bang, it's a cold every time. It's sometimes a bad one, sometimes a medium one, sometimes a mild one, but always a cold. So I became a believer, even though this has never been proven, some people say it's a myth, but there hasn't been any kind of definitive study on vitamin C either way. It's never been disproved, and it has never been proven, but there's many people who've said that vitamin C can uh, prevent colds from developing. And I've seen that anecdotally myself, in the past uh, year or so, I've been doing this. So I'm a semi-believer in it. I'm not 
totally convinced, but if I had to guess, I'd say it's more likely than not that, yes, the vitamin C is helping my immune system fight off these colds in the early stages. So for that reason, I've actually started taking 750 milligrams of vitamin C every day, even though I don't have the coronavirus, kind of just be ready for if I happen to catch it, to stop it, because the whole thing about coronavirus, you want to keep the symptoms down. There's no proof that vitamin C helps, but a lot of people are taking it. It's kind of hard to find at this point. Why 750? Well, vitamin C is pretty well tolerated by the body, but the more you take, the higher chance it may bring on some digestive issues, including diarrhea. If you take around 2,000 milligrams, it's likely you will get diarrhea or some digestive issues. If you take a whole lot of it, like 8,000, it can actually be dangerous and possibly kill you. So you don't want to totally overdo it. 2,000 is never going to kill you. But I don't even do that. I even found 1,000 gave me some stomach issues. So I said, okay, let me go down to 750. 750 I can take with no side effects. 750 I don't get any kind of stomach issues. So I go, okay, that's a sweet spot. It's still a lot. It's still a lot more than the recommended daily intake, which is kind of like the minimum that you should get every day. But it's way more than that. But not so much I get any side effects from it, so I take the 750. That's what I found to be the sweet spot. Though if you want to take 1,000, 1,250, 1,500, and you can tolerate it without the diarrhea or other stomach issues, that's fine. Uh, I would recommend taking it, though, if you're like middle-aged or older. It's not going to hurt anything if you can find it. I heard about the zinc possibly helping, too. I don't take that, but I guess there's probably no harm in that either. I haven't really looked into the zinc, but I know some people are doing it. Uh, vitamin D, some people saying that too. I take that anyway because I had a low vitamin D in one of my blood tests about a year and a half ago, so I've been regularly taking uh, 4,000 IU of vitamin D, which I would be taking regardless of the coronavirus. I was taking before the coronavirus started. The vitamin C I, I would only take when I felt the cold coming on. Now I'm starting to take it every day. Hopefully I won't run out because it's hard to buy again, but uh, at the moment I have enough of it to do this for a while. Uh, it's funny that the whole vitamin C quote myth that people say that it's just an old wives tale. It doesn't really help. It makes me think a little bit about back when I was in my, uh, late teens and early twenties, I started getting some acne. I never had a terrible face full of acne, but I didn't have a clear face either starting from age 19. Up to age 19, it was great. I had a clear face. I, I looked at the other kids who had acne in their face. I go, ah, ha, 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 look, I didn't get the problem. I don't have acne. You do. Ha, ha, ha. I didn't say that out loud, but I think it. Well, when I was 19, acne showed up. And I'd get it in the form of kind of like like large red pimples. I'd get like like a few of them at a time too, especially on my cheeks and my chin and kind of near my nose, not on my nose, but near my nose and sometimes on my forehead. That's where I got the acne. And it was, these would be big pimples. I wouldn't get a lot of them, but I'd get like sometimes like four, five, six big red pimples that looked terrible. At least to me, it looked terrible. I was embarrassed. I, uh, I, I actually would put off going on first dates until it would go down because it, it would come and it would go away and come and go away. It was kind of inconsistent. So there's a reason I'm telling you this story. I read articles. I, I couldn't check on the internet at that time. There was no web. There was an internet, but there was no web. Uh, but I, I was reading articles about acne, and I saw that uh, several articles claiming that there's myths about acne. 
So myth number one, chocolate causes acne. No, it doesn't. There's no proof of this. Uh, chocolate does not cause acne. That's a myth. False. I Every time I ate chocolate, it caused acne. I, very, very consistent. Eating chocolate brought on acne for me. That wasn't the only thing bringing on acne, but if I ate chocolate, a, a tiny bit was fine. If I ate a lot of chocolate, 100% I got acne very soon after that. So definitely there's a link for me. Myth number two. Uh... Getting sunlight does not help acne. In fact, in fact, it makes it worse. Also false. If I got a lot of sun, I noticed the pimples dried out and disappeared a lot quicker. I noticed that. I, I had acne for about seven years from like age of 19 to 26. The worst years were kind of like 19 to 22. Then it was more mild in the last four years. But I noticed consistently if I got a lot of sun on my face, then it would go away a lot quicker. So that also was not a myth. It definitely, I definitely noticed the correlation there. Myth number three, using a dry soap won't help your acne. It'll make it worse. Again, false. The problem was finding a dry soap because all the soaps out there that you could buy in the store wanted to moisturize. Nobody's selling a dry soap. So I had a very hard time trying to finding a truly dry soap except these crappy dry motel soaps. So whenever I'd go to a hotel or a motel, I, I would take as many soaps as I could home because the only way I can get them. And when I used those, boy, boy, did it knock the acne away. They dry up and go away. So the, the dry hotel soaps, which normally are garbage, were great for fighting the acne. And uh, also dry air, I noticed. If I went to Las Vegas, if I went to Mammoth, anywhere that has dry air, it also made the acne uh, disappear, which again was called a myth in material I read. I haven't read anything about acne since the, the 90s because I haven't had it since then because I aged out of it. But uh, it was amazing reading these things that I noticed on my own. I didn't even hear these things. I kind of just noticed the correlation on my own. Oh, wow, I, every time I ate chocolate, I seemed to get pimples. Oh, wow, it's, it's funny. I, I was out in the sun. That's it. Now I've the acne's going away. I wonder if the sun's doing it. Oh, I've noticed that when I use a dry soap, it improves. And I, I read these articles later. All these things are, quote, myths that I noticed myself were helping me. It wasn't even like I heard it helps and then I convinced myself it was. No, I, I noticed these things on my own and then I read later it's a myth. So it was BS. I don't know what research was done, but it was wrong. Now, I realize each person is different. I realize there may have been other young people who were not helped by these things and who did not get acne from chocolate. But definitely all these things I observed were true for me. So I think vitamin C, it might be kind of like that. Vitamin C might be something that just wasn't studied well and that uh, it's considered a myth just because it's never really been proven. But it doesn't really hurt. It's not like taking some vitamin C every day is going to do anything bad to you, so why not? Might as well. I want to tell you about uh, a way that you can tell if you don't have the coronavirus. It's not for sure. It, uh, I can't tell you that this will be guaranteed to work. But it's something you can do and make yourself feel better, have some peace of mind, and also know how much caution you need to exercise around those who may live with you. Uh, about two, three years ago, I, uh, I I took my pulse. I forgot why, but uh, maybe I was taking my blood pressure and my pulse. They, they, they also give you at the same time. I saw my pulse was like 101. And I said, shit, what the hell's wrong with me? It's my normal pulse. My normal resting pulse is like 60 to 63. 101, crazy. I was way higher, and I wasn't 
there was no activity. I hadn't been walking. I hadn't been running. I hadn't been bending down. I, I just sat there and, and took my pulse, resting pulse, 101. Took it later that day, still around 100. I started getting nervous. I started saying, am I having heart problems? What's wrong with me? So I started Googling like a madman. And uh, then I picked up a Kleenex and blew my nose because uh, I was stuffy and uh, I'd have a cold the last few days. And I'm like, oh, first I have a cold. Now I'm worrying about my heart beating fast. I go, wait a minute. Maybe it is the cold. So I Googled it. Sure enough, when your body's fighting a cold, your heart rate will often be higher. And in fact, it's common and not dangerous at all for your heart rate to temporarily go up while your body's fighting illness. So I stopped worrying about it. And sure enough, when the major symptoms of the cold decreased, my heart rate went back to normal. Well, I thought about that, and when I would feel symptoms of a cold possibly coming on, one of the things I would do would be I'd take my pulse. I have a pulse oximeter here. I have a blood pressure monitor, which can also take your pulse. And I noticed something. Whenever my pulse came up normal, my normal resting pulse of around 60, the early, early symptoms I thought might be a cold turned out to be nothing, and I didn't develop into a cold. When I took my pulse and it was like 77 and then I took it again a little bit later and it was again 77 or somewhere around there, next day I have a cold. So indeed, the higher pulse was associated with the cold symptoms before I really had cold symptoms. In fact, one time I noticed a higher pulse when I was taking my pulse for a different reason and couldn't explain it and then the next day I have cold symptoms. I've noticed it before without even having any suspicion I had a cold. And then the cold comes the next day and go, oh, that's why my pulse was 77 yesterday. So I've since have taken an interest in this, in, in the heart rate maybe giving you an early warning that an illness is coming. Because even for colds, it can be useful. You have something planned to do the next day that you wouldn't do if you're going to have a bad cold coming. Uh, maybe you want to postpone it if you, if you think a cold is going to be coming the next day. So it's useful to know that this is coming, even if you can't stop it. Also, maybe you can pound the vitamin C right away, which, which I do whenever I, when I suspect a cold's coming. So I, I've been fascinated with being able to predict a cold is coming. And a cold, of course, is a virus, much like the coronavirus is a virus. So there's some similarities. The symptoms aren't that similar, but the fact that they're both viruses is similar. So at the time with the colds, before the coronavirus, at the time with the colds, I was... Uh, I was looking to see if anybody else had taken an interest in this, especially in the medical community. And sure enough, in early 2017, there was an app under development to be used with the Apple Watch, which can take your pulse and also somewhat take your temperature. Your wrist isn't a good thing to use to take your temperature, but it's better than nothing. But the Apple Watch, which can constantly monitor your pulse and your temperature, someone was writing an app to use that to give you an early warning that you're getting sick. Unfortunately, as far as I know, that app never got released. I don't know why, but the, but uh, I saw an article that there is legitimate medical science behind that. That this isn't just a gimmick, that this is actually something useful that the Apple Watch could do. In fact, I thought this is one of the most useful things it could do. Imagine your watch just tells you, hey, 
your pulse rate's been up, your resting pulse has been up, uh, your sleeping pulse is actually the most important because that's not influenced by any activity. You may not know this. Even bending down, your, your pulse goes way up. Walking, your pulse goes way up. Uh, running, your pulse goes way up. Going up the stairs, your pulse goes way up. So you you really have to be devoid of activity. Even talking can send your pulse up a little bit. So to get your pulse, you have to be sitting there for uh, some time and then take your pulse and not talk as you do it. And, and that gives you an idea of what your resting pulse is for the moment. And there still can be other factors that influence it. So you, you have to do it a few times a day to be sure. But it, something like an Apple Watch can actually take it throughout the entire day. And when you're sleeping, there's nothing else influencing it. So if your sleeping pulse has jumped 10 beats per minute over what it was normally, uh, you've, pr- you've probably got a problem. There's probably something your body's fighting. So indeed, the pulse and the temperature often will change when your body's fighting something. And this will change before you even notice it. And there's talk of an app that was being developed, as I said, that they could determine these things. This actually made me interested enough to get an Apple Watch, though I haven't gotten one yet, but I was thinking, oh, cool. But then, then this never came out, and this is back in 2017. I don't know why this wasn't completed. Maybe I should write an app like that. Unless there's one, I don't know about it. If there is, let me know. I'd, I'd be very interested to know about this app, especially now. But uh, I decided again to look into this, but from the standpoint of the coronavirus. They said, well, does the coronavirus does it behave the same way? Does your heart rate go up just as it does often when you get a cold to where you may not have symptoms, but your heart rate does? And I found that, yes, in most cases... If you have the coronavirus, your heart rate will go up before you show noticeable symptoms. So if you take your pulse, preferably your sleeping pulse, but if you don't have something like an Apple Watch, you can't do that. But even if you take your resting pulse and you notice it's normal, then you probably don't have the coronavirus. Maybe the super, super early stages of catching it you can have a normal pulse and you could have the coronavirus. But in the uh, you're not like a day or two away from showing symptoms if your pulse is normal, from what I can tell. Now, if your pulse is not normal, that doesn't mean you have the coronavirus. It could mean you have a cold that's about to present itself. It could mean you have the flu. It could mean that something else is going on that's raising your pulse. For example, you could be stressed. For example... Uh, uh, you, you could have just had some activity that you forgot you did. Maybe you just walked a lot or you just uh, you just ran, you just went up the stairs, you're not thinking about it, uh, or, or something just made you worried or stressed. When I had my severe anxiety, my resting pulse went from 60 to between 77 and 81. It never got below the mid-70s for like six to seven straight weeks. In fact, I said, when I when I see my pulse get back down to 60 again, it'll be a great sign. And indeed, my pulse did not return to 60 until I was feeling substantially better. Not all better, but substantially better. So uh, my pulse was sitting at a rate much higher than it was constantly. Never got below 77 when I had the, uh, the that severe anxiety. And I mean all day and all night. There just would not get below like that level. So uh, there's a lot of things that can bring your pulse up that are not the coronavirus. But it's more of a thing you can, if your pulse is normal, then you probably don't have it. 
you may have had it before and gotten over it and not known, but you, you don't have it currently, probably, if your pulse is normal. Now, you have to know your normal pulse. So if you don't know your normal pulse, then that may not help you very much. Everybody's is different. But uh, if you don't know that, you're kind of you're, you're out of luck. You may, you may want to take your pulse now just to find out what – unless you have the coronavirus already, you, you may want to kind of figure out what your normal pulse is. And uh, some people also have inconsistent pulses. They kind of jump all over the place, and then it's not going to help you very much either. But most people tend to be around a, a fairly predictable range. Uh, once in a while, it can deviate from there. you got to keep that in mind too. Like uh, when I took my pulse today, it was actually 49 when I did it. Like, what the hell? And I did it again. It was 49. Then a few minutes later, it's back to 60. Why I went to 49 for a short time, I don't know. Uh, I, I do have a, kind of a funny pulse story. One time when I – this is way before the coronavirus, but one time sometime last year, I was feeling just kind of really really weird <clears throat> late at night. And I, uh, I I got worried enough to where I said, well, let me take my pulse to see if <coughs> – see if I uh, am showing some kind of like pulse-related symptoms. Like is my, is my pulse high? I, I was worried about something like beyond a cold. I, I thought I just felt really. I forgot what the symptoms I had, but I felt really weird. I got a little nervous. I was also very tired at the time, so I put on the pulse oximeter, which is a little thing that goes on your finger. And I was so tired, I fell asleep for about two minutes. Didn't realize I fell asleep. Woke back up thinking I had not fallen asleep, and my pulse was like forty. And I go, what the fuck? I, I, I'm like, uh oh, I've never seen my pulse at forty. This is a, and I go, I don't like. You don't want your pulse being too low either. So I go, this is really where I was crap. And then I looked at the time, and I saw a few minutes had passed since I put that thing on. It, it gives you a reading right away. I just really fell asleep really fast. So I go, wait a minute, did I fall asleep? And then I remembered I had like a super short dream <laughs> that time. I go, I was sleeping. Oh, and then sure enough, the, your, your pulse goes way down when you sleep. That's very normal. That's exactly what your body does. So I actually was seeing my sleeping pulse that I had just woken up from. That's what the 40 was. So it's, uh, it scared me for a moment because I didn't realize I had fallen asleep. But yeah, get, get familiar with what your pulse is your normal resting pulse, and then you can fairly confidently say that you don't have the coronavirus if it stays there. And if it's up, then start being cautious, but no, that doesn't mean positive coronavirus, it just means that something's going on. Could be a cold. Could be one of many other things, but as long as it's low, you're probably good. So, if you don't believe me, Google it. There's not a lot of discussion out there, but there is some discussion about heart rate and and the coronavirus and it it has been seen that just just like colds if your body's fighting it even before symptoms it, it will go up so uh, that's something to keep in mind and uh, there's even some talk about develop again developing an app for something like the Apple Watch that will look for possible coronavirus symptoms which I think would be very useful though the problem is there's always the panic of you know people are going to misinterpret it you know they have a flu coming on they have a cold coming on and the, you know, they immediately jumped to coronavirus fears, where before people wouldn't. Trader Risky, uh, are you still with us? 
think I am Druff, but all this top talk of sleep, I think I'm gonna have to tap out. Okay, I was about to say I think maybe your pulse is down to forty. <laughs> it's getting there. Yeah. Have, do you know what your resting pulse is? I don't. Yeah, but maybe you should find out. We should. Uh, I think it's a useful thing to know, given what's going on here. I just. Uh, I, I kind of want to know. I don't want to just be blindsided with it. I want to just like, and I also want to know as far as like infecting other people. Like, I want to know when I should just be especially cautious about maybe infecting uh, my girlfriend, for example, who's near my age. Benjamin, I'm not worried about because he's nine. He's not gonna. Nothing's gonna happen to him from the coronavirus. But you know, my girlfriend, she's near my age. Something could happen to her too. And if I if I have it, I would really. Uh, I've even thought about what I would do. Like, if I knew I had it, I, I might consider just. I don't know where I'd go, but going somewhere else. Uh, renting a room or something and just isolating there by myself for uh, until it's over. So I, I really don't want to give this to anybody. So okay, anyway. And, and have you just have you just you basically just been staying at home? Have you been doing anything? Just well, going that, to the store. That's a good question. That is a good question. Um, yes and no. I have been staying home until uh, yesterday. I did not leave the house for a week. And uh, wow. I, I, I finally left the house to go to Target. And boy, I just kind of felt nervous in Target. It was like semi-crowded, not super crowded, but there's constantly people walking by me. Uh, there's a kid that was coughing. Like, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I, I just I felt uncomfortable there, especially knowing that it can kind of hang in the air for hours. And I'm like, oh, I hope I'm not getting myself sick here. And I just was very nervous there. And I was there for like 40 minutes, so... Like there's a lot of opportunity for for something to happen, and that's that's actually when I got home and started googling the heart rate thing because <laughs> I was like, I was like, I want to know if I'm going to get this damn thing, and uh, but yes, I, I'm taking it in, like increasingly seriously, and I I can't tell you how much my heart is going to sink if uh, I find out that I'm positive. Just the like Tom Petty says, the waiting's the hardest part, and and to to have that, it would be a very long like two weeks wondering what's going to happen to me. Is it going to be just very mild, medium type symptoms, or, or am I going to die? Like it's, uh, and you, you don't know. And that's very scary. So uh, that's, uh, it's something I really just hope either I don't ever get, or I hope best case scenario, I already had it and didn't know. That would be the best thing. I'd love to get the antibody test and it's positive. I go, sweet, it's done already and I didn't even know it. But uh, se- sure. second best would be I don't have it and can avoid having it long enough until the vaccine is out or until there's medication that's uh, proven effective at fighting it and, and keeping it down from exceeding a certain level. And uh, beyond that, uh, just have to hope and pray. So, okay, Trader Ruski, uh, thank, thank you for being with us. I know you were with us a long time. We started the show uh, – at uh, around eight uh, eight thirty or so at three a.m., still got a few topics left. And uh, thank you for being with us most of the time. And uh, uh, we'll talk to you later. Stay healthy. Don't get the coronavirus. And uh, I, you too. Uh, I will. Uh, I'll talk to you next week, and I'll listen to the rest of the show. Yeah. Okay. Good night, Trader Ruski. Thanks, Jeff. Be safe. Bye. Okay. So the remainder of the show I'm doing on my own here. Don't have that much longer. We have uh, some coronavirus topics left, uh, a topic about the GG Network. We'll talk about a bad day I had in Bovada on Thursday. You're going to 
feel bad for me, uh, Phil Galfon style, with a beatdown I took there. Or shall I say a January and February Phil Galfon style, not March Phil Galfon. And, and then we're going to flash back to 1985 before we quit. Boy, this is going to be a freaking long show. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I'm doing you guys a, a service here because you're all at home with nothing to do. And I'm going to have this tremendously long show here. Well, I have been holding, I've been holding it in. That is the urine in my body. I, I've had to pee for a long time and I, I keep putting it off. I, I just can't stop myself from talking. My throat is hurting from talking so much. I thank Vintage One and Trader Ruski for taking some of the burden of talking off of me, but uh, I have been doing the most talking as as usual here, and and this is uh, getting a little tough to continue. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to take a break, and uh, Eric Benzamokin, who came on here to give us some uh, great legal advice as usual, uh, such a good friend of the show. Uh, everybody loves him, and uh, I'm going to play the ad I always play for his uh, legal services. If you do need someone to help you with arbitration or mediation, or if uh, you're in California and you need help with a bankruptcy, I know he does that. I know he does work with that. If, if you need any legal work, you can just email him and say, hey, do you do this? And if he does, he can help you. If he doesn't, then uh, he'll be honest with you and say that this, this isn't my specialty. But he may even refer you to someone who does. You never know. And... Uh, he does a lot more than just what I say on the ad. And, and you guys hear him. You, you hear how much he knows. Like we just bring up just some random topic we're interested in, and he, he just, bang, gives you the answer right there. This isn't one of these lawyers who uh, you wonder how the guy got through law school. I mean, this this guy, you, you can see. He he always has a good answer. And, and we learn a lot from having him on this show. So uh, anyway, thank you to him for everything he does for the show here. And uh, I'm going to play this ad. I'm going to take a little break, refresh my throat, and uh, use the bathroom. And, I, you know, you guys, I don't know if you realize this, like, nobody does this. Nobody talks this long without any kind of break. All these radio hosts you hear on terrestrial radio and satellite radio, some of them are voice-tracked, meaning they, they're not even on as long as it appears. They pre-recorded and it's mixed in with music. Uh, other ones, they these talk shows, they, they take long breaks. They, they get plenty of time to go to the bathroom, rest their voice. Nobody just talks for like seven hours straight like I do. It's a, a tough thing to do. But I do it anyway. Because I know you guys, I know that there's... Some people, for reasons unknown, who want to listen to me talk for seven or eight hours. Why, I don't know. Even my mom doesn't want to. My mom says, why does anyone want to listen to you for eight hours? And I, I, can't, I have no answer. I don't know. I, I sometimes listen to old shows. I, I don't even remember some of the things I'm talking about. Like I say, oh, wow, this sounds new to me. And, and even I get tired of hearing me after some time. Like, ah, turn this guy off. He's boring me. <laughs> but I'm glad that, uh, that you guys want to listen. And uh, thank you to Eric Pegasmokin. And I'm glad I have you guys all here to listen to me during this whole thing we're going through, which is just so weird. I just sometimes think, this is so weird. I just think, how did the world become this so quickly? There's times you can be isolated from it and it can feel normal. I can sit there playing online poker. It just feels normal. I can 
sit there browsing the internet provided I'm not reading about the coronavirus and it can feel normal. And then other times I just go, what the hell? And I think, what lies ahead for us? And it, it can be unnerving and scary. And I, I'm glad that uh, you're all along here to listen to me. And uh, there's a lot, a lot of us don't know and a lot of us don't uh, have an idea of what to expect. And we just must hope for the best and hope that we will get through all this without uh, as much damage as is being feared and that eventually life can return to normal and we can just look back and say that was a tough time and now we are back and we can appreciate normal life a lot more just like Victor Ramdin said he's going to appreciate life he's talking about his own life and life in general more even if we don't get the coronavirus or if we get this and have very mild symptoms or if we find we've already had it, uh, life is being disrupted for everybody. And I think when this is all over, there's a lot we used to take for granted that we won't anymore. How about when your favorite sports team's playing again? Are you going to take that for granted or are you going to be happy to be able to enjoy that again or enjoy travel or enjoy hiking, or enjoy being able to just go to the store and buy whatever you'd like to buy, and not have to worry about shortages and outages and rationing. Imagine a world again where that's true, and where most people have a job who want a job, and where we're not having emergency measures to have to send people money because people are broke and can't find a job. And we'll get back to that world one day and I I hope it's sooner rather than later. A world where I can play the World Series of Poker and not fear what's going to happen to me beyond, beyond getting a cold. Maybe even go on a cruise one day again. But the most important thing is that we just stay healthy and we live and we can at least have some semblance of normal life. And you know what? I kind of look at this the same way that I looked at my psychological issues a a year and a half ago where I said to myself, I am willing to accept my life where I'm not 100% better. I just want to be mostly back to normal. And the rest, I can handle as part of life. And that's how I feel with this. That uh, I think if we can all go back to mostly normal, even if there are some changes which are not positive changes, if we can at least go back to mostly normal, or mostly normal for a while until we get to normal, that will be fine too. And I hope we get there soon. And there's a lot we must just wait for to see what happens with Each of us personally and with all of us as a society. Okay, and with that, with that late night wisdom, or psychobabble if you want to call it that, I will go to the Eric Benzmokin ad and talk to you guys very shortly. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on this site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. 
But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bansamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we're back, and we'll finish out the show here. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number to text or call if you want to get in contact with me during the show. For the 915, uh, this is from Mumbles Badly, by the way. He says, uh, Druff, stop getting your geography facts from Trump. New York City isn't even the top 50 most densely populated cities in the world. Okay, I knew someone was going to say that. I didn't bother to go into details, but... It's a very large population plus very densely populated. So the combination of the two is what uh, makes it one of the more likely cities to have this problem. I know there are uh, densely populated cities with a smaller population, but that's uh, that's going to cause much less of a problem. That's uh, some of the reason they're having a bigger issue over there. From the 507 again, who texted earlier, did you hear the story where a woman coughed all over food at the store in Pennsylvania on purpose, and the store owner said he had to throw away 35 k worth of food? Jeez. There, there have been other cases, usually teenagers coughing or spitting on food in grocery stores and posting it online. Pretty unbelievable. Yeah, people should be put in prison for that. That's just inexcusable. People should not be treating this matter as a joke in any way. Very serious. Hope they. Uh, I didn't hear that story about the woman in Pennsylvania, but I, ho- I hope they found her and arrested her for this. Okay, so I want to talk about concierge medicine and what that is. You may not have heard of it, and 
how that has to do with the coronavirus and how people like David Doc Sands managed to be tested when normally they would not qualify for testing right now, given the lack of symptoms. Now, it turned out Doc Sands did have the coronavirus, but if he had a regular doctor, he would not have been tested, and even he admitted that in his tweets. So what is concierge medicine? I first heard of this a few years ago, and it's not surprising that it sprung up, because something a lot of you may not realize, even those who live in the U.S., is that the U.S. healthcare system, while not a socialized system, also is not a free market system. And you say, well, how can that be possible? Well, if you think about it, your doctor does not set the rates that he charges for any procedure or office visit. These rates are set by the insurance company that he contracts with, and that's exactly what he has to charge. And what that ends up translating to is that no matter how good the doctor is, no matter how prestigious of a medical school he went to, it doesn't matter if he's the best doctor in the world, he will get paid the exact same as the worst doctor in the world if that worst doctor in the world happens to also be in the same city and contracted with the same insurance company. The the insurance company doesn't say, hey, you're a better doctor, you're more demand, we'll pay you more. It doesn't work that way. So there's no free market forces in place when it comes to medicine in the U.S., and that's a big problem. And uh, that's why those who say, uh, oh, it's it's the free market in the U.S., look how it's failing. No, the, the, the failures of the healthcare system is partially because it's not free market. It's this weird, this weird pseudo-free market, and that's causing a lot of problems. Now, I'm not going to get in that whole discussion, but I'm going to talk about where concierge medicine comes in. One problem with that system is that you just can't pay for better care, even if you can afford it. Now, you may say, oh, that's great. Now, now everybody's equal. No, it's not great because you should always have the option to pay more to get more. People pay more for a better house and they live in a nicer area and they drive a better car and they take nicer vacations and they get better seats at events when they go and they're not closed for the coronavirus and they get the better hotel rooms. If you pay more, you get more. That's the way a capitalist society works. And yet in healthcare, it does not work that way. If you want to go to the doctor, you make an appointment like everybody else, doesn't matter how much or how little money you have, and they see you, and you get the same care as everyone else, and you get the same time as everyone else, and there's the same avail- availability as everybody else. You can't just say, if they say, oh, the doctor can't see you for three weeks, you can't say, oh, well, here, I'll pay extra, have him see me now. Uh, maybe some doctors are doing this, but they're not supposed to. So, they're became a market in the U.S. for doctors who don't want to be part of the insurance system because they don't have to. There's no requirement for a doctor to be part of that system. They're, they contractually put themselves as part of that system because everyone wants a doctor who takes their insurance for obvious reasons. But there's some doctors who just don't want to be part of that whole thing and also don't want to have to rush through patient after patient after patient to make good money because uh, how do you make the most money as a doctor? Well, you see the 
most number of patients possible and you do the most expensive tests and procedures possible on the ones that you either justify doing them on or if you're a shady doctor that you uh, find ways to justify it even when it's not really justified. So that's the way you make money as a typical doctor. But what about if rich people want access to a doctor on demand? They just say, hey, I want a doctor now, and bang, the doctor's at their beck and call. What if they want that? What if they want to jump the line? What if they don't want to have to wait? What if they want personalized service? What if they don't want a doctor who's rushing through patient after patient after patient, but one that just treats a small number of patients, so therefore the doctor is always available, like your personal doctor? Well, that's where concierge medicine comes in, because there are doctors who just do not have a typical practice and are not part of the whole insurance system or Medicare system. And the they only take a very small number of patients who pay them a lot of money on a flat rate basis. Some of these concierge doctors cost as much as $50,000 a year per patient. So if it's a family of four, it would be $200,000 a year. And it's a flat rate thing. So if you don't use them, you still pay that same amount of money. And if you use them a lot, you still pay the same amount of money. However, it's not all-inclusive. This only includes seeing the doctor and having access to call the doctor and any tests the doctor can do in his own office. But anything that is referred outside the office, tests that have to be done in a hospital or hospital stays or tests done in outside facilities or lab tests done outside, uh, those are extra. So there can be extra costs you incur anyway even with all the money you're paying for the concierge doctor. So it's expensive. Now, I've heard in recent times the prices have come down for some concierge doctors. I've even heard there's some that charge as little as $80 a month. I don't know how they can charge $80 a month and still see relatively few patients. They probably see a lot more patients. The whole point of the concierge doctor is that they're always available, and if they take on a ton of patients, then uh, you're going to have the same problem again. I'm not quite understanding these low-cost concierge doctors, but I have to imagine Doc Sands is not paying 50 k a year for each member of his family to see a concierge doctor, or even if it's just for him, uh, which, which I can't see why he'd make it just for him being 35 and healthy. But uh, he must have found one that's more reasonable. But uh, that's how they work. Now, how does this have to do with a coronavirus situation? Why am I talking about concierge medicine? Well, how do you get tested? right now in the U.S. because there's still a limited number of tests. They're still uh, restricting the tests to those they feel most need to be tested. And it has been determined, I'm not saying I agree with this, but it's been determined that even if you have all three major coronavirus symptoms, which is the, or I shouldn't say major, all three obvious coronavirus symptoms, which is the fever plus the shortness of breath plus the dry cough, they still will not test you unless you indicate that you have been near others who have been verified to have the coronavirus. Now, in some localities, they will do a test on you if you press hard enough, even if you have not made contact with those who have the coronavirus, but in many places they won't. The justification, by the way, which I don't agree with, is that, hey, if we know you have it, but your symptoms aren't severe enough to be in the hospital, it's going to be the same treatment. It's going to be go home and get rest. So since there's no cure for it, You're doing the same thing, so why does it really matter if you have it or not? And of course it matters. One, you just want to know. Two, you want to make sure not to 
infect anyone. You want to take extra care not to infect people. And they say, well, you should just always be acting like you have it, and that's the type of care you could sh- you should show. Well, that's BS. You know, that's uh, – it's one thing to be careful. It's another thing to be ultra careful. And the more careful you are, the more difficult it is to live that way. As I said, if I had it, I would strongly consider just leaving and going to live somewhere by myself – uh, a hotel room, whatever. I mean, I wouldn't want to infect that either, but I, I don't know. I'd, ha- I'd have to decide what I would do, but I would really not want to infect my family, and I'd be afraid if I just stayed here, I would if I had it. I'd have to decide what to do. But uh, you want to know, and it, it's nonsense to say, oh, well, it's the same treatment unless it gets severe, so why bother? It's... it's uh, I, I don't like that answer. I think that's just an excuse the government is giving because they just don't have enough tests and they didn't produce them fast enough and that was a big mistake. Anyway, concierge doctors, how do they manage to get tests when regular doctors don't? Because they don't have any better access than regular doctors do. So how do they manage it? Well, they lie. A regular doctor who sees tons of patients is not going to risk getting in trouble by lying on behalf of a typical patient who's showing up on insurance, paying their $40 copay, and the insurance gives them their benefit. You're just kind of like a number to them. They're not going to do this favor for you. You're not worth it to them. They don't feel they owe you anything. The concierge doctor is a different story. You're paying them good money. They're trying to demonstrate to you that it's worth it. And if you can get a test ahead of everybody else who has a regular doctor – you start to say, oh, wow, I'm glad I laid out the money for this concierge doctor. So what the concierge doctor does to justify getting the test is he claims that he needs one because he's got a patient who has the classic coronavirus symptoms and also has been in contact with people who have the coronavirus. So they just lie and and they get these tests. That's how they come up with these tests where other doctors do not because these Concierge doctors, they have very few patients and they, they can lie on these patients' behalf. The patients don't even know that. And so that, that's how Doc Sands' doctor was able to get access to this. And that's how celebrities get tested so fast. People go, how come these famous people, they get tested so quickly and I go in with all the symptoms making it obvious I have the coronavirus and they don't test me? That's why. Now, you don't need a concierge doctor to get tested. As I said, some people are getting tested. We have a member of this site, FTP Jesus, who has been tested positive for the coronavirus. And he does not have a concierge doctor. But that's how you get tested so fast. That's how if you're in Doc Stan's spot where you don't even have the typical symptoms of the coronavirus, you get tested anyway. It's BS. It shouldn't be happening. But it is. And there's really no gatekeeper for this because there's no proof. And these people are just happy they got tested. So that's mainly how it's happening. I don't blame the patients for this. If you want if you want to know if you have the coronavirus and you suspect you do, you don't care how your doctor does it. You just want to get a damn test. And they should be more available than they are. They're just not. And I think they are being over-rationed right now. I think they're being overly cautious with who they give it to and they should give it more. They should, uh, especially knowing that more are constantly being made and more are on the way. We don't have enough, but the, it's not like we have a finite resource of tests. I think they're holding them back too much. And that's some of this is the fault of local and state governments that they've been allocated a certain amount and they're just in a sheer panic, like almost as if they're never going to see any more. So they want to really, really ration them and they're really not thinking this through. And it's just typical government doing things in a stupid way. That's really what's going on here.
And when I say government, I mean all the governments, not just the federal government. Rhode Island is doing something that's unprecedented. I never thought I'd see this in my lifetime. I mentioned it during the show's intro. They are actually trying to prevent people from entering the state without going to quarantine if they have New York plates. That's disturbing. I never thought I'd see an attempt to stop ordinary people traveling from one state to another. But this is really happening. This is not reported on some sort of uh, conspiracy site or fake news site. This is reported on Bloomberg.com. Yes, owned by Mike Bloomberg. Uh, This is a very reputable site. And this site reveals that Rhode Island police are stopping cars with New York license plates. And they started doing this on Friday, on uh, March 27th. And uh, on Saturday the day that just passed, the National Guard is actually going to be helping Rhode Island police to conduct searches of houses in Rhode Island that are owned by people from New York. Why? Because in case some people snuck in from New York to their summer home to hide from the coronavirus in New York City, they must go to quarantine. Now, it's self-quarantine. They're not forced to go into a quarantine facility. But uh, they are requiring that anyone who comes into Rhode Island must self-quarantine and absolutely not leave the house for 14 days if they come in from New York. If you come in from anywhere else, no problem. Then you don't have to do this. But you are going to be required to self-quarantine if you come from New York State. Now, the risk is really New York City, not New York State, but anyone with New York plates is going to be required to do this. If you're coming from the New York State, anywhere in the state, you will have to do this quarantine. Rhode Island, which has a much lesser population than New York State, uh, they have only 200 cases so far that they've found of... uh, the coronavirus, and they've had generally an aggressive campaign to keep it out of there. And they've decided that they're going to really make it tough for New Yorkers to come in. So they actually have troopers that are there right past the Connecticut, uh, Rhode Island border. They, you know, New Yorkers have to go through Connecticut to get to Rhode Island. And if New York plates are seen, they get pulled over and people are questioned. And they are told that if they are going to continue on into Rhode Island, that they are going to have to self-quarantine and they are not going to be allowed to leave the house for 14 days. The governor of New York, Gina Raimondo, said right now we have a pinpointed risk. That risk is called New York City, where there's 44,000 cases of coronavirus. Raimondo said that she has consulted lawyers, asked if she could actually close the border of the state, and the lawyer said, no, you can't, you can't close the border of a state in the U.S. But they said that they can enforce a quarantine during this emergency. They're especially worried about Newport. 
probably the most famous city in Rhode Island, known for its mansions, and is the biggest tourist destination in uh, Rhode Island. When I went to uh, that area last year, as a summer trip, I uh, went to Newport as my only destination in Rhode Island. And the governor said, yesterday I announced and today I reiterated, anyone coming to Rhode Island in any way from New York must be quarantined. By order, will be enforced, enforceable by law. And anyone who has been in New York, not just lives there, but anyone who's been in New York during the prior two weeks, meaning dating back to like March 12th, and through April 25th and possibly later, will have to quarantine for 14 days. They do have exceptions for public health, public safety, and healthcare workers, which is weird because they, uh, <laughs> they're more likely to have a coronavirus, but whatever. They're actually going to station National Guard members at the airport and at Amtrak stations and bus stops. Now, what will happen to you if you choose not to self-quarantine? What if you say, F you, I'm not going to, or if you agree to and violate it? Well, you can get a fine of $500 and up to 90 days in prison. Wow. The ACLU is not happy about this. The Rhode Island executive director of the ACLU, Stephen Brown, said, while the governor may have the power to suspend some state laws and regulations, she cannot suspend the Constitution. Under the Fourth Amendment, having a New York state license plate simply does not and cannot constitute probable cause to allow police to stop a car and interrogate the driver, no matter how laudable the goal of the stop may be. But they're still doing it. They don't care what the ACLU says. And right now, uh, nobody's going to stop them. That's the problem. Right now, you can't just go adjudicate these things. It's uh, These decisions are made, and it's it's very hard to get these things stopped. So this is uh, really an unprecedented time. Can you imagine? If you have a New York State plate, they're actually stopping you and threatening you with prison if you don't self-quarantine. They'll let you in, but they're going to say, you, just let you know, you better self-quarantine. 14 days. If you don't, you can go to prison 90 days. If you don't like it, turn around and go home. New York City, a lot of people are saying, is abandoned. Not only is nobody on the streets, uh, people, a lot of people have just left the city. Everyone's scared. Everyone's scared it's going to become the new Italy, where there are now over 10,000 deaths from the coronavirus. That is the hardest hit place in the world. And uh, some people are afraid that New York will become like Italy. That's kind of scary, especially in the New York, New York City area. It's not a surprise that uh, two of the four poker players who are known to have the coronavirus are from New York City. Now let's talk about the $1,200 that most adults are getting, and we'll talk about how it applies to poker players. So finally, a relief bill was passed. I won't get into all the politicking that was involved with that. It was a big mess. And uh, there was attempts to exploit the uh, situation and try to squeeze things into the bill that have nothing to do with the emergency of the coronavirus, which is very reprehensible. And anyone who thinks that the Democratic Party is just looking to solve the problem and trying to be the anti-Trump should look what Pelosi and 
her pals did with uh, the bill they tried to submit. But anyway, we, we won't get into all that. Here's what did happen, is that a bipartisan $2 trillion economic relief plan has been signed into law by President Trump, Trump so it's finally happened. And I, I guess that's good. This something was finally agreed to. Uh, this amount of money is so much that it dwarfs this sum of money. $100 billion. It's, it's 20 times that. 20 times $100 billion. Wow. $2 trillion economic relief plan is uh, going to go to tens of millions of American households and uh, the payments people will be getting will be $1,200, though some people will get less or zero. And also, any child under 16, 16 or under actually, the payment will be an additional $500, provided that you qualify for payments at all. However, it's only one payment, and that's it. So you better make it last. Uh, married couples with no children who earn 150000 or less will receive a total of 2400 people, Single people who have an income of 75000 or less will get 1200 And then uh, if there's an income between 75000 and 99000 it will phase down all the way down from 1200 per person to zero. And a married couple that makes 198000 or more will also get a big zero. And uh, also a family with two children who has uh, an income of 218000 will get a big zero. Also, if you're being claimed as a dependent on anyone's tax return, whether you're an adult or not, you will not get any payment. You also have to have a valid social security number. And uh, this will be based upon your 2019 te- federal tax return, which if you have not filed because it's not due now till the 15th of July, then you have to go by the 2018 tax return unless you quickly go file the 2019 tax return. If you have not filed yet, you also can use your 2019 Social Security statement showing your income, though that only works for people who are not self-employed. College students... Uh, don't get anything if they're a dependent on anyone's tax return. Uh, you know, actually, whether you're a college student or not, you don't get anyone anything if that's your situation. Otherwise, uh, you can. Uh, now, your payment will arrive probably within three weeks. Uh, most people do not have to apply, provided that the IRS already has your bank account information. It will. If they see in 2018 or if you file 2019, if your income qualifies, you'll just automatically get the money. So there's nothing to do. Some people think you have to apply. You don't. Uh, However, you may have to if uh, your status is different than they believe and what they believe wouldn't get you a payment. So if if you don't have any uh, tax filings on record, you may want to do that in order to uh, make this happen. So that's going to come. Now, you don't have to pay any income tax on this. So there's just just money you get free and clear. 
the unemployment benefits, there's been some changes as well, and that's what I want to get to for poker players, because that's beyond the 1200 You do have to file for that, but uh, this has been expanded. Usually the way unemployment benefits work is, number one, they don't cover self-employed people or part-time workers. Uh, usually this is a system that your employer pays into for full-time workers, and then if you lose your job, either from being laid off or from being fired where it doesn't appear you were trying to get fired, some of that's subjective, but I'm talking about in normal times. If you lose your job in some way where it doesn't look like you intentionally lost your job, then you typically get unemployment benefits, even if it's at co- even if it's by cause. If you're incompetent, if you don't do the job right, if you're just lazy – uh, if you uh, don't get along with people at work and they fire you or you're rude to a customer, there's some subjectiveness to it. But usually with unemployment benefits, they try to determine, was this person trying to get fired or did they quit? In which case they don't get benefits or did they just kind of get fired because they did a crappy job or they were a crappy employee in general? The general litmus test of being laid off, you're always going to get it, but uh, the general litmus test, if you're fired for cause, is was this person always this way or did something just kind of happen abruptly? So like if you've been late to work for two straight years and your boss didn't do anything about it and then one day he fires you for this, you can admit, yeah, I got fired for being late all the time. Yes, I was late all the time and you still get benefits. Why? Because they accepted it for two years, so this wasn't something you abruptly did to get fired. Whereas if uh, you just suddenly stop showing up to work or you, you suddenly start being late when you never had been late before and you get fired, that could be seen as an intentional act to get fired because uh, unemployment benefits typically do not go to those who quit or are trying to induce a firing. Now, again, I'm talking about before the coronavirus and before the uh, bill that was passed. Now, there are extended and expanded benefits for unemployment, and this is where poker players can actually apply, believe it or not. So now this expanded program will will cover anyone who claims to be unemployed, including self-employed people, part-time workers, and gig workers. So you are likely, but not certain, to receive benefits if you are unemployed in any way, or even if uh, you can be employed, but you had to leave your job because you needed to watch your children because there's no more daycare for them, that you could actually can get benefits that way too. Now, it will depend upon your state how much you'll get. This is managed by the state. And there's going to be uh, increased benefits. But uh, you're going to get uh, probably around 40 to 45% of uh, what you were making before, but it could be less than that if you were making more money than uh, than the typical person. Anyway, I'm not going to go into all the numbers. You can Google that if you want. But let's talk about whether poker players can qualify. Because poker players, they're beyond just self-employed. They're actually just uh, playing a game for money. So you're not really doing any real work. So can you actually claim that you're self-employed and that you're unemployed if you're a poker player. Well, uh, yeah, actually, yes. It's not guaranteed you're going to get it. And they will calculate what you do get if, if, if you're approved by looking at your previous income using a formula from what's known as the Disaster Unemployment Assistance Program, which was already in place. 
and uh, they will calculate uh, whatever you're entitled to, and you do have to be approved, but you can apply for it. Now, you do have to actually state that you're unemployed. So, for example, let's say you went to commerce every day as your self-employment in poker, and you were making your money, you were making your living by going to commerce and winning. And now commerce is closed, and you can't go to commerce anymore. You actually can declare yourself unemployed and get unemployment benefits. It's not 100% guarantee you'll be approved, but uh, there's a good chance you will. However, let's say you just transition over to online poker to replace your live poker play. And uh, you apply and say, yeah, I can't play at commerce anymore, so now I'm stuck playing Bovada. And Bovada sucks, and I did better at commerce, so give me money. You won't get approved because you're you're still working. You're just working in a different way. You've, you've switched your work from live poker to online poker. Now, does this mean you're required to go play online poker if you were a live poker player who can't play anymore? No, you're not required to play online poker if you're income was derived from a form of poker which does not currently exist because of the coronavirus, then that's all. You don't need to find other alternatives to play. So don't worry about that. But but I'll just let you know, if you declare you're playing online poker in its place, you're not going to get your benefits. And you may think, well, okay, I'll just lie and say I'm not playing online poker. Well, that's on, that's on you. You can do what you want. It's your life. You're taking your own risk, but uh, you will be applying for benefits based upon uh, false information and uh, it could get in trouble. So I'm not going to encourage anybody to do that. But I'm just telling you what criteria is going to be used of determining whether you're unemployed as a poker player. Basically, if you can still play poker for money and support yourself, then you're not unemployed. If what you were doing before is no longer possible because of that, then Yes, you are unemployed, and you probably will get benefits. Now, if you're not a poker player but still want benefits like you were a part-time worker, then yes, you'll probably be approved. If you're a gig worker, you'll probably get approved. If you have the coronavirus and just can't work because nobody will hire you because you have the coronavirus, then you also can get benefits. So basically, if you're not working and you want to work, there's a good chance that you will get unemployment benefits, so you might as well apply. Now, that doesn't happen automatically. That is not the same thing as the $1,200 check. And it's not clear how long these benefits are uh, going to last. But uh, it's going to last probably uh, 39 weeks. Could be... uh, Shorter in some states, but 39 weeks right now is what we're looking at with this expanded program. Uh, with this expanded program, it can't be longer than 39 weeks. But maybe the states can do something else, or there could be an additional uh, program after the 39 weeks are up of your benefits. That isn't 39 weeks from today. This is 39 weeks of benefits that you would uh, receive. Um. Also, there's a longer program where you can get covered all the way through uh, the end of the year, I believe. Oh, no, no, sorry, I'm I'm reading that wrong. It's that uh, 
apparently you can apply all the way through the end of the year. Now, if you're already getting unemployment benefits that are unrelated to the coronavirus, let's say uh, in December you lost your job and you qualified for unemployment, how will this affect you? Well, they will probably be extending your benefits another 13 weeks and you'll get an extra $600 weekly benefit from the federal government in addition to whatever your state gives you, which is pretty much what everybody's going to get under this expanded program. So you'll get the benefit of this, even if you didn't lose your job due to the coronavirus, even if you lost your job before the coronavirus, but you're still eligible for unemployment benefits. What if you just recently got off unemployment? Can you get right back on? Answer, yes. Go ahead and apply. You will get at minimum another 13 weeks, maybe more. The processing of claims will take probably a little time. You probably won't get it the same week or the next week. Uh, Probably be a minimum of two weeks before you'll get the benefits. Maybe if you're lucky, it'll be quicker, but I say wait at least two weeks, maybe more, because I'm sure there's a flood of uh, applications here. So bottom line, if you're a poker player who is playing for a living and you can't anymore, by all means, apply. Uh, Poker fraud alert, radio listener, and uh, former forum poster PLOL uh, had asked me if poker players can... uh, apply for this and uh, I actually told him no erroneously I'm correcting myself now as a final coronavirus topic Donald Trump said that he'd like to see America kind of returning back to normal and people going back to work and the country starting up again by Easter and that really got a lot of people angry a lot of controversy about the Easter thing. Here, I think, is a clip of it. Ultimately, the goal is to ease the guidelines and open things up to very large sections of our country as we near the end of our historic battle with the invisible enemy. We're going for a while, but we win. We win. I said earlier today that I hope we can do this by Easter. I think that would be a great thing for our country and We're all working very hard to make that a reality. We'll be meeting with a lot of people to see if it can be done. Easter is a very special day for many reasons. For me, for a lot of of our friends, that's a very special day. And what a great timeline this would be. Easter is our timeline. What a great timeline that would be. My first priority is always the health and safety of the American people. I want everyone to understand that we are continuing to evaluate the data. I'm all- okay. I, I think we've heard enough here. Easter's April 12th. That is, at the moment, uh, about two weeks away. No chance that opens up by Easter. <laughs> now, he said this, uh, I think, four or five days ago, but still, that was an unrealistic goal. And a lot of people have really given it to Trump for this. In fact, some who hate Trump and are always looking for reasons to criticize him, even when criticize him, even when criticism is not deserved, have been saying that Trump is prioritizing the economy over lives and is fine with old people dying as long as uh, big corporations can start making money again starting Easter. And that's not what he said at all. You just heard what he said. 
he said that he's hoping everything can start up again around Easter and they're looking if they can make that goal. Meaning, we'll look at where everything stands with the coronavirus and if it's safe for everyone to go back on Easter, we can. Otherwise, uh, I guess we won't. I'm hoping it happens. We're looking into it. That, that's all he's saying. It's an unrealistic goal. It's something that won't occur. He's trying to be optimistic. I think he was trying to give people hope. Maybe he didn't fully understand how uh, this is unlikely. But regardless, this isn't him trying to be callous and send people to their doom so we can make more money for the big corporations. This is just him trying to be hopeful and saying, wouldn't it be great if on Easter... We could not only celebrate Easter, which I wouldn't anyway as a Jew, but we could not only celebrate Easter, but also celebrate the return to America reopening. That's not a realistic timeline. It's not going to happen. But he does have a point, ignoring the Easter thing. He does have a point. We can't just sit here forever and remain this way with business shutting down, with very little money moving around in the country. The economy is almost completely shut down. You can't have this for very long without really, really major consequences down the line. And at some point, a decision has to be made for the long-term health of the country in order to prevent a major depression. Do we start returning to normal, even if it will cost some lives regarding the coronavirus. And that's not as callous as you would think because a major depression will cost lives. A major depression will cost quality of life and actual lives. So you can't just dismiss that and say, okay, we'll just deal with a major depression as long as people live. We could be trading one very bad problem for an even worse problem. And that must be considered. So what we're looking for is a time and a way to kind of reopen everything without causing that much damage while kind of resuscitating the economy as much as we can as we transition to the country reopening. The antibody tests would be a huge step. That's what he was saying there. And I'm not saying that Trump has done everything right. There's been a number of mistakes I still don't think there's a real coherent plan in place, which is a huge mistake. The whole testing thing has been bungled. A lot of things have been bungled, okay? Trump has said a lot of stupid things throughout this. But there have been criticisms of him that are unfair, including this Easter thing. I think the Easter statement was unrealistic, but it wasn't cold or callous or indicative that he doesn't care about uh, people dying. That's just not true. So... You can criticize him for something, just not the Easter thing, other than not being realistic. But the comment didn't hurt anyone. It's just him trying to give people hope, trying to present an optimistic goal here. I I think it would be better if he's just realistic. I think people just want realism now. They they don't want feel-good speeches. They just want, tell us what we're really looking at. Tell us what your plans are. Tell us where this country's going. That, that's what they want to hear. They don't, they don't need to hear a, a rosy projection or prediction or hope. We're beyond that now. We just want to know what's really happening. All right, let's move away from the coronavirus topic, finish our last three topics, and be done. 
it's four or five in the morning. So we got to finish this. This is a very, very long show. I can't believe I'm still going. I thought by starting a little earlier than usual that I'd be done way before four. Not even close. We had a lot to talk about this week. The GG Network, there's a controversy starting over there that a lot of people don't quite uh, see for what it is yet. It's not being talked about that much. But it's something you should think about. Now, when I say think about, this isn't nearly as uh, big of an issue as anything else we're facing right now in this world, but from the point of view of online poker, this is something we should think about, especially because online poker is starting to get some prominence again due to the coronavirus. So maybe long-term online poker will be helped by this, not just short-term when everyone's playing because they have nothing else to do and nowhere else to play. So... I became aware of this because a banned player from the GG Network, which you can't play from the U.S., but still this is an interesting discussion regardless of where you are. A banned player from the GG Network, which, by the way, is what Negranu is currently the face of. He represents GG Poker, which is the flagship skin on the GG Network. Uh, A banned player had his money confiscated for what he says are unknown reasons. I mean, I guess partially known, but the, the the full reason they confiscated his money is unknown. But he posted a screenshot, which I think is authentic, of an email he got from them regarding their complaints about him on there. And basically, they shut him down for what's known as bum hunting, which I discussed a little bit earlier about uh, old Bodog. Except here on the GG Network, bum hunting is against the rules. And if you sit and play only when you see fish there, you're actually breaking the rules, which is crazy. This is a player who played on there as Stinky Bluff. Funny name. Stinky Bluff got this email from Poker OK, which is a skin on the GG Network. We would like to inform you that we have reviewed your entire game records. Upon reviewing the results of our investigation, we have verified that you have engaged in the act of bum hunting from your records, and as such, we will proceed to give you a warning. First, we would like to ensure that our intention is not to block your account or confiscate your funds. However, if you continue participating in bum hunting, we may take necessary action, meaning taking your money. In addition... The handling of violations will will commence in accordance with our security and ecology agreement, which can be found at blah, blah, blah. We observe two key points for our bump hunting policy. First is the act of purposely targeting a user by observing and only participating when the preferred user joins. In general, players are expected to be seated for the purpose of playing. It is acceptable to be seated and occasionally deny action in certain circumstances, such as being seated to help start a new ring game, but not being willing to play heads up. It is not acceptable to remain seated out, meaning sitting out, at a table, especially an active one, waiting for only one of a few preferred opponents to arrive and play. In other words, it is not acceptable to target specific players. Second, the act of purposely targeting a user by following the targeted user's activity. This is done by being on standby in the lobby until a preferred user enters a game and subsequently following by entering as well. Furthermore, when the preferred user leaves a game, the user is once again followed by leaving the game afterwards. The actions of your play show that you did not follow these rules, violating the rules of GG Network, and as such, we must take strict measures. Now, let's stop here. First of all, 
this email was from Poker OK, a skin on the network, but they're saying these aren't our rules. This is the GG Network's rules. Number two, you basically can't game select. If you're going to either sit in the game and sit out and only sit in when a fish is in, you're violating the rules. If you're just going to sit in the lobby and not sit at a table until a fish comes and then suddenly join and then leave as soon as the fish leaves, then again, you're breaking our rules. We have noticed you, Stinky Bluff, behaving in this stinky fashion. And therefore, we are giving you a warning that if you continue, we may take your money and we will definitely ban you. The funny thing is they actually listed the fish that he was that he was following. They said, we have comp- compiled a small list of examples below, which validates our decision of the warning stated above. The users who have been affected, Cash, AK Clam 7 uh, Tai Taiyuji one two three. Maybe you win, sir. I guess maybe you win, sir. Is more like uh, maybe you lose, sir. <laughs> He's a fish that the guy's following. And uh, Hosigi to Mari. We would like to warn you not to engage in any bow hunting activity in the future. If we find that you're engaging in bow hunting again, the promotions and rewards offered will be subject to certain restrictions. In addition to getting penalized based on our regulations. Thanks for your cooperation. GG Security, so not uh, not Poker OK, but actually GG Network Security. Now, there's a little bit more to this guy's own personal story. He said he had $150,000 on the site. Upon receiving this, he decided that uh, he was scared they were going to take his money or find an excuse to, so he hit the cash out button for the entire 150 k Then he claims he deposited 120 k a different 120 k not that same 150 which he hadn't, had not arrived yet. He deposited a different 120K into GG Poker itself, the flagship site. He says before playing a single hand, he got a message that read as follows, and he posted a screenshot of it. Your account has been blocked to investigate a possible breach of our security and ecology agreement causes uh, which are predatory behavior. We ask for your understanding during this time as the investigation may take more time than expected due to its critical nature. Your operator, referring to the skin, will contact you for assistance in this matter soon. He claimed this happened before he played a hand on GG Poker after cashing out of Poker OK. Then he said something else which kind of contradicted it. I have a feeling this guy wasn't fully transparent with everything. I, I do believe he got this warning about the bow hunting. I do believe he hit the cash out button. I do believe he probably redeposited into GG Poker. I think more of what he did was that he actually thought, okay, well, Poker OK won't let me. Let's see if they catch me on on uh, GG poker a different skin on the network and they caught him there too and just took all his money so what he said happened was that they took the entire 270k they never finished processing his cash out and they also took his 120k he just put in that's when he made the two plus two post and and he said that uh actually then he did get his 120k the second money he put on there uh because he got help from bryn kenny who was his like affiliate for the site and bryn leaned on someone and got the 120k back but the 150k cash out was still held up and they were refusing to give it to him then after there was some uh, discussion back and forth where he wasn't particularly transparent then he said okay we've made an agreement i just i'm not allowed to post what it is as part of the agreement i can't talk about it but it's been resolved my guess is that he got the whole 150 but they told him he can't talk about it like that was one of the conditions of getting the money that we'll pay you but shut up about this stop talking about it and he agreed I don't know that for sure, but he says it's been resolved, and I have a feeling he wouldn't agree to this being resolved unless they gave him all the money or very close to all the money. 
But I don't really care about this guy. This guy was not very honest about everything. Uh, while I do agree with – I don't I, I agree, but I, I believe his account for what brought this up, and I believe that screenshot is real and authentic. Uh, he was definitely being evasive, and he said a few contradictory things, so I'm not going to take up for his cause. However, this did bring up the interesting discussion of whether this is okay for a poker site to ban to ban bum hunters. Now, I talked about earlier in this show that a long time ago, back before Bodog became Bovada, to show you how long ago that was, but like circa 2010, that a lot of the no-limit players hated me for being a bum hunter, that I only would play if a fish was there, and as soon as the fish would bust, I would leave. Why? Because this was very, very common behavior in my almost 10 years of playing online poker as a limit hold'em player. In the limit hold'em community, and you can ask others in the upper limit limit hold'em community since the very beginning online if this sort of behavior was okay. Everyone did it. This was standard to where I didn't even realize this was an etiquette breach at other games. I learned something new. But this bum hunting, while frowned upon by the no-limit community, if in, the, in the limit community, you're never really caught on. It's like people don't really talk about bum hunters in limit. I don't know why the difference, but that's just the way it is. Anyway, some people do say that bum hunters are scum. I don't agree, but some people say bum hunters are scum. Why? Because they'll only play if there's like dead money in the game. Some people feel they're not real poker players. They they can't hang with tough competition. They can only hang there when the there's tough competition plus a fish or preferably just a fish. That a lot of the money they're winning at poker is just against awful players and that they never want to put in any action when there's anybody else there and that they just leech off of other people who get games going so the fish can sit in the first place. And that, uh, furthermore, these people will insult the fish, be- not directly insult with words, but that the fish will get insulted when they see these people quit as soon as the fish busts, that the fish will notice this. Well, okay, I can understand all of this. I'm not saying all of this is wrong, but I, I also can say not all of this is right. For example, the fish may notice... If you leave when he leaves, but often not. On online poker, since there's no process of actually standing up and walking away, you're, you're just clicking off a screen. Uh, I can tell you what most of them do when they bust. They don't sit around to see uh, what the game's going to do after they're gone. They just close the window. And you can tell when they close the window because they leave the game. They go from uh, $0 in front of them to just they're gone. They're gone because they're frustrated. They... They busted their money on the site. They kind of sit there for maybe 30 seconds and just kind of stare at it going, crap, I can't believe I have zero on here now. What just happened? And then reality sits in and they hit the X button and close the window and that's that. They don't reopen and go, hmm, I wonder if the action is still going even though I busted. Now, sometimes they will see that people have quit when they've busted. And sometimes they won't come back. When they don't come back, it's not for the reason you think. It's not because they're insulted that they're the fish. They think that there's some kind of cheating or collusion that people only play if they're there, which they don't understand. They're bl- the game's only going when they're there because they're a fish. They don't realize that they think it's some kind of cheating. I once clarified that for a fish. I once uh, had a, a fish who wouldn't sit back in, even though he had more money, because everyone sat out. And this is back when you could chat, and he was saying, look, guys, I, I'm sure you're all cheating me. You all sit out when I sit in. Uh, when I sit out. When I sit in, you all sit in. 
this is bullshit. You're all colluding against me. And no one knew what to say. They all sat there silent. So finally, I spoke up. I said, you want the truth? He says, yes. I said, okay, I'll tell you the truth. You're new here. We all know each other. We're not colluding. We're not friends. We're not uh, trying to cheat here. But we all know each other, and we all think everybody at the table that we know is a reasonably good player. You are a new person, so you are assumed to be bad. So everybody wants to play against the new guy. Since you're new, we all think you suck. And the guy said, oh, thanks. Well, thank you for being honest with me. And he sat back in. Notice I phrased it in a way not that we're sitting with you because you suck. I said, we're sitting with you because we perceive that you suck, which is also the truth. When someone new sits down, you haven't seen before on a site like this, you do assume it's a fish, and you play with him until you see if he is or isn't. So it is true. We sat in because he's a new player, and we perceived that he sucked. I just left out the part that, yes, we verified he does indeed suck. But I was honest with the guy. I didn't uh, try to bullshit him. I didn't say this is his imagination, or we're just, it's just a coincidence we're sitting out. I said, yeah, we want to play with you because you're new and we think you're probably the bad one. And so he thinks to himself, ha, 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 if only they knew I'm actually a good player. And then he kept playing. So uh, is bum hunting wrong? No. That's just a form of game selection. If you disagree with me, then think about this. As the old adage goes, if you are the ninth best poker player in the world, which means you're really good, and then you sit with the eight best poker players in the world at a nine-handed table. Who's the fish in the game? It's you. You are the fish. And conversely, if you are the ninth worst poker player in the world and you sit at a table with the eight people in the world worse than you, then you're the shark at the table. You're the best one in the game. They're all a fish compared to you. So... The term fish is relative. For example, a winning player at uh, micro stakes, if he were to go sit at uh, nosebleed stakes, unless he was up against uh, someone who was just very rich and didn't care, if he was up against a typical winning nosebleed stakes players, he would be a fish in that game, despite being a winning micro stakes player. So fish is relative. Fish is just, are, are you the worst player by a decent margin compared to the others in the game. That's all it is. It doesn't mean are you good or bad on an absolute scale. It means uh, compared to others in this game, are you substantially worse than everyone else? And if the answer is yes, then you're a fish in that game. If the answer is no, then you're not a fish in that game. So that's why determining what constitutes bum hunting is very subjective, Now, they do it somewhat by noticing if you're following certain players, but that's also dangerous to start doing. What if there's a guy you just, you have his number, you always get lucky against him, you like playing a certain person, like a few different people you just notice you always seem to win against them. Not because you're bum hunting, just because your style matches up well with them. Just because it seems like uh, you always have a good read on them. Now you can't do that anymore? Now, I will admit that most times someone's following a player to sit with them, it is because they're a fish. It It is a matter of bum hunting, but it starts to become a slippery slope to start saying, you can't game select, you can't sit with people who you deem to be substantially worse than you. That's what game selection is about. You're trying to sit in a game where you're a favorite. Where are you now required to play against the very best players on the site? You're not allowed to say, hey, I think that guy is not as good as me, I'm going to go sit when he's there? 
or I'm not going to sit in the game with with uh, four really good regulars. I don't want to do that. I want to wait till there's at least one person at the, in the game that I think isn't very good. Game selection is fine. Nothing dishonest about game selection. Bum hunting is a derogatory term, which really just means game selection. It means extreme game selection. Now, you might wonder, am I a bum hunter? I told you at no limit I was a bum hunter. But what about a limit? Am I a bum hunter? I, I told you in the community, being a bum hunter is considered okay. But I'll tell you what I actually am, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I do prefer playing with a fish in the game. I will not play for long periods of time, usually, in a game where everybody is fairly good or better than fairly good. Sometimes I will. Sometimes I'll say, you know, I screw it. I'm just going to play anybody right now. I've even played heads up against some very tough opponents, even in recent times. Sometimes I'm sorry I do when I lose, but uh, I've done it. Typically, I do look for and prefer games with at least one fish. But I will play to get games started. I will play heads up or three-handed in the hopes that someone will sit who is a fish. And I don't just mean for like five hands. I mean, I'll play for, for a while where I'm really risking some money against a very good player. Uh, hoping that maybe they'll get a game going where we'll get some people who are worse than we are. So I'm not like a total nit and a bum hunter in the limit games. And people can't see that because you can't see who's who. I, I mainly play on uh, on Bovada Ignition. You can't see who's playing. But uh, if you saw my play history, you'd see I'm not a bum hunter. So I, I will do what's necessary to get games going. But I know there's those that will only sit if they see a multi-way game going where it seems like at least one player isn't very good. And that's fine. That's your choice. I, I never think anyone should be compelled to play at certain times. The only situation where I think it's really crappy is if you uh, play heads up with the intention of hit and running. And when I say the intention, I don't mean if something comes up and you have to leave. But I mean if you go sit with someone and say, I'm going to try to win a few quick hands off them and run. Now, if a huge fish does that to me, then I it's annoying, but I don't care. But when a decent player does it, that's that's just it's considered unethical in the poker world. If you're going to start a heads-up match with someone who's uh, at least somewhat near your skill level, then you should show up there with the intention of playing with them for a while. Now, like on Bovada, it's different because you can't see who you're playing, so you you may play with someone until you see if they're good or not, and then quit. But when you know who you're playing. And then you only plan to play a few hands if you get up on them. That's that's kind of crappy. That's just kind of an ethics violation. There's a, it's not uh, – or an etiquette, not an ethics. An etiquette violation. It's actually not an ethics violation. But that's the only time I feel one should be compelled to play more, and especially in a live setting. When I'm playing live poker, if the game breaks down from like full or six-handed down to like three-handed, and I always say, okay, is everybody going to play here? Sometimes even his forehand will ask that. If they say no, then we'll just quit. If they say yes, then we tend to negotiate, okay, how long is everybody going to play? Can we at least commit everybody plays half an hour minimum? There's no way to enforce it, but you have like a gentleman's agreement that no matter how well or poorly it goes for you, you're going to play a minimum of this amount of time. After that, if you want to leave, you can leave and no one's going to be mad. So uh, that's the type of agreement that's made live. Uh, online, no such thing. 
but it's just kind of shitty to sit with someone looking to hit and run them. Again, unless you're just trying to determine is this person good or not, and then and then you leave. So there, it's a little bit different. But but this what's called bum hunting isn't nearly as bad as it's being portrayed. And the truth is, most of the time the fish don't even see. Most of the time the fish just leave and they don't even know. Or if they know, they they're so they're such degenerate gamblers they're coming back anyway. I'll tell you, poker fish are rarely driven from the game because they're insulted. People think they're bad. Unless people vocalize it to them. If, they, if they're humiliated, then yes. But if they just notice people think they're bad and sit out when they're gone, they're not thrilled to see it, but they'll come back in most cases. It's when they think they're being cheated, they don't come back. But at the same time, nobody should be required only to play against or, or to play against good players sometimes. No one should be required not to, get, to game select. I think this is a crappy policy by G Network. And if they are going to enforce it, fine, but don't take people's money. The rule should be, if they really want to stop the bum hunting, the rule should be, we'll give you one warning. If you violate the warning, we will kick you from the network, but we will pay you. Then if you try to return against our ban and and circumvent the ban, then we'll confiscate your money. But on the first ban, we are going to give you your money and tell you never to come back to the network with the threat of losing your money. That would be fair. Confiscating anyone's money for bum hunting is terrible. Because that's different than something like multi-accounting or collusion or anything like that where you're actually gaining an edge in the game to where it's unfair. That's actually cheating. Bum hunting is never cheating. Bum hunting is you're playing a fair poker game as yourself under one account. So what's the problem? Maybe they don't want it, but there's never a reason to take someone's money. The only justifiable reason to take their money in that circumstance is if the person gets banned and and, and signs up under their mother's name or their brother's name or their girlfriend's name and tries to come back around the ban. That'll be an interesting situation to watch. I tweeted the thing to Negranu. He didn't comment. He he refused to answer. So that's uh, that's where that stands. I, I, I doubt he will comment. He doesn't like commenting on these things. I did not expect to comment, but I wanted to put it out there anyway. Okay, since we were talking a bit about Bovada, that's our second to last topic, I will talk about my own personal experience on Bovada on Thursday and the lagging that has been taking place there. There's a, The good news is Bovada Ignition, which is the same network, they have had a lot more traffic as the other networks have since the coronavirus and all the self-quarantining has started and all the poker rooms have closed. Obviously, everyone's going to online. And this is kind of like a mini online poker boom right now. However, it looks like their network can't handle it well, or their server can't handle it well, or their software can't handle it well. Something's wrong, and uh, sometimes, but not always, there is a lag on there where you press a button, and it takes a few seconds for the action to occur. And when the lags are going on, it tends to not just affect you, it tends to affect the entire game. So it's not only slow for you to act, it's slow for everyone else at the table to act, which really, really slows down the game. You get in a lot fewer hands per hour. It's kind of tilting to deal with. Uh, it's very frustrating to press a button and not see action. You always fear you're going to be disconnected. Uh, even if you get used to it and realize you're not going to be disconnected, it's still unnerving to not see your action take place until a few seconds pass. It, it's just kind of crappy. It's annoying. It's crappy. It's not a nice way to play. 
Nevertheless, uh, I dealt with it on Thursday, and there there have been a number of days of lag recently. Other days I was just quitting. It just tilted me, but not tilted me like where I played poorly, but I I just felt like it was too frustrating to want to bother with doing. But Thursday, I decided to try to play through it. Well, that was a bad decision. So I started playing on Thursday, like in the late morning Pacific time, and I just immediately started losing at 30-60 limit hold'em. And it was a very laggy game for everybody. Each hand went super, super slow. But I was losing money a lot more than super, super slow. I was losing money fast despite the game that was moving slow. My hands just weren't holding up. I was missing every flop. If I was hitting the flop, someone would outdraw me or cooler me. And I was just losing. And I was watching my money go down, down, down. And I was waiting for it to turn around because the game was a pretty good game. It was not. It just got worse and worse and worse. And uh, I started thinking that playing it all on that day was... Bad decision! Remember that sound effect? <laughs> From NBA Jam? Bad decision! I played it a lot on uh, Never Win Poker Radio. You haven't heard it a while on this show. Anyway, I kept losing throughout the late morning, throughout the afternoon, throughout the evening. By the time... I went to go put Benjamin to bed uh, in the later evening. I was down the sum of $100 billion. Now, but it, sounded, it felt like it. That's what it felt like I was down. I was actually down about uh, $7,000 at a single table of 3060 limit hold'em. Ouch. Ouch. Nothing was going right, and it was also really frustrating to have that lag. I said, all right, that's it for the night. I'm going to do something else after Ben goes to sleep, and his mom was going to sleep at the same time. Like Everybody in the house is going to be asleep, but even after I was done with that, I was just going to go do something else. I, w- I couldn't leave the house, but I was not going to continue playing on Ignition. I was going to take a break for the rest of the day. Thought maybe I'd watch some TV or whatever. Watch some YouTube, I don't know. I went on my laptop, I browsed Poker Fraud Alert, I made some posts, and I just saw the ignition software sitting there. And the degenerate side of me said, I must open this and just let me just see if a game's running. I just I just did it. You guys know. I mean I'm I'm sure you guys have done it too. You say you're not going to play anymore, and then you keep playing anyway. So I have 7K down, and I opened up the Ignition software, and a game was still running. It's about midnight. game is still running. And I noticed something. There's no more lag. I said, well, okay, at least I won't have to deal with this frustrating lag. Even if I continue running poorly, at least the lag is not going to be making me want to pull my hair out. So I started playing, and I won the first hand, and I won the second hand. And I started doing well. And I said, hmm, okay, maybe I'll get back a few thousand here if uh, I run decently. Well, my bankroll started to go up and up and up. And there were various fish that were joining the game. And I just kept smashing them. And I was busting them one by one. There were some good players there, but they weren't much of a factor. I was uh, beating them too, not 
by not killing them, but I was up on them. And uh, in multi-way hands against the fish, I would end up taking down the pot and the good player wasn't. So, like, I, I just started winning and I started to notice, oh, wow, I can actually bring this 7K loss down to something maybe like 3K if I'm lucky. Wow, okay, that's uh, not thrilled about losing 3K today, but that's a lot more palatable than 7K. The game kept going. I brought the 3K down to 2K. I go, wow, is this possible that I could bring this all the way back to even? Well, I busted the final person. I was left sitting by myself, and I was down $600 total. So the 7K loss turned into a $600 loss. Uh, much, much better, huh? Especially 30, 60 limit hold'em. $600 comes and goes real quickly. So I knew $600 was... Uh, very recoverable the next time the game would get going. So uh, next day, which was uh, on Friday, I played again. Not nearly as many hours. Did well when I did play. And I won another uh, 3K. So that was pretty good. <laughs> I ended up being uh, up 2400 from the whole thing instead of down... Uh, uh, down 7K. That was nice. Did I run better in that comeback? Of course. I ran much better. There's no doubt. But there was another factor I identified, and that's why I'm talking about it here. I'm not trying to give you my own Phil Galfon-like comeback story on a smaller scale. I'm telling you this because I noticed something, because I like to analyze why I lose when I lose, I don't. I don't just like to lose and suffer without uh, asking myself the important questions. I like to be realistic. I like to say, "Why did I lose? Was I doing something wrong? Was I just unlucky? Was I game selecting poorly? Why did I lose?" And I came to two answers as to why I lost that seven k before having that comeback later on. Reason number one: I ran. Really bad. Reason number two, the lag was interrupting my rhythm. Now, you may laugh at that. Rhythm? What is this? Are we dancing? No, but Limit Hold'em actually has a rhythm to it online. Why? Because there's no bet sizing. Your options on every street are one of three things. Check. Uh, you know, check fold, depending on whether there's action to you. Uh, or uh, check call or, or bet raise. Again, it depends on the action to you. But basically, what whatever the action is to you, if it's checked to you, then you can check. Uh, if it's not checked to you, then your option is, is to fold or call. And then, of course, you have the option to raise or bet if there's no bet yet. But it's, it's always three options. No matter what, it's always three options. So, uh, I, I guess there's also... I mean, it's, it's, some sites won't let you fold if there's a check to you. But whatever. In general, there's three options. In No Limit, there is a lot more than three options because the bet sizing is different. There's pretty much, uh, I shouldn't say infinite, but... Uh, Thousands of options because you could bet uh, different amounts every time, even by a few pennies. 
you have to decide how much you're betting, not just that you are betting. Now, it doesn't make Limit Hold'em a simple game. Some people erroneously believe it's a simple game. It's just uh, a different game. And uh, while the choices on each street are simpler, the success or failure in Limit Hold'em is defined not by making the correct decision in big spots. It's about making the consistently correct decision where a few mistakes aren't going to be a big deal to you, but you've got to consistently be making the right decision. And that's it's, it's basically the consistency of decisions, which uh, indicates whether you're a good player or a bad player or an okay player in Limit Hold'em. That's a lot different than No Limit Hold'em, where you just have to make the right decisions at the right time when it matters most. So... The betting in Limit Hold'em is very fast. Hands go very fast in Limit Hold'em. That's why you can't 24-table, even back when there were that many games running. You can't 24-table Limit Hold'em. You can't even 12-table or 10-table or 8-table Limit Hold'em because the games move too fast. And you can't operate that many tables because everything's running so quickly. And when things run quickly, you kind of develop a rhythm where you're betting at a certain speed and you, even when you take time for decisions, there's kind of a speed to that and you notice other players' speed and often your speed will influence other players' speed. I first came to think about this when I was visiting Dustin Neverwin Wolf, who occasionally listens to this show with his girlfriend, but I was visiting him around 2007, 2008 in his uh, then Los Angeles home and he was playing, I think, on UB, heads up, uh, pretty high stakes, like 300, 600 or something. And he was playing at breakneck speed, super fast. And I said, whoa, 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 you're playing so fast. Uh, I have a feeling you're making mistakes here because you're not thinking through each hand. He says, no, 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 I make decisions really fast. I go, well, still, why is it necessary? Why, why rush through it like this? It's big money. And he said, because that's my rhythm here. If I go slower, it interrupts my rhythm. And if I play fast, it pressures my opponent to play fast. And so, come on. Your opponent can play whatever speed he wants. You can play fast and then he can play slow. There's nothing you can do about it. He said, yes, but when I play fast, for whatever reason, they kind of emulate what I do. They feel this weird pressure to also play fast if I'm playing fast. Almost like it's a competition. I watched him. He was telling the truth. I watched him play various opponents. And the, when he'd play fast, they, they would play fast too. So, and I watched him other times when I wasn't even over there. I saw the same phenomenon, that players I didn't normally see play as fast would play faster when he played them, just because he was playing super fast. So th- he was right. This is all about rhythm. And you, you won't notice this if you're a no-limit player, because you always have to slow down to bet, to select bet sizes. But in limit hold'em, there definitely is a rhythm. And you also develop a very good feel for the game. If you're a good player, you develop a good feel for people's timing tells how long they take to decide to do things and you don't even have to think about this consciously you'll start to get a feel for it to where without even thinking of it very deeply you can tell from the way people are are betting or checking or or whatever they're doing you can often tell the strength of their hand not a hundred percent but you can get a good idea of it 
And if asked to explain it, you can't always do it. You can't always say, well, I can tell you exactly by this timing that means this. Sometimes you can explain it. Other times you just get a feel for, for, for the timing because you've seen it so many times. You've played so many hands. You start to get a feel for what you've seen even though you don't fully understand or can't coherently explain what you've seen. And anyone who plays a lot of Limit Hold'em online knows exactly what I'm talking about. But when there's a lag, you don't have that feel anymore. Everybody's taking a long time. There are no timing tells. Because number one, it's taking a lot longer than it normally does. So you don't have any experience with it. Number two, everyone's taking approximately the same amount of time because it's taking a a few seconds between each action. There's no quick actions anymore. So if something's uh, 3.5 seconds versus 3.2 seconds, it's going to feel the same to you. So there's no more rhythm. And it's just kind of unnerving when you press the button and you don't see the action happen until a few seconds later. You just feel like everything's off. You don't have that feel for the game anymore that you had before. Because it's not operating the way it was before. And this definitely affected me. And I said, crap, I just didn't have a rhythm here. I didn't have a good feel for the way these players were playing. Something just felt off. It wasn't just that I was running bad, which I was, but I could feel like I didn't have the same reads I normally do. And it caused me to make some mistakes. And I attribute it to the lag. Because my feel for the lag, my feel for the speed of the game, the the speed of other people's actions, I can't get that. So what's my solution? Next time it's lagging, I'm not going to play. Or if it starts lagging, I'm going to quit. I think it's an important thing to have. And if you don't play Limit Hold'em, this probably sounds ridiculous to you. You go, come on, rhythm? You need a rhythm playing? But you really do. But if you're an experienced Limit Hold'em player, you know exactly what I'm saying. And if you think about it, you'll know I'm right. And you'll see why not having that, having that taken away from you can really screw you up. In fact, it can be like, it's, it's worse than not having a rhythm in the first place because... You're used to something and then that's taken away and you're kind of left confused without even realizing you are. So that I'm glad I got the money back. I'm glad that I ended up turning that into a profit over that period of two days. Because that was a horrendous start to the whole thing. But yeah, I've got, I've got to feel the rhythm. And you, you should see... Like, I can get the feel to where I know that a, a queen high or a jack high call is correct. And it's, it's much harder to do live. And this is why a lot of people have a hard time with the transition to live limit hold'em from online limit hold'em and vice versa. Because they're, they're almost like two different games. And uh, a live player is going to go, what the hell, how's this guy calling with jack high in this big pot and winning? And and how does he make this, at the same time, make this uh, tough fold when I'm ahead of him? And then the live player is going to think that the online player shows up in that game and plays that style as like a, a call-down monkey and a spewtard. So yeah, I, I, when I go play live, I've got to forget everything I know about online limit hold'em and play a totally different style. And sometimes I'll be tempted to play more like my online style. I go, no, 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 i got to catch myself and not play that way because these games run differently. Because there is no rhythm there. There are tells in live Limit Hold'em, but it's, it's not the same way as online Limit Hold'em. And that's why some 
players have a hard time transitioning. So there's there's very good live players who complain that every time they play online they lose. There's very good online players. You you see them live and you go, I, I don't understand how they're winning so much. They, this person doesn't seem very good, and that's why. Finally, this story I, I probably should I should hold it till next week, but I'll just do it this week because, well, here we are. Might as well just do it. It's not a long story, and I, I meant to do it two weeks ago. Then I forgot. I don't want to forget again, so I'm just going to do it. We're going to talk about the World Series of Poker in the year 1985 and something interesting that happened regarding the buy-in, something that still affects today. So the World Series of Poker was owned by Binion's at the time. Harris, Caesars was not involved at that point. wasn't going to be for a long time. But in uh, 1971, they started the World Series of Poker main event. And the buy-in to enter was $10,050. $10,050. Why $10,050? Because the $10,000 was going to the prize pool and $50 was going to the house. And any tip for the dealer you would do yourself if you cashed. That's a pretty good rake, isn't it? That's a 0.5% rake. Don't you wish we could see that again? An actual 0.5% rake for the house. Those are the good old days. I couldn't play then, but those were the good old days. So you may ask, well, hold on a second. 10050 Doesn't everybody who is buying into that have to fill out a currency transaction report, a CTR form to submit to the government? Isn't that the requirement? Anything exceeding $10,000 in cash? It's a transaction uh, of any kind? Not just in gambling, but any kind of cash transaction of more than 10000 must be submitted. Uh, a CTR form must be submitted. Did they make everybody submit a CTR form? The answer, no. Why? Because such a thing did not exist from 1971 to 1984. However, in 1985, exactly, it was on May 7th, 1985, a new federal requirement came into effect, which forced casinos to report any cash transactions in excess of $10,000 through that currency transaction report. Now, that was very shortly before the main event was going to take place at the World Series of Poker. So the organizers of the World Series at Binion said, well, what do we do? That extra 50 was our rake, but if we charge it, we're going to burden everybody with this awful paperwork and the CTR forms. So with little time to decide what to do about it, they decided to do something surprisingly generous at Binion's. They said that this year, there will be zero rake, that the buy-in is going to be $10,000, and that the rake that we're going to charge you from that uh, $10,000 buy-in will be 0.0. I don't have the sound effect in front of me for some reason. It's going to play it, it's just missing. So yeah, zero rake. Entire $10,000 goes into the prize pool for 1985 only. There was a magazine, I don't think it exists anymore. It was actually a newspaper, not a magazine. A poker player newspaper existed in Las Vegas in 1985 and, and, and for a while after that. And 
this was covered in the newspaper in 1985. This is what it said in Poker Player newspaper in Las Vegas. As of May 7th, casino operators in Nevada will be required to establish the identity of players making cash transactions in excess of $10,000. To minimize the paperwork associated with this new regulation, World Series officials have decided that they will probably not charge the $50 tournament registration fee that's usually paid in addition to the $10,000 buy-in. Most casinos, and Horseshoe is among them, are going to increase the availability of safe deposit boxes for players who wish to leave their cash or tips there, but none of this seems to have dimmed the enthusiasm of players for what has been known become the best-known pure gambling event in the world. Nobody calls the World Series of Poker pure gambling anymore. Yeah, it actually isn't pure gambling. That's not even accurate. It wasn't accurate back then. It is gambling. It's not pure gambling because there's a lot of skill to it. Anyway, the important part of this article, and I was reading just a snippet of it, but the, the important part of this article was where that they they said that World Series of Poker officials will not charge that extra 50 in order to minimize the paperwork, meaning to avoid people having to fill out those forms. Now, you might say, that sounds illegal. Answer, yes, that's a crime. It's a federal crime known as structuring. So why, oh, why would Binion's Horseshoe have admitted this to the poker player newspaper to put in print that they're going to be basically encouraging everybody playing it to commit the offense of structuring. Structuring, if you don't know, is the crime of setting up cash transactions specifically to avoid having to fill out the CTR paperwork. So, for example, if you purposely uh, do a transaction of $9,900 just so you don't have to fill out the paperwork, and then you come back the next day and get the other 100, that would be structuring. Now, there is some plausible deniability in some cases, but if there's a pattern of this, then they definitely can pin structuring on you, and it is a federal crime. And any casino that encourages or aids or specifically sets things in place, so uh, structuring can be done is also committing a federal crime. So why would the World Series in 1985, which admittedly is not the World Series of today, it's different ownership, but why in 1985 would they have admitted that they were committing structuring offenses? That's because there was no such law in 1985. Because this CTR was so new at the time, they had not considered that structuring would be occurring at all or that it even should be a crime. This was something they discovered over the next year as it was occurring. And they said, oh, crap, we need a law against this. So in 1985, it actually was legal to structure as long as you didn't make a cash transaction of 10,000 of over 10,000. Then even if you split it into parts, you're fine. Even if the whole thing adds up to more than 10,000, if you split it up, then you're not violating the law in 1985. And they realized that this was a mistake, that it was too easy to circumvent. So in 1986, the federal crime known as structuring was put on the books. And if you look that up, you'll see that structuring became an offense in 86, not 85. 
That's why the World Series of Poker was able to brag in the newspaper that they were committing structuring when there was no law against it. And there was no rake that year. What is the World Series of Poker main event rake today? It is 6%. Every $10,000 buy-in to the World Series of Poker main event, $600 does make it does not make it into the prize pool. Some of it is taken by the house. Some of it is an auto tip to the staff, including the dealers. So that's uh, a lot of missing, money missing out of the prize pool, but it's nothing compared to some other events. For example, at the same World Series of Poker, if you play a $300 or $500 event, $565 event, the 65 is the fee. That's a 13% rake. That's much worse than 6%. The $300 events, I think there's like a $360 event. Uh, that one's even higher. That's like $20 rake. 20% rake, I mean. The lower the buy-in, the higher the rake, which makes sense because there's roughly the same cost to put the event on. So really the events getting the bad deal or the, the high buy-in events because they're being charged way more to put on the event just because there's more money involved. So just because the percentage is lower doesn't mean they're getting a better deal. They're actually getting a worse deal. But that's why they can do the lower percentage because they're already collecting so much that they can do a lower percentage. I mean, look, they were collecting 0.5% at Binion's from 71 to 84, and they were happy with that. So it just shows you how much money these tournaments can make and why the World Series does so well and why they don't want to cancel it. That's a bit of World Series history and structuring history for you. If you have not been gambling since uh, before 1985, then you probably would not have ever been aware that you could do these cash transactions of over 10K without a CTR form being filled out. To you, it may have just always been normal. To me, it has been. I was not 21 at that time. I was not 21 until 1993. So for all the time I could gamble... This $10,000 CTR form requirement was in place. To me, it feels weird not to have it. Why do they have this? To prevent money laundering. That's why that's there. And it's not going to go away. Interestingly, the World Series of Poker main event buy-in has remained $10,000 over the years. And going back to 1971 that is a very uh, big difference because of inflation in 1971 ten thousand dollars was worth uh, much more than it is today and yet it was the same buy into the main event ten thousand dollars in 1971 was worth sixty five thousand dollars today so it's like the main event being a $65,000 buy-in event. I would not play the main event if it was $65,000 buy-in. So that's uh, people were putting up a lot of money back then in 71 to be putting up 10k. In 1985, it wasn't quite as steep, but it was that same $10,000 and there has been uh, some inflation since 85, not quite the crazy inflation we saw in the 70s. But still in uh, in 1985, the $10,000 would be uh, almost 25000 today. So that's still a hefty investment into that event. 
so inflation's slowed since then. As you see, most of the inflation was between 71 and 85, and there's been less since 85 till now. I mean, there's a lot more time that has passed. So inflation slowed down a lot. But uh, it is interesting the $10,000 buy-in has remained constant despite the fact that the dollar is worth less and less each year. Hopefully we don't see hyperinflation as a result of what's happening here. And that's, uh, that's my biggest financial fear of this whole thing. This whole coronavirus thing, my biggest fear in total is that I die. My second biggest fear in total, well, I should say my biggest fear in total is that I die or that someone very close to me dies. My second biggest fear is that I end up on a ventilator or someone very close to me ends up on a ventilator. My third biggest fear is that hyperinflation occurs and really destroys the economy. If hyperinflation occurs, we're in huge trouble. Like, like people don't even realize how bad that would be. It's, I can't even picture it. But it, it, I go read about Germany in 1922, or Zimbabwe much more recently. Go, go read about what happened in those places. Venezuela, though they even have other problems beyond that. Go look what happens when hyperinflation occurs, and it's a complete disaster. It's not something you just pass a few laws and everything's better. It's it's a complete disaster. And we do have the possible threat of hyperinflation if this is not handled right. So who knows? Maybe maybe it won't be a joke. If we have hyperinflation, then maybe it won't even be a joke for the buy-in for the main event of the World Series to be... $100 billion! Gentlemen! The good thing is, uh, if that is the buy-in, then if I min cash, I'll I'll be among the all-time winners ever in poker. Only people higher than me will be the ones who cash more than me in that event. <laughs> like you could min cash and get one hundred fifty billion dollars. Of course, a hamburger will probably cost a couple million at that point. <laughs> Well, that's it. I think I've done enough. It's uh, 5 a.m. And that's it. I'm finished. I'm through. It's been a very long show. You have a lot to keep you occupied with for the next week. I'd like to thank uh, Trader Ruski and uh, Vintage One for joining me as co-hosts. I'd like to thank uh, Sandra Moore for the interesting interview that she did with us uh, earlier in the show. Seems like a lifetime ago now. We've been out so long, but thank you to her. And you can go watch her movie Poker Queens on Vimeo or Amazon. Is Amazon Prime? I don't know. On Amazon somewhere. And that's it. Let's see any other texts I got. From the 702, ask Mason what the proposal's for, for fun. People seem very big on me trying to negotiate with Mason. And uh, from the 412, um, I think this is from Rob, who we had on earlier. It's kind of hard to read. Let me zoom in here. It says, this email was sent to a StubHub buyer, not a broker, on March 6th. Okay. As a valued StubHub Beyond member, 
I am personally reaching out to you regarding the current coronavirus situation. Every day brings developments, and you may have questions about what will happen if your event gets canceled. Here it is for you. If you buy tickets on StubHub to an event that is canceled, you have two options. One, receive a full refund of your purchase. Two, receive a coupon for 120% of your original purchase. We are working directly with many partners, event organizers, leagues, and teams around the world. When we hear of cancellations, we'll immediately notify you with details. Okay. And this was a buyer, not a broker, on March 6th. Okay, but that was on March 6th. Um, A lot may have changed since then. Like, I... I was very happy with everything that uh, Rob said when he called in. He gave a lot of useful information, and he he is a veteran in the ticket industry, and I've met him in person. But uh, I think this one screenshot doesn't say very much because it's now more than three weeks old, and three weeks now is a lifetime ago with how often situations are changing here. But thank you for the screenshot anyway. All righty. That's it. That is all. I, I refuse to continue any further. There's more people listening right now than you'd expect. Though. <laughs> the ratings are higher than I expect for this time. Who's, who's still listening now? It's so late. There's some people listening who are sleeping, and I, I know that because when the show's over, I can see there's still people listening to a non-show. And if they were awake, they would be turning it off. Okay, we'll be back next week. Friday or Saturday, I will announce at the time which date that is. Hopefully, I remain coronavirus-free. Hopefully, we get some good news in this whole situation. And don't be swayed by news that really doesn't mean very much. Like... The number of total coronaviruses, uh, coronavirus cases confirmed in the U.S., that's not very meaningful. It just means we're testing more people. We have 330 million people in this country, and we're being honest with the figures, as far as I know, unlike China. So, uh, it makes sense that we're going to see the number grow higher and higher, because this is the number of total cases that were found throughout the entire time, not the number of active cases. So the number can't go down. It can only go up or stay the same. So with each case that's discovered through testing, then that adds to the number. The antibody test results will be very interesting. Hopefully they have a decent way to collect results on that so we can get an idea of how many people had it that were asymptomatic. Or mostly asymptomatic. And that should be your hope. Your hope should be that your antibody test shows that you have had it already and didn't realize it. That's the best you can do. I have a feeling that I have not had it. I have a feeling that if I got the antibody test, there would be no antibodies in me. But a man can dream. Speaking of dreams, I've actually had two coronavirus-related dreams already. Isn't that crazy? I've had two, vi- two dreams where the, the virus makes its way into the dream. Not, not that I had it, but just that it... Something related to the situation where the coronavirus makes it into my dream. That's when you know it's a major situation. I can't even dream anymore that we're living in a normal world. All right. Stay safe from the virus, everybody. Good night. And shalom. Shalom.